Rainbird. Oh, I'm Rainbird. here. What happened to you? You, we couldn't hear you. <laughs> um, were you calling me? It's time for you to say greetings. Oh, no, it's cool. time. Time for Cheryl to say greetings. I'm sorry. I am, I am back. There was a little bit of uh, a discord with the um, with the line, and I couldn't hear you guys. So oh. I am back, and I'm ready to welcome everybody. Thank you, Cheryl. All right. Enjoy. Okay. All Welcome, everybody. It's Saturday, July 8th, and we've got big energies coming in. There's no doubt. And uh, I welcome you to Tarn Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History, Herstory, and True History, Herstory of Nasara. So I'm grateful that you can hear me, and um, <laughs> grateful to be here today uh, on this very sacred day. So we're going to do our opening. <clears throat> I'm going to share a little bit about yesterday's portal, the 777, and... Um, we're going to do a powerful meditation. <clears throat> so hopefully it won't get knocked off the line by doing the powerful meditation. So blessings to everybody. <clears throat> so let's take this time to do our divine service work, to do our opening meditation, and to anchor heaven on earth. Going into your heart center. We call forth the full emergence and integration with our soul, with our higher self, with our monads, with our mighty I am presence, and all of our multidimensional beings through to our God presence, Goddess presence. See yourself in your pillar of light. Filled with the Mahatma energy, beautiful rainbow white light, anchoring all the dimensions, all 352 levels, directly to source, and take a moment to feel that connection to source, and see, sense, and feel your connection all the way down through your pillar directly into the sacred heart of Mother Gaia. Expand your pillar of light as you expand your heart. I know I've been going through a lot of heart opening this week, and you may be going through the same. So let us expand our hearts to their fullest width, their deepest breath as we invite in everyone across the planet to join us in unity consciousness. We do that by the following prayer. Please say with me, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. I am one with every family member and loved one. I am one with all that is. And as we do so, we invite everyone to join us in their pillar of light, filled with the rainbow white light, 
and connected heart to heart. High heart to high heart. Cosmic heart to cosmic heart. Everyone connected to the cosmic heart of all that is. Just relax into that energy. As we invite in for one and all, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic. All of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward. Our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods. And we invite in for everyone, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council and mission council. We welcome the assistance of the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature. The whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim. And all angelic healing team. We welcome the ascended masters. The Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Rays and Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones. All of the enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries, divine father emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light. We welcome all Ascended Master healers and healing teams. We welcome the assistance of our friends from the Galactic Federation, especially those members that we work so closely with from Arcturus and Pleiades and Sirius and Andromeda from Chiron and from Venus. Of course, we're certainly being overlighted by the Syrians at this time. And we call forth all cosmic, galactic, universal healers that can be of service. We give thanks for the assistance of the entire company of heaven. Asking Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do. And magnify, magnify, magnify this work 999 billion times, 999 billion times. Indeed, in alignment with divine will and divine law. And we call forth... All of the rays, all of the flames, all of the ascension waves, all of the universal laws. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it is easily and effortlessly received through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our field, multidimensionally, on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level as well, both on an individual and collective level. And we ask to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, <clears throat> ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, 
serenity and tranquility and balance and equilibrium without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, in love and light and laughter. We call forth everyone and, and everything in our circle of support <clears throat> from the very first name that created us to every man, woman, and child, <clears throat> to every family member and loved one, every pet, every animal, every group, every organization, every business and corporation, every institution, every nation, every military, every government, <clears throat> and each and every aspect of our everyday life, whether it's the weather and the weather extremes, whether it's lack or limitation of any kind, we are here to hold the perfection of heaven on earth, the vision for everyone to attain. And so we hold that in our hearts this week, especially at this powerful activation time. <clears throat> the sacred portal. And we call in all the energy around all of the July holidays, the full moon, the 4th of July, Canada Day, the 777 portal, <clears throat> the next new moon, our galactic day at a time on the 25th, Intergalactic New Year on the 26th, we pull forth all of that energy, all of the things that people are paying attention to. We ask all of that energy to be coming, to come into our collective cup of consciousness for the transformation of the planet, to truly create heaven on earth. We ask God to receive all that we receive through her chakras and rudiments and layers of her orc field multidimensionally. through every aspect of her being through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, through the ley lines and the song lines, through the grid systems, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all the multidimensional grid system, and through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light as we continue up this amazing spiral of evolution along with Gaia and she takes her rightful place as freedom star. Take a nice deep breath. We ask again to fully anchor this and <laughs> we call forth Gaia in Sandalphon to work with us throughout this time, especially through the meditation here today to anchor all that we are invoking. So I'm going to begin by sharing with you a little update from Patricia Cotarobo, <clears throat> Era of Peace. Came out yesterday, Friday, July 7th, and this is what she wrote, <clears throat> an important phase of preparation now. The company of heaven is revealing that now that Mother Earth is being securely held in the frequencies of her new solar reality <clears throat> with every balanced and elevated holy breath, 
the sons and daughters of God embodied on earth take. Miracles are happening for the very first time since we ascended into our new solar reality. Our sun is once again aligning with the star Sirius. Every year, this alignment is considered to be one of the most important celestial events. This year, we are being told from on high that this event will transcend anything humanity has ever experienced. With the divine intervention of our I Am Presence and the light flowing through the Sirius Stargate, the divine alchemy taking place within humanity's earthly bodies will be accelerated in ways we have not previously experienced. During the full moon on July 3rd, 2023, we began receiving an influx of light from the highest dimensions of the Sirius Stargate. This is light that we were not able to withstand at a cellular level prior to Mother Earth's ascension into the initial frequencies of her solar reality. We are being told by the company of heaven that this unfathomable influx of light will be exponentially amplified during the opening of the three 777 stargates we will experience as we move toward the mystical opening of the Lion's Gate on August 8th, 2023. So, of course, the first one was yesterday. <clears throat> the opening of the three 777 stargates occurs on July 7th. And many of you know, seventh month, seventh day, seventh, seventh year because you add up to 2023, it comes to seven. So that was our first 777 portal opening stargate. The next one will be July 16th, 2023. And I wanted to make sure you had these dates. So July 16th, 2023. Again, you've got the seventh month. You've got the seventh day because one is six equals seven with the seven year. And again, on July 25th, which is big galactic day at a time, <clears throat> July 27th, seventh month, seventh day, seventh year. So step by step, every person's I am presence is being inspired by our Mother, Father, God to utilize the light flowing through the higher dimensions of the Sirius Stargate to ignite the seventh, the fifth dimensional, seven, I'm going to the seventh dimension here, the fifth dimensional crystalline structures that are forming within our earthly bodies. We have the ability to deliberately and consciously assist with this process by focusing on our self-care. So again, self-care is so important. And consciously invoking the assistance of our body elemental, our personal silent watcher, Estrella, the Elohim of purity, and our mighty I am presence. Dear one, please pay attention. Listen to the intuitive inner guidance of your I am presence. The things that we are being guided to do in order to take advantage of this unprecedented opportunity are not frivolous. They are imperative. Every person's self-care will be unique depending on his or her needs. However, there are several areas that we all have in common, and if we are listening... We will hear clear inner guidance from our I am presence as to ways we can improve these areas. So she goes on. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but she goes on to ask 
you know, we need to commune with our I am presence and find out about things like the foods that are nourishing our body and, and um, the beverages that we're drinking and any toxic substances and getting enough sleep and spending time in nature, music, time with our loved ones, laughing, playing, and loving, meditating and spending with time with God, and breathing the newly balanced and elevated holy breath. So if you haven't received that, that's on eraofpeace.org, or if you're on my, ma- my mailing list, then I did send that out yesterday. So important information for this time. And so we're going to take advantage of this time and this beautiful portal and Stargate opening by doing some very high spiritual activation. Now, this is uh, an old meditation, but one of the most powerful ones I've ever led people through. And this is from uh, Joshua uh, David Stone, and this is called the Ultimate Kabbalistic Huna Prayer and Meditation. So once again... Go back into your heart as we do this for one and all, one with all that is. Beloved presence of God, Goddess, Yorhe Vorhe, Mahatma, Council of Elohim, Metatron, Twelve Mighty Archangels and Archai, Cosmic Council of Twelve, Twenty-Four Elders that surround the Throne of Grace, Melchizedek, Lord of Sirius, Lord of Arcturus, Sai Baba, Vuwamas, Lord Maitreya, and Akamara, Chuakul, Babaji, El Moriam, Kachimi, Serapis Bay, Paul the Belician, Venetian, Hilarion, Beloved Sanando, Beloved Saint Germain, Ashtar Command, Melchior, Helios, and Vesta. With all my heart and soul and mind and might, I now call forth from the throne of God, God is all that is, from the golden chamber of Melchizedek and Sanat Kamara, the highest ascension activation program for my personal and cosmic ascension. I also request this activation in divine order for my core ascension group and all sincere ascension seekers on the planet And we ask that this be received in divine order for every man, woman, and child, as well as Mother Gaia. As I go through this prayer, I ask that these activations be given as I request them. And that they also be programmed into any and all ascension seats and light quotient building programs with which I am involved and which I am officially invoking now. I request that this divine program, ones and votes, continue in divine order, individually and collectively, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, until I achieve a 99% light quotient, the anchoring of my 50 chakras, the completion of my seven levels of initiation, the anchoring of my 12 strands of DNA, the anchoring and activation of my 12 bodies, and full God, Goddess realization on all of us. I request that this take place at night while I sleep as well. 
it is now time for all of humanity and the earth to fully complete their ascension. I invoke this now. Beloved Metatron and Melchizedek, please anchor and activate during the next divine period until fully complete. The following 76 keys as stated in the keys of Enoch. and the inner plane book of knowledge. Anchor and activate fully the 64 keys of Enoch on solar, galactic, universal, multi-universal, and cosmic levels in all five sacred languages. Anchor the Decadelta light emanations from the 10 superscripts of Yodhe-Bodhe. Anchor the 50 chakras, the 12 bodies, and the Melchizedek diamonds and crystals. Anchor the Nogan shells of Yodhe-Bodhe on a permanent basis. Anchor the divine template and the light grid of the Elohim permanently. Anchor Yodhe-Bodhe's tablets of creation. Anchor the cosmic Torah or of Yodhe-Bodhe. Anchor the scriptures of Melchizedek. Anchor the scriptures of Metatron. Anchor the Elohim scriptures. Anchor the light packets of the higher Kabbalah of Yodhe-Bodhe and Melchizedek. Anchor the cosmic tree of life permanently. Open all Sephiroth. Anchor the 76 sacred names of Metatron and Yodhe-Bodhe. Anchor Yodhe-Bodhe's living energy codes. Anchor Yodhe-Bodhe's book of knowledge. Anchor the gifts of the Holy Spirit as described in the keys of Enoch. Anchor the scrolls of weights and measures. Anchor the keys of the Melchizedek priesthood. Anchor the highest triad of Sephirothic knowledge. Anchor the divine seed of the Elohim. Anchor the keys to the Father, Son, and Shekinah universes. Anchor the biological codes for the Christ race. Anchor the scriptures of the luminaries and anchor the codes of, of the luminaries. Anchor the hidden divine word of Yodhe-Bodhe. Anchor the divine image of the Elohim permanently. Anchor the flame of Yodhe-Bodhe on a permanent basis. Anchor the knowledge of the next universe as described in the keys of Enoch. Anchor the ten pictures of the light of Yodhe-Bodhe as described in key 64. Anchor the entire treasury of light of Yodhe Borhe on an ongoing basis, nonstop, for the next period of time in divine order for each being, until the 12 dimensions and bodies in the 50 chakras have been completed. <clears throat> Illuminate permanently the 72 areas of the mind. Anchor the complete Yod spectrum. Anchor the permanent teleshift light field for divine protection. Anchor permanently the Father's eye of creation. Anchor permanently the garment of Shaddai, the light body of Metatron. Anchor the super electrons and microtrons so they can all replace existing electrons. Anchor the biostrata, the genetic superhelix, and the 12 strands of DNA. Anchor light frequencies to spiritualize our blood chemistry. Permanently anchor ein, ein sulf and ein sulf ore. 
bestow an ordination of the spirit of Yodhe Anchor the celestial marriage of our 12 bodies. Anchor the star codes of the Melchizedek universe. Anchor light geometries to permanently energize our etheric and physical vehicles. Anchor divine recorder cells as described in the keys of Enoch. Give us a permanent infusion of Shekinah life force. Let there be a baptism by the Holy Spirit. Please open all mind locks. Open all seven seals so we may be directly linked to the cosmic tree of life. Complete the opening of the gates of light all the way up to Yodhe and his treasury of light. Anchor the cosmic pyramids of light on a permanent basis. Activate our messiahship within. Anchor the robe of power of Joel Kuhl. Anchor the robe of power of Melchizedek. Allow the permanent anchoring of the sword of Lord Michael. Remove at this time all veils of light. Remove all veils of time. Allow a permanent anchoring of the tetragrammaton upon our inner minds. Allow a permanent anchoring of the divine plan of yod heh Anchor the light pyramid of the next universe of yod heh Anchor and activate all living energy codes so that our nucleic membrane may can attach itself to the larger membrane of the universe of yod heh Anchor the scriptures of luminaries to come. Anchor the sacred geometries and color codes to transform our chromosomes into the blueprint of yod heh Anchor the light packets of information from the Nakamadi codices and scriptures so we can develop a greater understanding of the 12 light bodies. Anchor on a permanent basis the electromagnetic body, epikinetic body, Eka body, gematrian body, over-self body, anointed Christ over-self body, Zohar body of light, higher Adam Kadmon body, and the Lord's mystical body. Permanently anchor our over-self bodies, the Elohistic lords, the paradise sons, the orders of the sonship, and the Christ over-self body, and the over-self body as described in the keys of Enoch permanently anchor the 12 foundations of the heavenly Jerusalem. Anchor and activate all pertinent light packets of information from the Melchizedek Dead Sea Scrolls. Fully anchor and activate the structural pattern of living light. Anchor the quantum mechanical corpuscles of light. Lastly, by the grace of God Goddess, anchor the entire treasury of light of Yodavwadeh. We request that our crone chakras be directly connected by a cylinder of light with this treasury under the divine guidance of Lord Metatron and Lord Melchizedek. We also request that the ascension columns in our ashrams be connected with this treasury if this be in divine harmony with God's will. We now pray with all of our hearts and souls and minds and might that these 76 activations that we have now invoked continue from this point forward on a nonstop basis until the 12 levels are fully realized. 
all in divine order. We are 100% serious about what we have invoked, and we ask by the grace of God, Goddess, if this is in divine order, that we receive the cosmic blessings we have requested for ourselves and for all. Kadosh, 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 Adonai Sabaoth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Beloved subconscious minds, we hereby ask and command that you take this thought form prayer with all the mana and vital force needed and necessary to manifest and demonstrate this prayer to source, to Yorhe Bodhe, to the Cosmic Council of Twelve, the Elohim Council, and the Archangelic Councils through Melchizedek and Metatron. As it, as it is, so be it. Amen. So send that prayer off directly to source. And then breathe it back in. As we say, beloved presence of God, Goddess, all that is. Melchizedek, Metatron, and Archangel Michael. Let the rain of blessings fall. Amen. And so as we receive this, again, we ask to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we've requested and received. We ask Gaia and Sandalfon to work with us. We are here to anchor this on, on earth as we anchor heaven on earth. And I know I I don't usually do <laughs> such a meditation as an opening here, but it was a time to take advantage of the 7-7 portal to receive this for ourselves and humanity. So we want to make sure everybody is grounded and back in their rooms, back in their bodies, fully integrated body, mind, and spirit so that you can... Stay open and receive and enjoy the rest of the program here today. Again, we want to ask this again, that this be digested uh, with ease and grace and joy and uh, assimilated at the right rate that is perfect for you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your part in this divine service here today. I invite you to service for their service every Sunday and Monday evening. When we do the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls, by telephone, teleconference line. So uh, you can go ahead and um, join us. We start at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. We start with greetings for about 25 minutes, and then Tar and Rama come in and give us a brief update. At 9.30, we start our work in earnest, uh, bringing heaven to earth through our prayers, our invocations, our visualizations, our meditations, and, and even the updates that we include. The phone number is area code 480 660 2224. Again, that's 
the access code is 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND. There's lots of numbers. There's local numbers. There's international numbers. There's an app for freeconference.com and a way to access it through the computer as well. So please, if you need that information, you need those extra numbers, contact me by email. My email is Cheryl Croce, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. So I wish you a glorious week. It's been the most powerful week here, and uh, we'll continue to build, and we'll have two more 777 portal openings, again, the 16th of July and the 25th. So it's going to be a powerful month as we build up to the Lion's Gate on August 8th. So infinite blessings, may magic and miracles fill every moment. And thank you for your service. We thank Tara and Rama for their service. And we thank Greenberg for her service. And Rainbird, this talking stick is filled with that rainbow white light. Again, every color imaginable. Um, every energy that we could possibly desire. And all those activations as well. So with love and gratitude, I pass this talking stick to you, Rainbird. Thank you, Cheryl. I'll take that talking stick. And thank you so much for your divine service as well. And it's a beautiful meditation today, and we all needed it. So thank you um, for that. Lots of gratitude. So we are a listener support radio program. And as such, it's all of us that make it happen. So I'm here to do that housekeeping and show you how it's done and remind you that we need donations uh, to support Tyre and Rala and support our radio program. So go into your heart space and see what is yours to give. And so this week we need $545.25 to cover the last two weeks or, yeah, the last week and this week. BBS Radio, uh, so let's reach deep and see what we can do. We should just a little, send a little. Um, whatever you can do, if this is a good time to do it. And so go into your heart space, see what is, you, what is yours to give. And then go to bbsradio.com, and you'll see our programs listed on Radio Station 1 schedule and the Radio Station 2 schedule for this one. This is Radio Station 2, so you look at the 3.30 hour on Saturday, and there's an icon there. If you click on that icon, uh, the program is True History, Hershey, and the Terror, and our Galactic Origin with Tara and Rama on Radio Station 2. So you'll see that icon there. Click on it, and that'll take you directly to our account with CBS Radio. And then on Radio Station 1 on Thursday, the night at the round table with the panel is at the 8 o'clock hour. And these are all central times, by the way. So we're located in Texas. Uh, (laughs) So at the 8 o'clock hour, we have the night at the round table with the panel. And you can uh, click on that icon that's there. 
and that takes you to our account. And then also the Friday night program, the uh, Hard News on Friday Nights with Tara and Rama is also at the 8 o'clock hour. So either one of those will take you there. So, yeah, let's, let's make those donations and, and catch up with our radio and get, get even with it <laughs> so it doesn't get deep. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your contributions. Contributions. Thank you for taking that action. So grateful for you, and we're so grateful for this way of leading each week. And we know we can do this together. So, uh, thank you for your participation. All the ways that you show up in your life. We're also assisting Tara and Rollin with their needs, and um, they just need for this week one hundred and thirty-seven dollars to cover covered two bills, the gas bill and the electric bill. Um, so let's let's make that happen. <laughs> As there'll be more next week for the other bills, so let's keep up with what their bills are. And they also need $200 for living expenses. Um, so the way we make a contribution to Tara and Rama is we want to co- uh, connect with the, their PayPal account. You can do that by going to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net and here on the home page you click on that menu grid there will be a list drop down for everything that's on that site and near the bottom of that list is a donate link click on that and that takes you to the rainbow roundtable paypal site uh, where you can make that donation in any amount as you wish to make that donation go a little bit further you can use um the friends option, and you access that with this email address. Coran, uh, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And then as you put that in and send your gift, that should um, be the friends option. So um, yeah, eliminate those commercial charges, and that helps. Either way, it's perfect. We're grateful for all your donations. Thank you for taking that action. Uh, we're so grateful for all that Tara and Rama have to offer us and what they bring forward and the discussions that come along with it. So we're grateful for those conference calls as well. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for paying attention to this matter. And uh, the other issue is the GoFundMe for they need a new. They need a new car. They need a new used car, and they require eight thousand dollars for that. And that's that's a bit much. But as we keep picking on it, we'll get there. <laughs> and uh, so, as you can contribute to the GoFundMe account, you'll find it at GoFundMe.com forward slash Rama to pay for a car repair and a new used car. Um, and there's hyphens between all those words. But I just, once you get as far as pay, you're you're probably, it'll be showing up for you. So it's going to link in as you put those words in. So Rama, pay for, to pay for uh, car repairs and a new used car or a used car, whatever. you get there. And so thank you for paying attention to that. Like, uh, all the contributions count there, and we we can get there as we as we 
keep on paying attention to it, just putting our attention to it. And um, and then knowing that as we pay it forward like that, we also increase the abundance coming into our lives. So use this opportunity to increase your abundance coming into your life by paying it forward uh, with so much gratitude and honor for those involved and honor for you. We're grateful for your lives and we're grateful for your participation. So 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. Um, as you're sending something to Tara and Rama through the PayPal, you need to let them know by um, sending Rama an email and let them know that you sent, put something into PayPal. So that ad- email address for connecting with Rama is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999 at Comcast.net. And then as you need it, the mailing address for Tara and Rama is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, P-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280, and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip code is 87567. I'll say it again. Post Office Box 280, Santa Cruz, New Mexico. Eight seven five six seven. So there you have it, all the information and so much gratitude for taking this action and keeping us abreast with these bills and the things that are needed for Tara and Rama and, the, and what's needed for the radio and support these programs. And with that, I'm going to pass this talking stick and it really does have all the lots of white light and all the colors and all the energy activations are coming right with it that we did today with Cheryl. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. And be aware that um, when the song started, it was real choppy and hard to hear. And when um, Cheryl was doing her piece, it was much, much better. But I'm a little concerned about what will happen from your end again as you play things. So um, hopefully it will sound good, but I just want you to know that it was pretty broken up in the first song you did. So greetings. Here comes his talking stick. Right. Yes. Um, will you call Don if it's choppy? Yes. I can call Don, but I don't know that I have the right number to do Yeah, that. What, what's going on? Well, Rain, tell, tell, tell Don what happened. It was just really broken up when they played the song, and we had we had mentioned it before we started. We said, oh, it'll be good. And it was it was some that way with Cheryl, but it was still, I could tell, it was wanting to break up, and I was sending all kinds of energy to keep it clear. <laughs> How's it doing now? Is it okay now? Hmm. It might be. It okay? might. It might be some internet bandwidth issues. Huh. Right. Don, what, what else? Maybe we should uh, tell everybody we're going to take a break and reboot our Skype right mm-hmm. now. It wouldn't be your Skype. Oh, okay. Yeah, you guys. Everybody sounds good. It's just the audio going back to Rainbird on the phone. So it might be. Um, it just might be our phone lines. It could be. Okay. Yeah. 
Do you know what to do about that, Don? I'm going to try to figure it out. <laughs> okay. I just said to Rainbird if she hears it being funny, because I know that last night it was fine. That yeah, but you were on a different system yesterday. Totally different. Oh, okay, because he said he couldn't hear any of the breakup, and we had to talk, call him, and I got four people calling me about the breakup, but he didn't hear it at the at, at your end. Right, right, understood. We might have some wonkiness going on with our uh, alliance. I'm, I'm just not sure. I'm going to have to uh, play with it and see what I can find out. Okay, I trust you to play with it. Yep. All right. All right, then, let's do this. All right. Thank you, John. Um, so greetings, everyone. Greetings. Thank you for being here. Rama, do you have something to share with what we had going down today? Um, just that the energies with the 777 portal pouring in now is lifting everything so much higher and I didn't really talk to anyone this morning it's um too many things going on I could just say that stay in the oneness like they keep telling us and um work with the ascension frequencies Dr. Greer is doing a CE5 contact this weekend to call in the forces of light. And What does that mean, he's doing a CE contact this weekend? Uh, he has created an app that's on the Android Google Play Store. And you can download it. You can talk to others around the world and do group meditations to call the ships in. And he goes out to a certain spot somewhere and uses a high-powered uh, laser to call the ships in. And he's doing it, you said this weekend, it's a, you, don't, you don't know what time, right? Uh, tonight, sometime after 9 o'clock. Oh. Yeah. If it's after 9 o'clock his time. It's midnight. Or no, it's earlier here. Yeah. It's 7 o'clock our time. Yeah, if you, is he going to do it just for the United States? Mm hmm. I don't really know. I got to go print out the piece. Because if you go to Europe, it's going to be. <laughs> I don't It'll know. It'll be two o'clock in the morning or three. Yeah, time is a trip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, what's the purpose of it? Uh, just uh, to call the folks in with all the intense stuff going on. As you know, peace is the order of the day rather than talking about war. I'll put it simply like that. War is over. Yep. 
And, you know, it's really about the attitude of the people. Oh, I was talking last night on the conference call about seven levels of consciousness, and it slipped my mind what the second level was. The first level was tribal consciousness, and there's nothing wrong with that. The way that they lived, you know, in very natural ways, their their way was to do ceremonies to call in the nature spirits. And when they went hunting, they made that a ceremony too. They planned not to eat for, it usually took about four days to go and hunt and get their prey and then bring it back. And they did a ceremony before they did anything when they got back to the camp they did a ceremony over the animal and it's just like the Sami people when they went hunting for the um, there's another name for deer up there it's not deer reindeer no it's not reindeer it's they call them something else I forgot yet they catch one and the whole tribe or clan they all gather round and they talk to the animal, and then they do a sacred ceremony, and the animal's consciousness is going right with the ceremony. And the, uh, I guess the lead, uh, you know, the, the, the man, he would look, they would look, you know, into each other's eyes. They would look, literally do a, a staring seance, like they would look into each other's eyes, and when they were completely connected with that, the woman would slit the deer's throat. And the deer would fall right into the female's lap. It's it's a, an amazing thing. And everybody worked together to create the food. And they all sat together in the whole group and and then they blessed the food, and then they ate the food, and then they celebrated. They celebrated the life of the deer and the gift the deer gave to them. That's called tribal consciousness. Then the next thing is called mass consciousness. Now that's a whole nother story, because about 6,000 years ago, the fallen angels thought this would be really great if they, you know... Uh, put all the mass conscious uh, people uh, at their beck and call, believing that they were their leader and that they would do everything that their leader said and they would trust that everything was going to be, you know, that's like um, a friend of ours just said to us that, uh, you know, she lives in Florida and... Um, she said that the Santas takes care of us, right, Tara? And I said, well, in order for that to be true, that person has to be authentic in their character. And then she repeated, you know, the Santas takes care of us, right, Tara? <laughs> and then I, I, I said to her, well, we know some things on the inside and one of the things is that for the last four or five years, 
DeSantis has volunteered himself to torture people in Guantanamo Bay. Well, that was before he became governor. Well, wasn't it four years ago? It was when he was in the military during the Iraq War. Well, this was, I thought you said this was when he was governor he did that. No, no. Okay. That was a while ago. When did he go on tour, two tours to Iraq? <laughs> well, you can't be in Iraq and be in the Guantanamo Bay torturing people at the same time. There's stories Abby Martin has on her website, The Empire Files. And oh. Yeah. Is that when you pay, saw that? You got to pay for it to listen. That's okay. You, so you didn't see it on her? No, I you didn't. You talked to the king about it? Yeah. Okay. So you didn't tell me all the details. No. Yet you cannot be in two places at once physically and nowhere at all. So you need to get to feel. At some point in time, DeSantis, for about four or five years, was gleefully, not just doing it as a chore, gleefully torturing people in in Guantanamo Bay. And then... When he, as he was serving in the military on two tour, tours in Iraq, that was a cover story for what he was really doing. This is four years where he was hanging out with dirty uh, military at a higher level, and they made deals with him that he made lots of money doing. He said, you go kill who we tell you to kill and we'll pay you very well. And he did that for four solid years and he made a whole lot of money. So these are things that he's doing and I think he got paid well to do what he was doing in Guantanamo too. So this is a, this is a different story that, you know, he's not sound of character. He's really good at hoodwinking people. Yet, I say this again and again, keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. Meaning, you love your enemies more. And it's really important because love is always the answer. You can love it from a distance. You don't have to do stuff that's stupid. And I'm just... <laughs> so I, I wanted to just keep that conscious awareness. The third is knowledge of good and evil. Now they've got thoroughly duped masses of people under their, you know, their sorcery power, not for good. So that at the next level, they select people out of that group of masses that are really good servants, and then they give them stuff to do in a way where they can rationalize their way all the way through that even though it's not a good thing to do, they're going to rationalize it and do it. And then you get over your head, and this is what happened to Nona Drump. His father wasn't his real father. He was hired to make sure that no love existed in his upbringing. So, what? Ha I mean, by the time Trump was 11 or 12, he had a collection of knives that were just like, 
he would go out into the, uh, I don't know where he got these things, but he was doing trading for knives. And he got a huge collection, and he was getting in trouble. Hmm. And that's when their uh, pseudo-parents put him in the military academy. And, and it went on like that. So Grumpf, by the time he was 19, he learned very well to be a, how to be a mob boss. How to decide if somebody's in your way, you just off them. And he's been doing that his whole life. Okay, now, t- just one more thing. Talk about dead people. Trump is dead. Biden is dead. Hillary is dead. That Queen Lilibet in 2008 was dead. Bill Clinton is dead. Bill Clinton. I mean, Bill Clinton. Is he? Oh, I think so. Somebody's up. Penny. Hi, Tara. Hello. Um, yes. Well, I, you were talking about the seven levels of consciousness. Um, did I miss something or did you finally finish the list? I know you didn't finish it last night and you missed number two. Could you just name them, please? Because I was putting them down in the notes and uh, they're gone now. They are, they're not there now. <laughs> just okay, want to let you know. One, thank you, Penny. Number one, Penny's a wonderful scribe. Number one, it's tribal consciousness. Right. Number two is mass consciousness. Oh, mass consciousness. Okay. Yeah. Number three is knowledge of good and evil. Okay, that's where I missed out here. Okay. Yeah, and at that number three, it includes organized religion who don't tell you the Uh truth. Yeah, I know we we were having a go at that last night. Okay, the next one. Number four is disciple consciousness. Okay, discipleship. Yes, and you might say that's the place where people find gurus. Yeah. Okay. Number six is initiate consciousness. Initiate consciousness. Okay, got it. And that's, that's the place where you're really learning by experience and doing it to be a master. Mm-hmm. And number seven, yep. number seven is called the monad. Oh, there's where that comes in. Okay. That's the seven. All right. At that point, you are a master, unless you decide to get distracted. With the matrix. Yeah, okay. Very yeah. well, very well. Is there Good. something? All right, that's fine. That's because last night you missed number two, and now you got them all. Okay, that's what I needed to know. All right, anything all else? All right, thanks. Commanders? What was that? Anything else, Commanders? Uh, not a, oh, yeah, I was going to tell you about that C5 thing. They go on, It goes on from 9 to 12, whatever uh, time zone you're in around the planet. So it, it's it's intended to go all the way around. Just go out on your deck and call the ships in. Yeah. And I guess you're supposed to use the protocol um, if you have friends uh, to do it with. So, but at any rate, it's nine to twelve in any time zone anywhere around the planet. 
So are the and as, Rand, as Rama was saying, it's uh, people have that um, protocol on their phones to use too. So I, I wanted to uh, just make that simple. It doesn't matter what part of the world. Nine to twelve at night. Very very good. I guess we'll be not doing that tonight, but or even later we can do it after the show. You can do it after too, I suppose. Sure, why not? You know, yeah. it's just, Our, and it's also by stating the intention, also. Absolutely, and all of that's on the internet or on your phone, the, the the instructions. Yeah, and you know, I just call for, I just call for my counsels and so on to come in. And uh, usually I get a visit from somebody. So, okay, that's so all. With pure intention, everybody, whatever we're doing, you can listen. You can do two things at once. But you might take a little peek out your window, and it might show up if you have that in your attention. That's right. You can never right. tell what you're going to say there. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, I'm going to sign out now, Tara. What's that? I said I'm going to sign off. Okay, tally ho. Okay, then. Namaste. Namaste. All right, I think we better get started. Now, what are we doing here? We're doing... This is six minutes, and it's a message from Aurora Ray about a shining light on Earth's ascension, Earth's evolutionary dance with Gaia. Okay, here we go. Earth's ascension unveiled. plan for Earth has always been ascension. You are being asked to hold the vision and mission of a world that works for everyone as you align with your own divine plan. You may be wondering if we will be here physically on Earth after the ascension. And yes, we will be. We will still have our physical bodies, and the planet Earth in all her beautiful blue-green glory will still be here. Do you know what this means? It means that we can create heaven on earth. How exciting is that? Many people reject this information as fact because they are afraid of change or simply cannot comprehend such a thing happening on our beautiful planet. However, it is up to each individual how they want to perceive this information, fear or acceptance and understanding, even though it may be difficult at times to accept something you don't think exists. Many amazing things are happening right now on our planet that point to this shift in the consciousness of humanity. The ascension of humanity is inevitable during the ascension of our planet. The ascension of our planet is as inevitable during the ascension of humanity. In other words, they are one and the same. This is because Gaia and humanity are one. Gaia is a sentient being, just like we are sentient beings. She feels love as we feel love. She feels fear as we feel fear. We have become so accustomed to referring to her as it, but she has many feminine qualities, just as women do. We can lighten up Gaia's energy so that she can ascend faster than us, which will help with our own personal ascensions too. A new era of light consciousness will begin, and the old ways that no longer serve humanity's highest good will fall away. 
As Earth ascends, humanity will experience a new era of light consciousness. The old ways that no longer serve humanity's highest good will fall away and be replaced with new systems that are more beneficial to everyone. You can help accelerate this process by loving yourself unconditionally each day, extending compassion and love to all people, being kind and patient with others, especially those who are still in denial, and spending time in nature as often as possible. By taking these small steps on a daily basis, you can help lighten the energy of planet Earth and bring peace and harmony to our beautiful world. The ascension phase that we are moving into could involve some difficult challenges, but it is okay because we have all done this before. You may be wondering what will happen during Earth's ascension. It is a good thing to ask that question because we all have the right to know what is coming our way, but we also have the ability to determine how things turn out. If you are asking yourself now about what will happen during Earth's ascension, then you are already on your path to making sure that you can help lighten the energy of planet Earth, and this makes a big difference. When Earth ascends, we all ascend together. Humanity, animals, plants, minerals, Gaia, everyone ascends. When Earth ascends, Gaia also evolves. When Gaia evolves and gets closer to her ultimate completion of creation, she guides all of the life on Earth through the same process. This includes humans, animals, plants, and minerals. We are all evolving together, and we are all in this together. According to Archangel Michael, when the planet ascends into a new octave, a new octave is a different frequency of vibration. The star seeds who have been working with her for eons upon eons, who are from many different star systems and civilizations throughout this universe, who have been assisting in anchoring light and energy for Gaia for some time now. They will be going home with Gaia, Archangel Michael. What does it mean we're going home? It means we're actually arriving in the original creation that God intended for us. It will be here, not somewhere else. But we will be living in a higher consciousness, in resonance and alignment with Earth. We are entering an era where everyone can know and experience their divine selves with more clarity than ever before. The ascension process may be challenging. In many cases, people are not aware of what they are going through, and they just think it's something that's happening to them. However, if you know what the challenges are, it will be easier for you to deal with them. The good news is that most of these challenges can be overcome and even avoided altogether. There is one thing you should keep in mind when dealing with the ascension process. You need to stay calm and let your body take over. You can't force your body to do anything. That's like forcing yourself into an uncomfortable position. If you try too hard, your body will respond by resisting any change at all. It's also important to realize that no matter how challenging things get on Earth right now, they will not stay this way forever. The cleansing must take place now first. Clearly, humanity still has some work to do before we reach an era in which everyone knows their divine selves with greater clarity than ever before. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation.
They get their word anyways everywhere, Ronald. Okay, we got to do this right now. We got Teresa Ballard up there. Yeah. Okay, this is some Teresa Ballard. Uh, oh, the same lady, Rama. Doctors JJ. The same lady we were trying to play for. No, JJ Vertek and. Oh, J- Doctors JJ and Desiree Hertek. Yes. And Hertek and J- and JJ, they wrote the Keys of Enoch together. Uh, let me preface this: that Metatron channeled the information, and they just wrote it down. Mm-hmm. So that happened. So and, and and this this talk is about on bridging quantum physics and consciousness. Let's do it. It's 57 minutes, everybody. Here we go. Welcome to New Realities. I'm Alan Steinfeld. I'm very happy to have my good friends and colleagues, the Hertox, with us talking about another level of science, consciousness, and mysteries. And along with us today is Teresa Bullard, Dr. Teresa. She's a physicist. She's a change agent. She's the host of the Mystery School Teachings on Gaia. And she combines the ancient mystery lineage with the new scientific approach and modern spirituality. So thank you, Teresa, for joining us on today's program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. So I thought that we would look at that junction of the spiritual, mystical, and what's being called the quantum revolution. So we'll start with you, Teresa. How do you define quantum science in terms of spiritual evolution? Uh, yeah, quantum physics, I mean, quantum really relates to quantum physics, but if you if you want to define the word quantum itself, it means that things are discrete instead of continuous, meaning instead of, you know, having a, a easy gradual transitioning from, you know, let's say the colors of the spectrum, uh, like you see in the rainbow, you have this easy gradual continuum or transition in that spectrum. But in reality, when you really zoom in, it's, it's, it's discrete. So there's actually little leaps in between, uh, which is what makes it quantum. So in between uh, is empty space is the gap, the quantum gap, the zero field, zero point field, where inside that empty space is infinite possibility. And simultaneously, you know, the, it goes, they talk about it uh, as uh, the forbidden zone in quantum physics. And when you go, you know, when a electron leaps, for example, from one orbit to the next, it disappears into this forbidden zone and then reappears in the next uh, level up, the next energy state. And so when we look at consciousness, uh, we, our consciousness needs to make like a quantum leap. We need to shift into a quantum way of being, uh, in order to emerge on the other side in a more evolved way, uh, a more evolved level of consciousness. So there's, there's very much a connection. And I believe that if we could bring the quantum principles into our everyday awareness, into our paradigm even that we use to view the world and ourselves and the place that we are, that we fulfill within that quantum paradigm 
would really help us to make that leap, make that shift in consciousness that we all need right now. I think what's also exciting, and Teresa mentioned it, is the fact that there's multiple possibilities. And I think in terms of consciousness and spirituality, you know, people are seeing themselves in a box. This is who I am. This is what I can do. But in actuality, there's infinite possibilities. And that's one of the things with the quantum field. Even the quantum computer, you know, they're starting to do this quantum computer. And instead of zeros and ones, which was the old computer, there's like every possibility is there. And then one is chosen. So things that used to take weeks for a computer to, we'll say, analyze and get a result from is now taking minutes and seconds. And that's because ever, you know, as many possibilities as possible that the computer knows is all coming together at once. And then the one is selected. This is amazing, really quantum leap that we're doing in terms of data information and hopefully in our own brains, our own consciousness. And we have to thank Professor Elaine Aspect for his background studies that led to the quantum field and ultimately the quantum computer idea. So everything's up for grabs. We're in a fantastic phase of beginning, shall we say, a, a, a new language process of quantum consciousness, realizing that consciousness can be measured and has physical properties according to our work at Stanford Research Institute. I'm holding up this book, Bond Dynamics in Space and Time, which is really the the 20-year study program that was done by the American government, primarily through the intelligence community, but also through the gifted scientists and physicists at Stanford Research Institute working with uh, Hal Putoff, Russell Targ, and of course, Elizabeth Rauscher, who wrote more than 450 papers. I had a privilege to work with her. John Archibald Wheeler was on her committee. And of course, we know his great contributions to the double split experiment. Right. So, yes, he did the delayed choice mm-hmm. experiment, which is an amazing phenomenon. It means that our consciousness, and I'm going to let Teresa add to this, but our consciousness whether it's past, present, or future, is always part of that field. So, I mean, basically what they... Go ahead. No, well, before Teresa answers that, just hearing all these um, facts about quantum physics, it parallels what we know about spirituality, entanglement, that we're all connected all the time, that we're... And also we're the observer, always observing. So how... Is this, Teresa, the spiritual of science, this quantum um, engagement, you think? Mm. You know, I think that there's, that, that is one thing that's starting to happen. So a lot of people in the various spiritual movements, especially some of the new age, are using quantum as a um, science, scientifically sounding language yeah. that is talking right. about mystical things. Right. And there are a lot of parallels. However, I also feel that there is a much more grounded and scientific approach to this happening as well, because there are, for example, quantum uh, correlates, uh, quantum phenomenon happening just within the brain. You know, you have the work of like Stuart Hammerhoff and and um, Roger Penrose, who, you know, talk about the 
microtubules that are existing within the myelin sheath that helps, you know, the functionality of our whole nervous system. And they say that the, these microtubules are one of the places that quantum phenomenon are happening. Uh, if you if you look at, for example, that, okay, consciousness is not maintained just within the brain. There is also a lot of evidence out there that consciousness exists within the field beyond, you know, within the biofield, but also within the field, the noosphere, you know, beyond uh, any local or, or temporal way of looking at it. So when you look at that greater field, um, it has non-local, non-temporal effects, which is a quantum space. You can't really look at consciousness just as a physical phenomenon. You know, like the materialist view of science is that it would be a, a just an emergent epiphenomenon from the brain right. activities. But there's more and more evidence that shows that no consciousness actually is primary. Consciousness comes before the physical. Consciousness is not something that is just mean like contained within the physical body or even a result of the physical body. So we have to start looking to quantum uh, science in addition to the wisdom of ancient spiritual teachings to, you know, really answer this question. What is consciousness? And how do we harness it? How do we grasp the fullness of this this potential that is within us? I'll ask the question the other way: Is there a spiritual, a science to spiritual incarnation in a sense? So that's like the other side of that question. What's the? Well, that's science? a very, that's a good question, Alan. And this whole idea of consciousness is uh, a term that yet has to be fully accepted by the scientific community. Some see it as the flow of sodium ions to the brain. Others see it as that reality that connects the micro universe with the micro, macro with the micro simultaneously. So there's all sorts of $10 words and definitions that are being thrown around. But in the ultimate sense, consciousness connects all realities. And Teresa is right by looking at the mystical traditions, the mystery schools of the Near East. And I, study this in Egypt. Uh, years ago, I learned the Coptic language and translating Coptic documents, the Desiree. Later on, we discovered that the Coptic Christians even used terms like the light year. Imagine this 2,000 years ago, light year, the, the separation between this reality and the heavenly reality. Uh, they also used the experience of awareness of the divine, uh, which would be translated as a type of super consciousness or higher consciousness. Right, and you asked the question about, you know, incarnation. Of course, we feel that really there's a higher self and we manifest into the physical form as needed. And in a certain sense, that is because there is a consciousness field, something greater than our brains. And I think uh, this is showing that when we need to manifest somewhere, that we can, we'll say, manifest in this incarnation, this place. So going back to a little bit of the idea of uh, the double slit experiment, which looks at the observer like we're the observer, but in actuality, I think we're influencing the consciousness field from our own decisions, our own choices of where we want to be, how we want to do things. Let me just describe the, it's Jung's uh, double slit experiment which really says that if someone's watching a particle, it can be, if you're not watching it, it can be a particle or a wave. And if you are watching it, it's always a particle. So now going back to Wheeler's uh, delayed choice, 
you think, well, if you don't think about it and we're just going to let it go through and then we'll make a decision afterwards, it seems that that screen that it's analyzing knows what you're going to be doing after the fact. So even before you knew it, the result of the experiment is showing that you are going to choose to watch it or not going to choose to watch Wait, it. Wait, that doesn't make sense because then everything would be a particle. So when is it a wave? Because no, it's a um, wave if you if you had decided if you never decided and at the end you never decide that it's going to you're going to look, then it's a it can be a wave. So you, so if you actually, never decide you're going to look and then you look, but maybe it knows no, you're going to look. No, if you look, if you look, then it becomes a particle. Even well, you look. have to look at some point. Can, <laughs> no. you, can you explain this, Teresa? Yeah, yeah go yeah, ahead. Let me let me help. So yeah. so when it comes to like a double slit experiment, wave particle, it really deter is about based on how you set up your experiment, right? So if I test, if I say I want to see if light is a wave, then I'll set it up where I don't put little detectors on the two slits of the, the double slit experiment. And then the, the, the light of the particles will pass through the double slit and they'll form a wave interference pattern on the other side. If, however, I say, well, what if it's a particle or, you know, let's see which slit it's going through. Then I put two particle detectors on the slits. Now it automatically, it forces the, the wave into particle form. So then you'll always see it going through one slit or the other. So what matters here is the choice that the experimenter makes in terms of how they're going to set up their experiment. How are we going to observe? And that's based on our assumptions. It's based on our biases. It's based on us testing a hypothesis. Um, and so what she's saying, though, is delayed choice is that there, the, the quantum phenomenon also is not bound by time. It's not bound by space, which we know from entanglement, right? You can have great distances across the universe and instantaneous transfer of information. But it's also not bound by time. So we can set up an experiment, run it, and then in a future moment in time decide, okay, now we're going to look as to whether it's a particle or a wave. And based on, you know, and it can be, you know, running, running its experiment, but based on that future choice, that will determine, uh, the results that happened before. But so wait, it's aren't not you always looking then. Isn't there always an observation then? Um, be, even with, because if you're looking in the future, you're still, it, there's there no is time. An observation that ultimately happens. Yes. Yeah. But then I, well, why wouldn't it always be a particle then if, if you're, because um, it, until it's observed, Right. Not only until it's Even in the future. measured, until it is conscious, until a conscious being becomes aware of what the measurement was and there was an actual observation, it's in a simultaneous superposition state. So it can mm-hmm. be both possible um, realities could come uh, at any time until an observation is made. So it's a way of tricking the observer, uh, the, uh, the experiment, uh, like, oh, I'm not going to look right now. But in the future, but that is re- reverse causality could be in fact there, right? Well, what it's testing is, is, is it, okay, we know it's non-spatial, right? We know yeah. it doesn't, doesn't rely on distance. Uh, is it also non-temporal? So they went to test, uh, mm-hmm. whether there is any causality in time or whether it's, you know, that's, it's time doesn't matter. And so basically quantum physics is saying space, 
it is an illusion. <laughs> yeah. The quantum realm space is an illusion. And in the quantum realm, time is an illusion. So there is only here and now, if you want to put it into more mystical terms. Okay. I like that because we, you know, it brings up so much because in, essentially we are beyond time and space. If the brain and the mind is a, a quantum um, kind of analyzer of reality, then essentially JJ Desiree, do you feel we are actually beyond space and time, JJ? Right. I think this is the, the mystical ubiquitous symbol used by the ancients to define observation was the, uh, the eye, the symbol of the universal eye that sees and knows in all directions, but is ever present. The eye of Horus or the divine eye concept that you find in the Rosicrucians or in England in the ancient Judeo-Christian text, the concept of the all-seeing eye was a recognition by the ancient philosophers that this is something beyond the normal. We're dealing with a type of what we will call super consciousness, the ability not only to see the double split experiment front on, but also on from the backside looking at the double split experiment. But Alan, as you know, Russell Targ is trying to analyze how much in the future can right. we know. And uh, I think it depends on the event because we do have free will. And I want to bring that in because we do make choices. And this is all about the choices that we make. So it's, it's quite complex in a certain sense, but it really does, I think, help us to understand we're part of this greater field. We affect each other. We affect particles. And basically, you know, what we put into the field is equally important to sharing and to helping humanity. I'd like to read just what I wrote years ago in the Keys of Enoch, chapter Key 313. Thus, there is a direct relationship between the size of the universe, the diameter of the proton, and the human range of vision, part of a larger mass energy space-time transformation, which involves changes in our basic concepts of the known universe. So we're really pushing the envelope to recognize that this is really beyond the traditional concepts of time and space. It's a timeless experience. Well, let me ask Teresa this question. So you're trained as, um, you know, an academic physicist, right? And that is the concrete world. That's the physical world. And the other side of that, there's consciousness. So there's this gap between the two. It's like, did did we evolved or descend from consciousness as the spiritualist feel or did we ascend from matter into consciousness and but we're trying to bridge that gap and i think there's a big piece missing between quantum physics newtonian physics i mean and consciousness and all that do you know what i mean what is missing why don't we have that gap filled in i that's a That is like the crux of the matter right there. (laughs) (laughs) Because the problem is that our paradigm, our whole way of thinking about the world, about who we are, about reality, all of this has been so um, attuned to the Mm -hmm. old classical physics way of thinking, which was based on Newtonian physics. And there were four major, four major components to that. One was that everything could be reduced to its parts. And if you understand how the parts then work, you should know how the whole works. But it completely ignores like synergy and complexity that comes from the interactions. Uh, number two was uh, materialism. 
that everything is physically real and material, and, and that is the only thing that is real. So it kind of separated mind and consciousness out into the realm of philosophy right. and religion can talk about that, but in science we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said it's, everything is separate, right? So we are separate from the experiment, and um, everything should be realistic, right? So these were mm-hmm. like the major uh, principles behind classical physics, materialist physics, and then you add to that Darwinian evolution, the survival. Right. And this has made, this has for, you know, several hundred years, this became the main paradigm that informed so much. And then that was reinforced by the industrial revolution and all of that. And, and now, even though we've had quantum physics for over a hundred years now, it's, it was such a transformation. It flipped everything on its head. Um, and it, even the physicists, even the scientists have had a hard time wrapping their heads around it as a paradigm. Like they say, well, it applies to the very, very small microscopic world, but it doesn't apply to the macroscopic world. But now we're, we're finding more and more that that's just not true because quantum principles, you know, we've seen them working at biological levels. We've seen them working at even cosmic levels, black hole levels, you know, the whole universe is quantum and we are quantum. And so the, the missing piece is really the mindset. People are still trying to approach life as if it's materialist, you know, the old Mm -hmm. paradigm. And um, as if everything is separate, as if everything is deterministic and reductionistic and all of this. And they're not embracing this quantum paradigm as a way of viewing ourselves in the world. The quantum paradigm says everything is connected. Everything is complementary. Everything is based on the context you give it. It's not just only one answer for all things. There's this context and consciousness plays an important role. Now, the scientists in the traditional academic world don't really want to let consciousness into the, into the good discussion. They want to keep it in the closet. Um, but ever since you had the Copenhagen interpretation from Niels Bohr and, and, and some of the fathers of quantum physics, like they, talked about consciousness very open. They talked about the observer effect, that it is when we choose to make an observation, we actually collapse the waveform. We take it out of this sort of quantum almost superposition into a manifested reality. And our consciousness cannot be separated from the whole. and, And so, and they even said, you know, some of them like Schrodinger was asked, well, how many minds are there in the, in the world or in the universe? And he said, there's only one mind. And that goes mm-hmm. back to ancient hermetic teachings, ancient, you know, various wisdom teachings of, that talk about the universal mind or that the mind is all and that everything is ultimately created from within that universal mind or that one mind. And so we are, I would, that would say that consciousness comes first and mm-hmm. then through consciousness, through thought, through a application of, of directing that thought through will, and directing the forces of creation, it then ultimately comes into physicality. And of course, we agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, yes, consciousness is everywhere. And I think the thing is, though, we can put energy into the field, but we also can be part of that universal mind taking information from the field. We're really these biotransducers in a certain sense, sending and receiving information. Yes, Alan often says something about like uh, the radio. But I just want to say in terms yeah. of remote viewing, because this is something that Alan, I know you do a lot 
with as well. Mm-hmm. And that is the fact that when uh, Russell Targ and Elizabeth Rauscher analyzed the remote viewing uh, analysis of, say, going over to Russia to look at, you know, maybe one of the secret military bases there, they did a test on time. And they found out it was instantaneous. So it wasn't that going there and coming back, which would have been maybe limited to the speed of flight, even though that would have been fast. They found that the mine in remote viewing was instantaneously there, which is also saying that we're part of that quantum consciousness field. And this is the importance of the studies, mind dynamics and space and time, as you transcend all of the paradigms. To say it another way, matter, the physical comes out of consciousness as well as the mental comes out of consciousness. So we we are looking at a redefinition of consciousness as more pervasive, universal. Well, no, I'm just thinking, taking what Teresa and the Hurt Talks said together, maybe we need to shift our point of view um, in the sense that if we take consciousness as primary, then we can include the Newtonian world. But the Newtonian world cannot include the quantum metaphysical world. And so mm-hmm. if we could educate scientists to say, well, first there was the one, the all, the all in all, the one consciousness. The, it's all one consciousness. Like Max Planck said, it all comes down to consciousness. And um, yeah. Well, that was the whole idea of the SRI experiments is to train scientists who were top in their field who were – logical positivists, or we would call them reductionistic materialists, to realize that they could actually leave their point of observation, travel to any part of Mother Earth in a particular time, tune into another mine and record information without technology. And, you know, we're talking about the mine and being somewhere remote viewing. You can do testing and you can see that it works. But there's also remote healing. There's also transformations where we're able to send our energy to... We've done it to alter weather patterns, you know, to go around major cities when there's tragedies, maybe that could happen. There's so much empowerment that we have, but not because we're pushing something away with our hands, but because we're actually lending our energy to that quantum consciousness. Well, well, well Donald Hoffman just won a prize, one of the prizes for I, from IONS. Were you aware of that, Teresa? You won a kind of a, a theorem for non-local consciousness. You know Donald Hoffman's work? He says time and space are doomed, and he's looking at it from a scientific um, overview that there, I think even Einstein said time and space are just um, um, things we function in, in a sense, but they're not real unto themselves. They're fabrications of the mind, essentially. So mm-hmm. how how do you fit that whole idea of this transcendental reality that's beyond time and space, which is consciousness. How do you fit Mm -hmm. that into science in that way? You know, I love what you said earlier, if I can just comment back where you said, you know, when we take that view, if we just shift to the consciousness's primary view and then Newtonian, you know, reality Mm -hmm. can fit into it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's similar to what happens when we shift to a higher dimensional view of, of something, Mm -hmm. right? If you look at, look at just an ant, you know, running on a piece of paper, um, and it seems like everything is flat and straight, but actually, if you look from a three dimensional perspective, actually that ant is running on a sphere or ball. And you can see up close and you can see that, you know, reduction of the two Mm -hmm. feet. 
but you can also see the 3D and the higher perspective. So I think that that's really good what you said there, because when we come from that consciousness as primary, it is a, a multidimensional experience. Yeah. And when we, you know, as we step our way down, quantum physics is sort of like a bridge into this 3D reality that is approximated by Newtonian physics. So yeah. Newtonian physics and statistical mechanics and all these things from the classical physics world is an approximation in this sort of macroscopic level of 3D reality. But at the at, when you go down to the fundamental levels of it, it's very quantum. And when you go beyond the quantum, whatever that next step is into unified field theories, it's multidimensional. Yeah. And so we have to go to much higher and higher dimensionality of things. Um, and when you look at yeah, time and space is very much a function of 3D reality mm-hmm. in the physical yeah. manifestation. But when you go into higher realms, the time is folded, space is folded, and, and they can, you, what appears to be very distant here, mm-hmm. there in those higher dimensions can actually be folded over and connected and instantaneously in one place. Right, but you make a good point that um, Newtonian physics is functional. It works. This is why people are so attached to that paradigm. And they and so, JJ, Desiree, how do you go beyond that paradigm and make a kind of quantum spiritual reality practical? That's my question to you. Well, yes, you have to look at other dimensions. You have to look outside of yourself. And you have to realize also that you're empowered to be part of that field. I think that's one of the other problems that people have. They don't feel that they're empowered. They think, you know, like say during COVID, they were sitting in their room at, uh, or in their house and there were no communication unless they, you know, got onto Zoom or got onto a phone call. That's not reality. Well, they have a bottom below consciousness. They're taught by the cultural norms that they are finite and they cannot experience the infinite. And in the ministry school traditions that Teresa is familiar with, and we also, there's a recognition that the mind has certain endowments of connected with the universal consciousness. It's certainly a global mind where we have the power to reach out and to experience simultaneously, right. not only one dimension, but multiple dimensions. And we use it to help heal the planet because our energies can go to a place where there needs to be healing, whether it's from an earthquake or from, you know, weapons of war type of thing. Or we also use, and I think Teresa does too, to reach other we'll say energy beings because, you know, people talk about the fifth dimension or the 10th dimension. And, you know, they think, well, if I get to the fifth dimension, like I'm there, you know, and and, like, who else is there? (laughs) Is there anyone else there? Is it just you? But in actuality, there's myriads of beings there. So you can get information. You can see things about these other dimensions. You can get, you know, well, I think that really answers the question that I asked. How is it practical? Because intention is intention works manifestation works and this is a practical app like even though western mainstream newtonian science wouldn't wouldn't agree that thoughts are things if you put your intention on something you even said desiree you moved the fire that was coming to sedona because you and a group of people intended it and so is that good proof teresa yeah talk about that i i love this conversation because you know when you talk about well you know newtonian physics is practical it was a hundred years ago, <laughs> but in our world today, you know, with digital and quantum, everything has been speeding up. 
And, you know, Newtonian mindset is very linear, very limited, very mm. logic oriented. And, and it actually is creating a box within pe- which people have to operate that is very limited and it's making it very difficult for them to keep up with right. the interconnectedness and the fast pace and the accelerated and the multidimensionality that we need to be operating at today and into the future. It's only going to keep increasing. And mm-hmm. so quantum physics as a paradigm is extremely practical for the point of, of, of evolution that we are at right now as a human race, because we need to be thinking and functioning in a much more multidimensional way. Yes, recognizing thoughts are things. And also it's already proven scientifically. For example, some of the research from Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab at, at you know, the PEAR Research Lab, where they did random event generators and random mm-hmm. number generators. And they've shown to like, I think their their statistics was like one to eight billion. Uh, I mean, it was really, really solid evidence that our thoughts can affect and move things away from randomness, even though there shouldn't be any physical ability to change something from randomness, like a quantum phenomenon mm. has a random unpredictableness to it. Right. Uh, or a random walk, you know, a computer that's just generated mm-hmm. to create a random walk. Or, you know, you think of like uh, bingo and the balls kind of bouncing around mm-hmm. on on the pegs and it's hard to guess. Right. These are all random event generators. And they've shown that our thoughts can affect it and, and move it away from random into a more ordered uh, according to intention. So, you know, these well, experiments have already been done. That is so good that you, you're saying basically our technology is pushing us to understand we are multidimensional quantum beings in a sense. And I, I think that's a great use of technology if, it, if we can be on top of it and not let it control us. Yeah, Desiree, you were yeah, saying. Yeah, and she was talking about, you know, the randomness being able to be changed yeah. by the power of the mind. But in addition to that, one of the things that the peer group had to come up with is the fact that even 9-11, that people right before 9-11 had sensed something odd. So even in time realities, they started connecting with that situation, which is an amazing thing. Well, that, that was it. There was no longer random. The number generated already started to take on a pattern. This is what Roger Nelson at Princeton with the random number generator looked at those random numbers that were started to form patterns before planes hit the World Trade Center, like hours before. And they just noticed there was something odd going on pre-dating, pre-cognizant of that event. How do you explain that, Teresa, pre-cognizant awareness? Well, that's that, That's almost a similar idea as the right. delayed, you know, right. Right. where they, uh, it, yeah, it's pre-cognitive, but the event happened a few days later, but it registered mm. in their consciousness, you know, a few days before, in the mass consciousness, which then affected the random norm generators. So, so again, time is not um, a, a, a you know only forward moving linear causal kind of thing like we have from the classical world. It's it, it is non linear. It is uh, non temporal even in the quantum realm. And consciousness operates within a quantum field uh, versus just a, a physical kind of phenomenon. And, right. And so yeah. And even in the remote sensing studies, we had off planetary off observations. I saw the pyramids on Mars in a mathematical relationship before NASA got there. Ingo Swan, my colleague, saw a ring around Jupiter. 
before NASA got there. So we have the ability to expand this consciousness beyond planet Earth. We're not localized only in one planet. Consciousness ultimately has the ability to see much larger picture. But the bigger question here is that um, if we have that facility, who are we really as human beings? And of course, this is what mystery schools are about. So the mm-hmm. essence of human being, the essence of the soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it, is beyond time and space. That's our essential nature. We and are a universal is, consciousness in human form. Right, right, right. So, so we're uh, eternal and infinite, yeah. right? So no so, time, no space, eternal and infinite. Exactly. So in the mystery schools that you're part of, Teresa, how does the adept, the initiate, start to feel into their own infinite nature? I know JJ and Desiree have their own incredible spiritual practices and mm-hmm. and mantras. and But how do you do that, Teresa? You know, it, it's a combination. I mean, we start mm-hmm. off with the teachings, just helping them to hear, just having mm-hmm. the the concept taught to them that you are an eternal being. And that means that you've never been born and you can never die because you're eternal, which also means that you are God. You are divine. You there is no limit. And at first, you know, we, we introduce these teachings right away. And at first they, they, they go, oh, yeah, it feels good. But I don't know. You know, it's like the, the subconscious and the ego and the identity just sort of limits it. But the more they hear in time, the more they accept. But then to experience it. Yeah, we also have various tools of meditation, ritual, chants. Uh, you know, group ceremony work and raising vibration and alchemy and ascensions and activations and initiations and all of it. That is the, the, the work of the, the spiritual journey of transformation. And as we go through that, that transformation and, and you never really reach an end to it because as far as you go, you've evolved, you've, you know, you've expanded your consciousness and raised your vibration, but now there's further. And then there's further, mm-hmm. because if we're truly infinite and truly eternal, there is no end. Um, and so we're always on that journey of taking it to the next level. And, and the ancient mystery schools have so many tools and teachings and methods that have been preserved through these ancient traditions mm-hmm. and handed down to be able to, you know, they're like the, the, the spiritual technology for awakening our consciousness again to who we really are and the, the power that's within right. no thank you that's great go ahead Desiree yes I had and we feel that this planet right now or our experience here is really the schoolhouse for the soul and so you know whether we get challenges from the earth or whether we are able to start growing into higher realities we feel and you were saying Teresa that things are speeding up so much we feel that if you do it from an emotional body, well, like I have to be here because I love that or whatever, or, you know, you're using it in the intellect. Well, it seems logical that I am, you know, going to this job and then I go to that job, whatever, you know, that's all not going to be working anymore. We have to use our higher self or our greater consciousness tapping into the divine mind and we use we're God's small g. We do think that there's a greater universal mind, but ultimately that's the way that we're going to be able to grow, evolve, and spiritually link up. So this is the optimization of the infinite way. And this mm-hmm. consciousness uh, studies that we've been part of worldwide is redefining a type of new spirituality. Ultimately, science and spirituality converge. And we recognize that we are co-creators and involved in a fantastic mm-hmm. program 
of being here, but also throughout the universe. I, I just want to okay. say one more thing. So in our book, Over Self-Awakening, which is part of this, the very first thing is exactly what Teresa said. Know that that reality exists. And most of us doubt it. And when you doubt it, even if you see it, you start backing away. When you know it exists, then you start moving into it. Right. But I want to bring it back to one of my favorite subjects, making contact, you know, because these ETs, whatever's coming in and out of our dimension is not using Newtonian physics, obviously. It's yeah. not propulsion. It's not putting uh, something out. You get something back. And we're still running our world, our trains, our planes, our, you know, everything on Newtonian physics. So the big practicality for the quantum world, and I think quantum physics is really just an in-between to something we have yet to really discover but how could we reach these understanding of ETs? And it's coming out. We are at the precipice of a paradigm right now. It's happening in Congress. If you've seen the latest disclosure, we're about to be, they're about to roll out the bodies and the crafts and we don't know what's going on. So yeah, Desiree, you want to jump yeah. in there? Yeah. yeah, I just want to say, well, we just did a, a film with you with James Fox that had yeah. to do with the Vargina case. And I brought up the fact that they, these ETs, when they were working with the doctors who were trying to save their lives, used, uh, we'll say, telephone or, or telepathic communication. Mm-hmm. And James had heard about that. He didn't put it in his film or anything like that. But he, when he said what Roger Lear was told mm-hmm. that right. the ETs said, and I've been playing this for people, is the fact that it's sad that you are so advanced and you don't know who you are. That's what the ET said to the doctors and well, the people. That's in the room why we have Teresa died. here. Tell us, tell us, <laughs> no, but well, tell us real, go ahead. Yeah. I think, I mean, this is such an exciting time with all of what is coming out and it's, yeah. this is not just the woo woo people anymore, the crazy people. Like, no, this is legit people who are coming mm. forward and, you know, disclosure is finally happening. And yes. yeah, I agree with, with you, Alan, that, that quantum physics is a bridge, but we have to start thinking quantum. Um, because we, these, these technologies are right there. They're right there about to be exposed. And we have been held back probably, you know, centuries worth of progress mm-hmm. because they have mm-hmm. been kept secret. But yeah. right now, I, my big question is when these technologies come out, like free energy, you know, zero-point energy devices, mm-hmm. anti-gravitics, and, you know, the ability to clean the air, the ability to, to clean anything and, and completely take the world off the grid and off reliance upon fossil fuels and so forth. My question is this. If you give these high-quantum-level technologies to the masses, what are they going to do with it? Where's their consciousness at? They're going to make bombs out of free energy, right? A- AI, uh, quantum computers. No, but, but potentially let's, we have to educate. Might, you know, it, it's, consciousness needs to shift, basically, for us well, to how, well. how do we do that? That's the big thing. Many we people have to raise consciousness. That's what we're here for. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And our, our roadmap, I believe, will put us in touch with our cosmic engineers, our scientists, from the cosmic cultures who are on our doorstep, and this will be a mutual learning process. In fact, Alan, your book, Making Contact, leads to other books. I've just published this book with the Brazilians who were behind yeah. the study of Argina, uh, and they suggest, as we do in this book in Portuguese, that we need to have an intergalactic law. We need to be able to be active participants in the trade-off of scientific knowledge now 
We can't wait another 40 years. We have to realize other governments besides the United States are actually poised to bring about a whole new educational understanding that we are cosmic citizens. That goes with higher consciousness. That goes with higher love. That goes with the spiritual mystical tradition that we are all connected. So this is the big roadmap that we need to preach, to teach, to share. But it has to be a positive vibratory experience, not just an intellectual experience. And that's the scary thing with AI, because AI is going to be us and with a little bit more power. So you can imagine, you know, it's going to be good if we're good. It's going to be bad if we're bad or whatever, we, you know, is programmed into them and from the Internet and everything like that. And in addition, the quantum computer, just to let people know, it is the superposition of all possibilities, pretty much, or at least everything that can be you know, we'll say thought of. And so passwords, as we know it, will be obsolete because they could break, a quantum computer can break a password in probably seconds. So, I mean, there's such a shift and we're not ready for it in a certain sense, even though we're all trying to help people become more loving, more caring, more understanding. Once we can achieve that, then these computers, these AIs will be fabulous. But we have to... Oh, I just want to say we have to teach the quantum principles as matter of fact that our if consciousness is one and our consciousness and we're entangled. If I do something to you, negative, you know, steal, rob, whatever, I'm doing it to myself. I mean, people just have that as an idea, but the practicality is that we really are one. So what were you going to say, Karen? Well, yeah. I, oh, I, I mean, this, this, this learning that quantum paradigm and really yeah. learning how to live it and embody it is something that that is I'm very passionate about and mm-hmm. we are working on with the quantum learning academy which is how do we do this how do we take on this paradigm and integrate it and i really want to emphasize here to people that we can't wait for a top down approach you know like the leaders are going to start then and the educators are going to change it and you know that top down approach is done um, that, that that top-down approach has gotten us where we are. What we need right now is is bottom up or inside out, where each individual, you know, really takes on like I can do something. I can start being part of that change, and I can at least work on shifting my mindset and my paradigm so that I can make the leap. And as I do that, then I can help others make that leap. And as we all start to serve the collective evolution of humanity, then we become the game changers. And that that's actually the book that I wrote was the game changers. How do we mm. become social alchemists in the 21st century? How do we help be active participants in this evolutionary leap that we are going through. It's a very exciting time to be. So this is the importance of this conversation. Mm -hmm. We're reaching out to a whole new educational approach with Teresa and you, Alan. And this is a very important aspect of the educational outreach without borders, without uh, top down. We're on the grassroots level. The academy work that you're doing over in Europe, Teresa, with uh, Academy for Future Science, Science by consciousness is what we're doing in North America. We're reaching around the planet now because the planet, we believe, is going to go through a consciousness shift. It's coming. It's obviously uh, attracting people from all backgrounds. These spinoffs go into sociology, go into economics, go into human relationships, overcome narrow-mindedness and paradigms of what I would call authoritarianism. Now, this is a whole new rebirth shall we say, that's taking place from within. Mm-hmm. And it's a joyous conversation we're having with you. Right. If you don't want to believe us, go read about near-death experiences. Because when people leave the sci- 
the slides, they usually have a life review. And it's not from their perspective. It's from if I hit him or if I hurt him, I feel his energy. You don't right. realize how interconnected we all are and how we affect the, the whole paradigm. Well, that That's goes a back to example okay. of quantum consciousness. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, just what you're saying there, that, that experience that people have when they're having their life review is a fantastic example of quantum consciousness where we recognize we're all connected. And what I do to them, I'm doing to me. But now, you know, we're seeing it from that quantum conscious perspective in the afterlife. But we can start to have that consciousness here and now. And I love that all of us have this synergy. We're all working towards mm. that same mission. Um, and that there are other people out there who are also doing what they can do to be part of helping, you know, show the way forward. Mm-hmm. And that way forward is not about like, oh, the Messiah is going to come and save us. And then, you know, or the aliens are going to come and intervene and fix all of our problems for us. It's you no, know, we are going to become you know, the, the, the ones we've been waiting for. We are going to become the ones that our ancestors have been prophesying about and awaken, right? This is a mass collective awakening where we become the change and we create a whole new world on this planet. Right. And I totally agree. And I think that's the importance of not just teaching and philosophy and theory, but experience. So that's what mystery schools are about. I was in a mystery school. What the Hurtocks are doing, not quite a mystery school, but they do practical approaches. We're going to Egypt for the ancient initiations that are still vibrating through those old temples. So it's about, you can hear these conversations until you've had an experience of out of body or energy healing or transcendental awakening in a sense. It, it, it just sounds like words, but because the vibration of the planet is shifting in, in a quantum Healed sort of way, it's affecting our physicality and people are having more experiences, having more contact with ETs, having more, people are calling me all the time and saying something weird happened to me. I just transcended my body. I, I, I let go of my old self. I mean, and they're a little confused. So because it is a new thing, it's not taught in schools and we have to make uh, the mystery school an everyday approach to life because it's experience that's really going to change and awaken the planet. So it's a type of collective awakening. Even if you look at the early mystery schools of Christianity, it was based upon the way, not the individual of the historic Jesus, but the way of realizing we are all part of the cosmic Christ. In the Hebrew, Mashiach, Mashishi, the collective messiahship, the garment of light. And this is, I believe, going to lead to the shift whereby not only do we see the unity of the mystical, but also the metaphysical traditions of the indigenous people will speak uh, directly to why their sacred areas seem to be more open to the coming of the cosmic cultures. We are in a fantastic area of time and space, and we had, Desiree and I had the privilege of working with some of the astronauts who had profound spiritual experiences on our space, realizing that we're all part of this totality of the divine experience what a wonderful experience realizing they are all part of this infinite way of life of the infinite mind the infinite way the infinite specieshood of consciousness speaking to our hearts minds and spirit just want to ask Teresa if you can lay out just sort of simply I know it's like a course the whole spectrum of sense of where we need to go from the uh, or understand from the physical reality into the quantum consciousness reality how do you see that 
kind of laid out for people interested in wanting to learn. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I think, I mean, this is one of the things that I'm actually making subject of my next book, <laughs> which I'm currently writing. And, and, you know, there's, there's really three simple key principles of the quantum reality. Number one mm-hmm. is connectedness. You know, you, you talk about entanglement, uh, but it's through time and space. We are all connected. And the more that we can start to see our connectedness to everything, we're living in a highly connected world now. So it's a lot easier to see. But, you know, on your day to day, I think both you and JJ said that, you know, it's our day to day. We have to start really living this and the tools um, are one of those ways that we really come to create a pattern of life on in daily living that helps us make that shift. And I see that very much it's a, a merging of spiritual and uh, quantum and physical. It's they're coming together. Quantum is sort of the bridge for the two, for the physical and the metaphysical, and the quantum kind of helps us yeah. make that leap. And um, second is consciousness itself. You know, we have to learn to harness our consciousness, focus it. You know, a lot of people with a law of attraction stuff, it's like, well, if I just make the affirmations and think it and meditate upon it, it's going to happen. But there's there's so much more that goes into how do we harness our consciousness? We have to come to a high level of coherence. We have to learn to really first come to stillness and quiet the mind and really hold that state of of stillness and quietness. And then with very coherent thought, bring in what we want to create. And then there's another key principle of quantum physics, which I think is the harder one for people to understand, and it's called complementarity. And But this is where that wave-particle duality comes from. This is where things like time and energy are entangled or uh, momentum and space, and they're these complementary pairs. And it's in mm-hmm. that space of um, you know, uncertainty, right? They talk about the uncertainty principle. It's in that uncertainty that we need to learn to not fear the uncertainty, but embrace the uncertainty. Because in uncertainty is where you have infinite possibilities come forward. Mm. That's right. where you can start to create from many, many opportunities, many, many possible realities, and you select what you want. But you can't fear it, right? Mm. And if we fear it, we're going to create what we fear. But well, if because, we, yeah. Yeah, stay attached to what we know and and stay attached to separateness. I think on some level in the future, we'll realize that consciousness is energy, energy is matter, waves are particles. We're just seeing it very separate because we're looking at a very limited perspective. Yeah, so both and instead of us or. And instead of saying, well, there's only one truth and it's my truth and yours is wrong. No, there's many, right? There are many perspectives, many possibilities. Well, so this, yeah, this is the kind of stuff we train people with. And, you know, the, the mystery school, what I love about it is, is, is it's adapted for a modern way of life. It's a modern mystery school. So how do we bring these ancient traditions and practices to support our experience and going through that alchemical journey of transformation and bring it into daily modern life and a modern way of living? Uh, and so I think that's really important. Really well, important. that is so important. That is great. Thank you for joining us. I think we're re- with what you're saying, Teresa, and what doctors JJ and Desiree are saying, that we are at the cusp of, of awakening to new realities. That's what I call my program. New now, realities. add to that, Alan and, and Teresa, yeah. the, the experience, not only the intentionality, but we must have the actual experience, the inner yeah. vibratory experience. Yeah. This is another phase of what I will call the next unfoldment of consciousness, 
is to realize there is a loving and joyous experience that goes not just a uh, intellectual reflection, but an actual outreach of the heart, as I see in hearing Teresa as a spiritual sister, you as a spiritual mm-hmm. brother. This is a, t- a new type of hol- holistic relationship. Yeah, we, we are, are on the cusp of a new age, a new time. It's really exciting that these concepts are being talked about and embraced in mystery school teachings, in the works of J.J. and Desiree Hurtock of the Academy for Future Science and what I'm doing. It really is an adventure into the unknown. And it, I think it can only get better from what the awful horrors of the 20th century were and, and maybe even parts of the 21st century. But we're, it's changing. It is changing. We are the game changers, like your book says, right, Teresa? How can people find you, Teresa? Yeah, if they just go to TeresaBullard.com, uh, you'll find all manner of, of resources. You'll, you'll see about my mystery teaching series on Gaia, my book, uh, mystery school teachings, quantum learning academy, everything I do. I also have a quantum minds TV, which the her talks have also been on with me. And we talk about, you know, this time in the shift in consciousness. And I just love this energy. I just want to say thank you because I love the synergy and I love and so appreciate that all of you are bringing such a positive message of empowerment and hope for people in these times, because if you just listen to the news, it's all very scary right now. But I think we are living in such an exciting time and there is a lot of hope, a lot to look forward to. And we just need to be conscious in how we approach it today. I think there's a lot of hope. The fact that we're having this conversation and people are hearing it and awakening possibilities is part of that hope. And we're, I mean, we need hope because if we take the other end of it, it's like, what's the point? But we're here for a reason. We're here to uplift the planet in whatever little way we can or big way. And, and, and if all of us did it, we'd have a changed world. So the Hurtox teachings, how can we find you, Desiree, JJ? Yeah, so I love the synergy that all of us bring together. So always a pleasure to be with. We are Homo Universalis, universal humanity in teamwork, mm-hmm. in love, in teaching, that we are always united. And our websites are keysofenoch.org or futurescience.org if you want more of the science. It's amazing. I think we're 8 billion people ready to make that quantum leap into the cosmic reality. We are. We're about to hit the hundredth monkey effect, and we're all going to wake up to the fact that we're entangled. Mm-hmm. I mean, the just the air quality here in New York City right now, it's because of fires thousands of miles away. And, and actually, this we have to re- – it is more important than ever to realize that we're one species on one planet, and we have to do something about that. So um, – Thank you. Thank you, Glad Teresa. You so. Great to Thank see you. you, see, talk to you. And, and I'm Alan Steinfo for New Reality. Subscribe to this channel and check out my website, newrealities.com. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're going to jump right into the next one for the sake of time. Okay. And this is our friend Michaela, Sheldon, and Ethan Fox. This is an hour and 38 minutes. We're going to squeeze it right in in this afternoon. So here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Awaken Empowered podcast. I'm Michaela Sheldon. I'm here with Ethan Fox. 
And from time to time, we're planning to do an audience spotlight where we answer the questions that are coming in on the various platforms. Um, and there's many that we can work through. So, so you'll see us introducing some new topics eventually, but, but we've got some more questions. So we thought we would take those. Um, and we're going to start out focused on the pandemic here with a couple of interesting questions. So, so the first one is, I'm feeling this weird, unpleasant magnetic energy coming from those who've taken the, the vaccine that became available in 2021. It's a physical feeling. A few channels and spiritual teachers say it disconnects you from your soul and your ability to go through ascension. This is based on the work of Steiner. I would love to hear your view on this. And also, why did so many spiritual teachers fall for the psyops? You want to start with that? Sure. Um, So I've done a lot of channeling on this and a lot of personal research, obviously. I think we're all doing that these days. Um, So I have, you know, drawn my own conclusions and I've definitely heard, you know, what you're talking about here about the soul detaching from the body and not being able to, you know, experience awakening. So First, I will say I definitely think that anything that we put in our body, including this vaccine, that is inorganic and a toxic substance is actually lowering our consciousness. So so I have a different take on the whole soul thing. Um, However, I did have a very visceral experience. So I'm obviously um, unvaccinated. And in 2021, um, shortly after visiting family at a holiday dinner, uh, who are all vaccinated, I had an experience that was really troubling where I did feel like my consciousness was out of body and I was really, I mean, disoriented and unable to bring it back into any semblance of consciousness. Um, and so, and from that point on, actually, I had a kind of crescendo effect of a variety of different physical symptoms and things like that. So I think this whole metaphysical determination about the soul, it can be looked at in many different lights. Um, do I think anything can actually prohibit our soul from ascending? No. Do I think there are a lot of things that are being injected in our bodies and in our atmosphere to attempt to do that? Absolutely. And that has to do with consciousness and self-knowing. So the more distortion, the more density that we put in the way of our ability to self-know and to awaken to things in our in our world, um, certainly the less as the human race, um, you know, we're going to ascend. And further, I think it's really hard for us now to stay aligned with the progress we've made in the DNA. So we can see the obvious connection here. And, you know, we tend to look at things very physically on planet Earth. And I've done a lot of channeling about the DNA. It's in the book. It's in a lot of my transmissions you'll find on YouTube where the guides talk about the carbon DNA and the crystalline DNA And they are like a software program that have been meticulously programmed for us to experience certain things that allow us to evolve and ascend. 
So imagine a computer program and putting a virus in that program. It's not going to function the way that it's supposed to. So, so I think we're looking at um, a hacking of our DNA, which really the guides say is so valued and, and just so full of incredible things. We, again, we tend to think of our genetics as something that we've been cursed with when, you know, in fact, even though these lower vibrational patterns exist, our family lineage, lineages and all of this, the crystalline DNA, it, it brings in all of the universal cosmic information that we need to override that stuff. I mean, actually, we can rejuvenate our bodies. We can overcome anything. But that if we keep being focused in a very small subset of our DNA or we're putting new programs in the way of this beautifully programmed technology, certainly it's going to diminish our experience and, and our ability to do that. So so absolutely, I think that's the case. Um, why did so many spiritual teachers fall for the psyops? I, I think you and I will have different answers yes. on this. Um, you know, and ultimately, I think this is an age of transparency. And we saw some spiritual teachers who we may have thought were on a certain side uh, come out on the wrong side, ultimately. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm trying not to be judgmental here. I know we're going to get a lot of criticism on this. But in an age of transparency, we are going to see things that are going to inevitably open our eyes to what has been hidden before. So I think there was absolutely some of that. I had my heart broken many times <laughs> over the last three years when I saw people that I really respected and followed even, you know, before I was doing this, this channeling work, um, come out and recommend, right, paths and things that I, I was really shocked did not align with their teachings or their message. But I also think that those of us here in the spiritual community have really big hearts and we want to do the right thing and we are here to take care of a lot of people. And I think in a situation like a pandemic, um, the amount of fear that's going on and you know whether it's false or whether it's true is going to cause us to jump to conclusions. So I think it can be easy for well-intentioned people, even if they've been working diligently on their spirituality and consciousness, to fall into these traps of thinking that they're doing the right thing and having this heart-centered approach uh, towards humanity when, in fact, they've been duped down the wrong path. So, so I think we saw both of those angles playing out in the midst of this entire theater that went on. Sure. And um, I think you addressed the first part of the question adequately. Mm -hmm. I don't really have much to add to that. Um, but, but in terms of the spiritual teachers, I think there are several things that we have to consider. First of all, Consciousness level does not dictate whether you can be a spiritual teacher. You can, you can learn from other spiritual teachers and read spiritual books and regurgitate what you've learned and sound like a perfectly good spiritual teacher, but it doesn't necessarily mean your consciousness level is at that point where you're in, in alignment with the information you're speaking. So, so we have to be careful about judging every spiritual teacher as being the same just because they may say good things uh, or say things that make sense or sound quote unquote spiritual spiritual and vibration are two entirely different things as is consciousness so you can't assume that spirituality 
is the same. And even when we... And 
never thought it would be you I would put me in this space And even if I wanted to This would never be Back it up, Ron. Okay. We're back. There's uh, shenanigans going on, everybody. Let's just send the violet flame, and we'll get... Mama's going to back it up a little bit so we can hear it, and we'll, Rama's going to get on the horn. I mean, Doug's going to... Don is going to get on the horn and holler at a few people because their internet connection is going down now. So send all the angels of computers and businesses and corporations to help the situation. All right, let's do it. Do channel revelation shows, the guides always make that distinction that they wouldn't use the word spirituality. They would use vibration or consciousness or something to dictate that because spirituality um, can be anything. Um, you know, in fact, uh, one of the issues we had over the last few years in the first stage of this, all these problems happening was um, we were doing an event um, that we often do in a building that uh, also houses a, a yoga studio. And it was somebody from the yoga studio who, you know, you would assume it's a spiritual, quote unquote, spiritual community. were the ones who called the police to uh, to stop our event because we weren't wearing masks and weren't socially distant. So. We have to be careful when we're using the term spirituality um, because it's not the same as consciousness. And so from that context, there are a lot of spiritual teachers I even followed over the many decades past who uh, I came to realize were actually not on the side of human empowerment as, as it turns out in the end. And the thing that um, that I would add to that understanding is I've talked a lot in the last few years, which I've really mentioned in recent months, but the world, about the World Economic Forum, but they're just one organization that controls the world. And But if we just take the World Economic Forum as an example, they had their Young Global Leaders Program. And so they, for many decades, have been preparing uh, young people to grow up and into these roles of world leadership. And that Many of our um, world leaders, presidents and uh, prime ministers and so on are all part of that program where they were groomed and prepared to be in those roles and then put into those positions so that they could orchestrate everything that we're seeing happening in the world today. But the same is true in every field, including the spiritual space. So some of the biggest names that you know of in the spiritual space the spiritual teachers that are out there who have the largest influence and the broadest audience are part of that Young Global Leaders program. And this is something that we didn't know until the last few years. But even, you know, to use an example of Sadhguru, who I used to follow for many decades now, and even uh, went to his classes decades ago, 20 years ago, I went to one of his uh, classes. And this is somebody who I respected as well. And in the last few years, we've seen videos of him uh, hugging Klaus Schwab and and saying things that would suggest that he wants uh, depopulation on the planet. So right. this is not somebody who is a highly conscious person, or if he is, as we've often talked in the Channel Revelation show, 
consciousness makes available more options doesn't mean that you're going to choose them. So you could be a higher consciousness person and still make choices that are not in alignment with the highest potential of that consciousness. So I can't say for sure if an individual like him is highly conscious or not, because anybody could say the things that he says and appear very spiritual and yet not be conscious. On the other hand, you could be very conscious and just choose, make very bad choices and uh, and still appear the same way. But what we can say about him as an example is he clearly has been on the other side for probably many decades, probably his entire career, which is very likely why he ended up in this very prominent position where he uh, has millions of followers worldwide. And I think when we're dealing with individuals who are of that scale, who have that kind of an influence, we at this point have to assume that there's a very good possibility that they have been working with on the other side all along, waiting for this time to really emerge and to guide people in this direction. So I don't think, I think first of all, I don't think a lot of the spiritual teachers were misguided. I think many of them were always on that side and were, were preparing humanity for this. Um, and if you look at the incongruency of a lot of the teachings of many of those very prominent spiritual teachers, their teachings are incongruent with the actions they took over the last few years. Uh, for example, many of them have been professing for many decades about mind over matter or holistic health and then to move toward a vaccine and saying everybody has to do that or wear a mask. Uh, these are ideas that are very inconsistent with those with those teachings. So we have to be more discerning when we're looking at spiritual teachers. Um, uh, maybe we should have been all along, but certainly now that we know. Um, and to make sure that their actions are consistent. And I've been saying this for, for the past decade, that uh, you always want to look at a person's actions and make sure they're consistent with their words. If If they're not, then it's you always have to go with the actions because the actions show us what a person's real intentions are. So I think with respect to some of the biggest names in the spiritual teaching space, we can make that assumption um, that that these individuals and even some of the biggest uh, channels out there I've noticed over the last few years were very much on that side when they were teaching just the opposite over you know, their entire career. Uh, so I think a lot of these people reached those positions of power because they were part of uh, they were part of that program to put them in these positions of power and in order to guide society in a particular direction. So so let's be careful about that going forward. And the other thing, I think a lot of other people uh, who are in the spiritual teacher space are. Uh, just well-meaning people, maybe. Uh, most of them probably are well-meaning spiritual teachers who just made confusing choices because they felt under pressure like everybody else and, and, and because of their own biases being raised up in a society where we're led to believe that the pharmaceutical and medical industry is out for our benefit. I mean, I don't believe that. Michaela doesn't, but, but most people do. And and in that society and creating a state of fear, I think when a the average spiritual teacher, if their consciousness is not high enough, then they can succumb to those fears and go along with the, the trends of what everybody else is doing or for social acceptance or whatever the case may be. 
So we have to consider that um, that the consciousness level of the person is a big factor in the decisions that they make. And for those people who um, may have been spiritual teachers who supported all of what took place in the last few years and maybe still are, uh, they may just not be at an understanding level to know better uh, if they're not already um, you know, intentionally doing that on purpose. You know, so many people these days are being paid to to um, speak a certain message. Most of what's in our society these days is propaganda based. So even most of our politicians and the news media, they're all getting paid to carry a particular narrative. And if they don't, like us, if you don't carry that narrative, then you get censored or you get blocked or fewer people see your videos or whatever the case may be. Um, so it's, it's very hard to figure these things out in, in society today. And I think most spiritual teachers probably just are not at the consciousness level where they are able to discern what truth is and to rise above the fears to make really positive, empowering choices. One rule of thumb I would say going forward is anytime that you, you know, our show is the awake and empowered show and we've so we've always been at that foundation so if tomorrow we told everybody wear masks and get vaccinated then that's very counter to what we what we stand for and our show name so you have to keep that in mind going forward because there are going to be a lot of fear-based messages right now the next thing is climate change yeah. uh, all of these fear-based messages used to scare people into compliance and into living very disempowered lives so any message that comes out from anybody, whether it be a spiritual teacher or the government, uh, if it is something that causes you as an individual to disempower yourself, then that is not a message you want to follow. And that's not a teacher you want to uh, listen to, because um, our experience here is to be living in an empowered state and anything that takes us away from that, as long as what we're doing is not harming anybody else, anything that takes us away from living a self-empowered state or state of being is uh, not something that's congruent with a higher path. So, so I would say use that as a, as a way to judge uh, or what messages you want to consider going forward and who, uh, who to follow as far as uh, teachings. Yeah, I want to add, it can be really disheartening and disappointing when a spiritual teacher like Sadhguru comes out on a side of something that you are shocked about. But remember, when we are raising consciousness, and, and it's, it's just like this for the positive stuff, the guides have talked about it, and even in the channeled revelations, our consciousness is always matching what we need to know from the past or going into the future, right? That's the Akashic records. It's the spiral of time. It, it's how it works. And that's ultimately why all of this stuff is coming to light. So we've become the people that certain things can't be hidden from anymore. So nothing can really be hidden. Nothing can ever be lost. It's all going to reappear in some form the second we become the people who need to know it. And that's ultimately what's going on in, in many different directions. But I also think that this period in particular, and this is what the guide said, is uh, a period of spiritual embodiment, meaning we've spent a lot of years training, studying, practicing all of these various spiritual concepts. 
but it's been very hard for us to live a life that aligns with those teachings. So we're given many opportunities right now to step into this, you know, new earth, the fifth dimension, whatever you want to call it, by embodying in those spiritual truths. So naturally, there's going to be a force <laughs> that's going to push up against that. And I think that's what this force was to really test us. You know, were we able to walk the walk and talk the talk in a really fearful and tough transitional time? And so that I don't think that's ending. You know, anytime soon, the story is really just changing. So if the guys are saying that the virus doesn't exist, that it is only the body's reaction to toxins, could it be that before any pandemic, we are somehow exposed to huge amounts of toxins in food, water, and the atmosphere? So we become weakened thinking we have a virus, and then our amazing body starts to detoxify, and it looks like an illness. We then reach outside of us for a cure and are told to take a vaccine. What about protein shedding from those that took it. On Channeling Jesus, A Course in Miracles by Tina Spaulding, Jesus says people are shedding these fragments from their skin and it can negatively affect people around them, especially in crowded areas. I would like to know more about this, please. So what you're saying here is a perfect summary of what has been channeled through the guides very accurately. Yes, the guides are saying that a virus in the body is an intelligent process of detoxifying things that should not be there. So how those things got there, we are not sure. Uh, we can deduce, obviously, that we have geoengineering. We have toxins in the water, in the food. We're not exactly sure to this day. And, and personally, what I think based on the channeling is that it's just a variety of different modalities even the guides mentioned at one point, different geographic regions were experiencing different um, events that were culminating in the illness, for example. Um, but also, even in the vaccine lots themselves, there were different different quantities and qualities of things that were setting off a chain of events. Uh, do I believe in shedding 100 um, percent, both from a research standpoint, from my human self, as well as what the guys are saying, but also because I have been negatively affected by it. I, I can, as a sensitive, a very extreme sensitive, I can tell you that during this very prominent time, um, when everyone was getting vaccinated and uh, we would go to a mall, for example, um, a family event, um, any crowded area like that, I could not stay long. Um, you know, it was an immediate knowing and feeling of density, confusion, uh, energy drain, all of it. So, so I learned really fast <laughs> to not go into those environments. And if I do, you know, I don't stay long or I prepare ahead of time. So, so absolutely. I think that that, you know, by design, I think those of us who have been highly aware and conscious following this entire storyline, know that that has got to be by design, right? Because even if, um, let's say, half of the people awaken to the idea that, you know, we shouldn't take this thing or um, it's something that would harm our body, that's a lot of people, that other 50% <laughs> that 
are awakening at such a rapid pace. And, and I, I personally think a lot of this actually backfired, right? Backfired in terms of the people who wanted it to, to succeed because awakening has skyrocketed. So, so I know the next question might be, what do we do about the shedding? Well, I think there's a lot of different techniques, you know, and it really depends on your body, your energy field, um, you know, your sensitivities and all the other things that you have going on. The one common theme that I've noticed in my readings that when this is asked about or people are having issues with it is the body is creating an autoimmune response. Um, there's a lot of hormonal attack going on as well. So anything that we can do to strengthen our immune system, keep it in balance, keep our nervous system in check is going to be really helpful. Anything we do to build our biofield, for example, extend our energy field is going to help protect us, even though that's a more spiritual technique. I think we have to keep those in check and in balance. We have to address it from both sides. There's been a lot of, you know, studies come out like, uh, am I going to say this wrong? Nanocase? Oh, um, um, Natokinase actually gets Thank you. I knew I was going to say it wrong. Actually gets rid of the spike protein from the body. And I know there's many, many other things too. So, so I think if you're concerned about it, you just have to keep some of those things in your peripheral, keep them in your body, you know, keep doing your, your meditative work. But you know, for me, uh, close proximity to that stuff is just really being limited. And and I think that is necessary right now. I don't think that anything is anything on the planet that you encounter cannot be overcome. I don't think that, you know, anything that we come into contact with could ever destroy us. So we have to keep that in mind when we're talking about these concepts. It's It's challenging us to become, you know, more pure, uh, more aligned in our spiritual lives and in our lifestyles, right? All of detoxifying, all of that stuff. So, so I look at it somewhat as, um, a proponent to moving us into the fifth dimension, even though it's not something that we enjoy having to deal with. <laughs> well, I think it's obvious that, uh, this is a toxins issue because, you know, I always look at the facts of what I know as opposed to listening to the propaganda, because if you look at the facts, the facts don't fit if you if you follow the propaganda. So but if you never get it past the propaganda, then you're going to believe what everybody says. But let, if you look at the facts in March of 2020 in the United States, that was when the then president approved 5G to be rolled out across the country. So. In, in the middle of what was supposed to be a pandemic, the first thing that he thought to do, and I'm not saying Trump is worse than Biden or I don't really, I think they're all working for the same side. So it's, this is not a political issue, but the first thing that he did was that he rolled out 5G. And if we, if we look at what else was happening around the world that same year, the year prior, the year after it was 5G, 5G was being rolled out all across the world at that time. And and the fact of the timing of, I mean, if you're in the middle of what is a real pandemic and you're really concerned about the population of a country, 5G isn't the first thing you would think of. So the fact that the timing of that happened when it did, I think is very important. And if you follow everything that was happening with Huawei in China and 5G being rolled out there as well, 
um, definitely there's an um, electromagnetic and a frequency-based technology that was rolled out globally, not in every country, but in most countries, certainly in Western countries, in uh, in a in coincidence with the pandemic, so so that I think is a definite factor we have to consider. That was a huge toxin that was imposed on the human race at that time. And if you look back historically, every time there was a major um, uh, epidemic or pandemic on the planet, it was always related to some sort of toxin in the environment, whether it was uh, sewage or whether it was electromagnetic or something like that. It always was uh, aligned with that. The other factor, too, and this is something that I noticed in, at the very beginning of all of this in 2020, was I was starting to hear in the middle of the night uh, jets flying over uh, my area constantly, and which did not happen prior to that. And, and, of course, in this area that we live, chemtrails are sprayed all the time. And and so, you know, most people don't believe in chemtrails, but we've been watching them for a long time. And as a as a sun gazer, um, I know that the skies today are not the same skies that were there when I was avidly sun gazing 20 years ago. So since the 2000 until now, we've seen an increase in chemical spraying on the planet and especially in Western countries. And uh, and I noticed that in uh, early 2020 throughout 2020, there was an incredible amount of jet traffic above my in, in my home area where I live, which I'm not living, although there is a small airport nearby, it's not an area that sees a lot of jet traffic. So to hear that happening so much at night, uh, to me, I thought that makes sense that they'd be spraying more chemicals that time. So I think I think there was, um, this is coming from many different sides. Um, there was a, a frequency technology that was rolled out uh, in 5G. Uh, and also 5G increased the electromagnetic radiation environment as well. And we started noticing over the last few years, a lot of very um, unusual towers going up um, mm-hmm. in uh, around schools and things like that. Yeah, right? sort of like a, a spiral um, vortex type of technology that yeah. looked like it dates back to ancient times, but yeah, not in right. a good way. Right. Perhaps. There were, there were some mm-hmm. towers that looked very similar to Egyptian mm-hmm. types of technologies that mm-hmm. we've seen in, in hieroglyphics. Always yeah. near schools right. in this area, which is very strange. Right. Yeah. So, so there's definitely our children are being targeted more than the rest of us, but certainly um, that was another factor that was there. Um, and uh, another thing to consider that I thought was very interesting, you know, I don't think the government, I'm always very suspicious of government, and I think everybody should have that healthy sort of suspicion. If if we did, then we wouldn't be facing most of the problems we have on the planet today. But uh, in the United States, uh, just before all of this, or coincidence with, coincidental with it, was um, marijuana was made legal in the U.S., and I thought, why would the government want to do that? They're making more money making it illegal. So... So the only reason I thought of then was, well, it does pacify people more. Um, and, and so I think that was also a factor. And not that I, I think there's anything necessarily right or wrong with that particular plant uh, usage, but, but I think anytime you're using uh, any sort of a drug or plant medicine extent, extensively, it can be detrimental. So there are a lot of factors. Now, if we look at China, China, I followed what's happening there very closely, 
all throughout the last few years of what's been going on in other countries has been more extreme in China. They, they've had much more severe lockdowns than we've had here. They had, um, their mandates were much more strict there. Of course, they're in, they're an overtly communist country, so they don't really care what they do to their people. And the people have pretty much been, um, over the many decades that it's been communist over there, they've gotten used to it to where they don't really stand up against authority. Now in the U.S., we're getting that way. The U.S. is getting to be more communist, but it's not fully communist like China. But in China, if you watch some of the videos over the last few years, they were spraying chemicals out on the streets and up and down the roads and in hallways and uh, and they may be spraying them in the skies too. I don't know, but that's something that seems to happen in the U.S. Uh, but in China, they were it was a highly toxic environment, not to mention more people were getting vaccinated there than in the U.S. And the vaccine itself is a toxin. So and now we're seeing the actual scientific results, although it's being censored on YouTube and other platforms. There are medical doctors and scientists all over the world who are looking at the the data of people who've been vaccinated and the dramatic increase in various health problems that they're they're having. And. So so the vaccine then became part of the toxic load that people were dealing with. And then each time you get a booster shot, you are further toxifying your system. So there were so many factors. And, and like you're saying, they offered the vaccine as a cure to the problem that they created in the first place. And, and then the vaccine became a bigger problem, and which just added on to the existing problem. And that's why people who were getting vaccinated were the ones who were getting the most sick afterward as well. So, so yes, uh, I believe it's a toxic situation. And the world we're living today, and in, the, in at least the next decade, maybe even two decades, but definitely this decade, we are going to see an intensification or at least um, the current toxic load we're dealing with is going to continue to persist. And, and so that means... We have to do things to mitigate for that in our day-to-day lives. That may be taking certain supplements or detoxifying in certain ways. Um, it may be when you're around family or the average public these days, you want to be a bit more conscious of that and maybe take certain supplements to, um, and like the one that Michaela mentioned a while ago, that could be things that would help you to deal with those kinds of toxic environments. And with electromagnetic and frequency radiation, um, we talked about that in the previous show um, about some of the different things you can do to mitigate for that. So I think you just have to live in the world right now. Uh, now, keep in mind that if your consciousness is very high and your vibration is very high, doing things like Kundalini, for example, or Tantra as a practice will elevate you above a lot of these things. So that if you do that, or your consciousness already is very high, you may not be as affected by these things anyway. Um, but uh, I take precautions both ways. So I follow those spiritual practices, but I also take nutritional supplements to eat a certain diet that's more detoxifying uh, just to you know mitigate for all of those factors. And, and so I think we need to be conscious of those things. And wherever possible, do things or eliminate things from your life that are not necessary, that may be adverse. For example, wearing Bluetooth headsets um, uh, for extended periods of time 
uh, would not be something that's healthy. And those are things you can work around. Um, having your mobile phone right next to you all the time turned on uh, with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, also not good. So these are all toxins in your environment. Do your best to minimize that as much as possible. And And we're probably going to see more viruses coming out in this decade in order to continue what has begun the last few years, although I don't think adoption is going to be quite so great among the people, but it's probably still going to happen. And and so we want to just be prepared for that in the best way we can. I just want to add a little personal story here. And I think it's, it's so important to consider these changes in electromagnetics and like 5G and Wi-Fi because we don't realize how dramatic that affects our body. And and if I go back to like 2011, 2012, I went down really hard for about a six month period with a really unknown, crazy autoimmune ish response where I couldn't get up off the sofa. I lost like 30 pounds. Um, I was having a hard time taking care of myself, taking care of my kids. And I recovered from it. I, I worked really diligently, recovered from it, never really figured out what it was. Until I heard someone tell a story about a smart meter that was put on their house and how sick they got from the smart meter. And all of these warning bells started going off in my body. So I went back to the city to check when did they install the smart meters in my neighborhood and on my house. And it was right in that time period exactly when I went down. So I attribute a lot of illness that we have today to these very dramatic changes in electromagnetic fields. And unfortunately, our bodies can't handle it. So a virus, at least a pure virus, one that's not seeded, is going to be the body's response to trying to get that out of the body as quickly as possible. And I think there's a lot of different ways we can prepare, right? And we've we've talked about that in a lot of past issues or episodes, I should say. So you can go back and listen to some of those. But Yeah, I want to comment on something mm-hmm. you're saying because Michaela, you've had health problems for about 20 years now, right? Uh, since about 2000-ish? Pretty much all yeah. my life. <laughs> I mean, I was but, a kid. Yeah, but it wasn't. It escalated over the last one. Oh, six, yes. It was about two, 20, 2000 or so, something like that. Recently, I would say. Yeah, 2000, oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Since 2000 till now, and, and I and I follow the cycle, so I, I, I see why that's happening. But one thing that I want everyone to pay attention to is from about the year 2000 until the present in the United States, as one example, we've started to experience inflation. And, and part of that is the government has issued trillions of dollars or even lost trillions of dollars. I, mean, I don't know how you misplaced trillions of dollars. Obviously, they're not misplacing it. But but uh, it was September 11, 2001, for example, the Pentagon lost, uh, I think, uh, one or two trillion dollars or maybe it was more than that. And uh, and nothing else was said about it. But we have to understand that all of this money that's being issued into the the economy is being used for all these nefarious purposes. So if, if it weren't for that money, they wouldn't be able to spray chemicals in the sky and they wouldn't be able to put up all the 5G towers or all the surveillance systems and and pay people to do all the things that have happened and that have been orchestrated over the last few years. So whenever we see the government having uh, a free-for-all with money, 
and causing inflation in our society, we should be aware that that means that more of these toxins are going to be released into our environment. And just recently in the U.S., as of this month in June of 2023, as we're filming this, um, they just eliminated what's called a debt ceiling. So it allows the government to spend money without any repercussions whatsoever. Uh, of course, there will be repercussions, um, mostly on the rest of the people, because it's going to cause more and more inflation as we go forward. Uh, and eventually, the government is going to experience severe financial hardships because they are printing so much money that it's going to cause inflation. It's going to cause their the interest on their debt to increase to where the government can't afford to pay it anymore with the taxes and everything else they're taking from the people. So um, my point there is, as you see this situation occurring economically in, in the United States and around the world, it gives the government more and more resources to increase the toxic load and the control systems on the people. And, uh, and I do see that's going to continue for the rest of this decade. And that, and that's going to bring about more of these kinds of situations. So we have to live in an inconvenient way in the world for this decade, at least, and maybe the early part of the next decade. But I think mostly it's going to be concentrated between now and the 2030s or early 2030. Um, and uh, now the same as in the 1700s. I talked about this months ago, years ago, about how this time is very similar to what happened in the United States in, in the late 1700s, where we um, uh, were controlled by the British. And I think in many respects, the exact same thing is happening now, uh, where we are being controlled by an overseas force, and and that is something that we'll have to break free from, just like they did in 1776 in the U.S. So that's the time period that we're in. But in the meantime, as that that influence that um, that uh, uh, overseas influence is uh, exerting more power in the United States to take control, we are going to see a lot of these things that are orchestrated, increased amounts of censorship and so on to to um, to push down the um, dissenting voices uh, and so on. Um, and uh, more of the propaganda uh, propaganda voices of the message the government wants us to hear are going to be pushed forward so that more people will hear them. But but again, I think a lot of Michaela's health problems, I, I've always believed that they were the result of this increase in toxins in our society. So even though many of you may also have been having health problems, um, that they're probably related to the toxic load that we've seen since 2000. Now, my sun gazing, I was doing prior to, just prior to 2000, actually. And I remember back then the skies were just such a deep blue all the time. And it was just at the very end of my sun gazing period that I was noticing chemtrails being sprayed in the sky. And at first I didn't know what they were. Um, we're now in the, where we live anyway. It's rare to see a blue sky like that anymore. Uh, you almost never see it because there's always a haze in the sky. If not actual chemtrails, there's just a, a hazy sky or lately we've seen kind of a slightly yellowish sky. Even sometimes that's not natural. So you can assume that toxins are 
something that we just have to live with for now and find a way to mitigate them through the many tools that we have available to us. So the next question, um, it's a big one. We'll see what we can do with it in the short time we have. When we volunteer to come here, select our parents, et cetera, what is the proceeding process? Who and how does it get determined that needs a family, who does not need a family? And how does one's life affect all others throughout its incarnation? How far in the future are decisions made about just one individual and the criteria before arriving? Big topic. So uh, I'll start by saying um, I've done a few channeled courses on this. I'm actually, so we just finished one uh, earlier this year called The Soul's Journey. And the guides talk about all of this stuff. And it, it's, you know, over six, eight hours of channeled information that you can find on my website. Um, and we're going into the next one starting this week, although this will come out a few weeks later, uh, called Soul Contracts, which kind of pulls off of a lot of those ideas. It's I think it's important to remember when we make these decisions to come here that we're in a collective vibration. So so we are not looking at ourselves yet as an individual. We are in a merged state. Yet the guides say we're observing the earth and the human condition, which are, you know, which is all of the various patterns and things that have taken place for so long that we know are not to humanity's benefit. So for example, we've got trauma, we have childhood abuse, we have diseases, uh, we have war, uh, we have self-worth issues, we have all of these things. So, so when a soul is deciding to come to earth, it has got the confidence of a million angels because it sees these patterns and says, put me right there. That one I'm going to take and I'm going to infiltrate it and I'm going to understand it and I'm going to experience what I need to experience in order to become something other than it. So so we think we're choosing a family uh, to have these experiences because we have karma or we didn't overcome something in the life before this one, so we didn't learn our lessons, when actually I don't think that's truly the reason. Um, not that karma doesn't exist. The guides say we'll always have karma, which is kind of a discouraging statement for people to hear because we think of karma as something so bad, but actually it's just something that's challenging us to always become better. So every life that we've ever lived before, including everything that's ever been created on the planet that we are coming to experience, it becomes a part of our divine plan. So it's always a continuation. And we try to put this stuff in a linear perspective, you know, like there was there, there was that past life over there, there's a future life that way. Uh, we're here, but it's actually all happening simultaneously. So the idea is that if we come and we intersect with something like cancer um, and we're having an experience of it in our body or with a loved one, for example, somewhere out there in the rest of the universe <laughs> or in our earthly experiences, we've experienced it before. We've overcome it. We've healed it. And the problem is we haven't been able to access that really positive, good information that helps us in this life. So the idea is often that we're blending frequencies. 
by our very nature, we are vibrational and magnetic beings. So we're not just attracting the things that we need in material. We're actually attracting information, um, other people, resources, things that are coming from other lifetimes that show up in this one that actually help us along the way. So I think it's a real complex orchestration, actually pretty magical that we're living uh, that we don't realize. But as far as family, I think what's interesting, what came through in one of these transmissions is that a lot of ascended masters on earth, um, evolved souls who have come from many lifetimes or are very multi-galactically evolved will choose families that they don't have a very strong connection to. And it's often because if they had those very tight bonds and responsibilities, they wouldn't be available to the world in such a profound way or, you know, offering their service, for example. And I think we struggle with that in this community a lot. And the guides suggest, you know, alternate family. We're here to form alternate families, alternate communities that support us beyond, you know, those blood lineages. And there are some people who come in and are not meant to have a blood family. And we covered all of that in the course as well, because any experience that has happened before is something that we're here to up level in some way. And it's not about what we do so much. So, you know, we get this idea in our head wrapped around healing. You know, we have to change the person uh, who's causing us the problem. We have to change the situation. Um, but ultimately what we're doing is we're, we're changing ourselves in the experience. So the guys even said, even if someone comes in and has an experience of cancer and dies from it, they, they don't heal it. In our minds, we think they may have failed and they'll have to experience it again. But how they experienced the cancer, who they became through the experience is far more important beyond the veil than anything we could have done in the here and now. So so it's really about the being more than the doing. Um, yeah. You have anything to add to that? <laughs> I, think, I think you did a really good job. I mean... It, it's huge and yet it's simple, I think, because it's yeah. not it's not that complicated. Um, and the most important factor there, I think, the question is based from a human perspective. Right. And whereas the human perspective is only a tiny fraction of what that question is, and or rather the answer it would be, mm-hmm. and because from a human third dimensional perspective, we have time, and so when you're asking a question. How long does this go on for? Or how long, you know, these interactions into the future or something like that, right? And that's based on a linear, finite timeline where we think we're born into a life, we live for X amount of years, we have relationships in that time, and then we leave this place. Where in the multidimensional sense, lifetimes go on forever. So this interaction that that we're having now doesn't end when I leave this body. It is a timeless thing. And and at the same time, every lifetime I've ever had, every lifetime I'll ever have is also happening in this moment. But it's hard to perceive if we conceive of everything from a very linear human perspective. So we have to consider that all lifetimes that we have ever experienced and we ever will are interacting with each other. So if in this life, 
I come to an understanding about something, then that is fed into every other lifetime that I'm experiencing simultaneously. So, and, and even this timeline or lifetime that I'm experiencing doesn't end when I leave this place. But those are all concepts that are hard to understand from our human linear perspective. But to answer the question properly, we have to be able to take ourselves out of this human linear perspective and conceive of reality that way. And and when we can conceive of that, well, all those questions are very easily answered from from that perspective or from that vantage point. Um, so that's the only thing I would add is that is the is to get a really better intellectual grasp. Obviously, while we're here in our human minds and our human bodies, we can't fully understand what it is like to live in a timeless space or in a multidimensional space until we leave here someday. Because to some degree or another, all of us are influenced by our human physical experience to where we can't fully conceive of that, those higher ideas. But intellectually, we can perceive them. So, so at least intellectually, if you can understand the concept of time not existing and that all experience is going on forever, then you can start to answer those questions for yourself. I think it's important to add here that we are quantum beings, whether we know it or we practice being quantum, which means everything that we are and everything that we do in every moment is affecting everything else not only in this timeline, but beyond. And that's a pretty big statement. That's that's how powerful and important we are. But, but there's some you know controversy around this idea when you think about having to go back and heal past lifetimes. So, you know, the guides brought in a message recently about Akashic Record readings, for example, and, you know, assuming we have to go back to another life to heal it because it's somehow implicating this one. And they say everything that you need to heal exists in the here and now. So a lot of times we're being taught to jump out of the moment and to focus on the past or past lives. When if we would practice being quantum, which is being more present or or mindful, for example, we will naturally do all of the things that we need to do in order to constantly ascend and evolve. And the reason we haven't ascended and evolved here on planet earth is because our consciousness has been lowered purposely. So that's what takes us out of the quantum. When our consciousness is lower, we are very easily led by the mind to focus on planning for the future or, you know, suffering from our past. When if we stay here in every moment and just follow those moments, 100% aligned with how we feel and, and what we believe we must do, we are always going to do the right things that are going to keep our soul, which is multidimensional and fragmented into many lifetimes, ascending. <laughs> so it's complicated, but yeah, also easy. I think this question kind of goes along with it. I'm, I'm not sure we can answer it. It might be one for the guides, but um, the question is, where does intimacy come from and, and does intimacy exist in the spiritual realm. Yeah, I think I don't know what the question, how they're intending that question, right? right That's right. what we don't Intimacy really know. Intimacy is the word that we're not sure. Yeah, yeah, because the question may be asking um, about whether 
coupling occurs in uh, other dimensions, um, or it could be asking where does intimacy originate, which um, I think those are different kinds of questions. And yeah, some of that is better suited for the guides. Mm -hmm. uh, but but I, I think from my experience, at least in over the years of channeling and whatever, um, I think that coupling, if, if the question is, is romantic coupling, for example, or intimate coupling between people, is that something that we only experience on planet Earth? Uh, and I would say the answer is no, because we know from previous channeling that uh, the Pleiadians are, have, uh, have couples as well. And they, you know, they have male and female bonds and so on. And so I think this happens in all dimensions to some degree, although it expresses differently. So I think even in the highest dimension, so it's really just the idea of duality and duality, I think exists in everything, even in higher dimensions, except it operates differently would be my perspective on that. But we need to channel on the subject to get more detail there. Um, but at least we know that many of the other multidimensional races that we've spoken with over the years uh, have relationships also. They have intimate relationships among their civilizations. And so I think in that sense, intimacy also would exist. But I think at every dimensional level, the the awareness broadens to where I think intimacy on a ninth dimensional level is going to look very differently than intimacy on a third or fourth dimensional level, as most of us experience here. So that's where I think it would vary and it would be hard for human beings to conceive of what intimacy would be like on a higher dimensional level um, without actually being there. But I do think it does exist. It's just a different way of expressing it. Yeah, I'm not sure how this question is meant to be phrased because I think personally there's a big difference between intimacy and sexuality. Um I've, and the question is, does intimacy exist in the spiritual realm? I think intimacy is a spiritual thing. So we can be intimate with nature. We can be intimate with a romantic partner. We can be intimate with family. It, it, to me, it's a level of vulnerability and attention, which is by its very nature a spiritual act. So I think they go hand in hand. But yeah, I agree with you. Depending on right. the dimension, that's that's always going to change. Right. And if, if the question is, does sex or sexuality or that, if they're asking, there's the difference between intimacy and sexuality. Yes. So if they're asking, is sexuality or sexual energy or the act of sexual interaction with somebody, does that exist in other dimensions? The answer is also yes, but it's different because sexual energy is spiritual energy. It's not, it's not different. It's just that on planet Earth, we experience sexual energy or sexual uh, attraction as a very physical thing because it's just a factor of human experience. We're living in a physical reality. And so what is a higher dimensional experience becomes a physical experience here. But when you take sexuality or sexual energy to the next dimension, the next dimension, the higher you go, it still exists. It's the same thing. It's just that it's expressed in a more pure way, uh, in a more unity consciousness type of way, as opposed to a very physical way. So if the question is, does sexual energy exist in other, in other dimensions? And yes, it does, but it doesn't express in a physical way as we experience it here in the higher dimensions. 
it's a more pure expression uh, of spirituality or I should say vibration um, than we would experience it here where you know, a lot of the sexual traumas and deviant things that we do on planet earth are because it's become more grounded in the third dimension. But the higher we go with it, the more spiritualized it becomes like even ancient societies uh, on earth, um, like Atlantean and pre-Atlantean sex also existed there, but they use sexual energy through Kundalini and Tantra practice. It was not a, as physicalized as it is today on earth, because we've kind of gone backwards a little bit in that respect. It was much more of a spiritual practice back then. And so I think that's, and of course, as we've talked in many of our channel revelation shows prior to 10 to 12,000 years ago, when there was a different dimensional experience on planet earth, and we experienced that dimensional shift um, that has been there since then, Prior to that, though, we had a higher dimensional experience on planet Earth. And at that time, ideas of intimacy and sexuality would have expressed in a higher vibrational way, very much like in other dimensions um, um, that are not currently existing in this linear timeline. So, so yes, uh, my answer to that would also be yes. But again, it would be different in every dimension and every higher collective. Next question. What system does Michaela use for her ozone therapy, which can be used on the skin, in the ears, nose, mouth, and to ozonate water? Also, what's an economical container for structuring water? Um, so I have brought into my house uh, the whole ozone setup. Um, I use uh, Simply O3, which you can find online. I think they're great. They also are very helpful in you know, setting up and understanding how to use the equipment. I personally have used it in my home for a variety of things, but um, you have to get an oxygen tank along with it. So it's a, it's a hefty investment depending on, you know, where you are economically. But I've had mine for, I mean, gosh, I want to say like four years. I may have had yeah. it for four years. And it's, you know, once you set it up and it's in your home, I mean, it, it all you need to do is refill the oxygen tank for a whole $25. And mine lasts almost a year. So you're looking at $25 a year if, as long as you upkeep your equipment to keep that going. Um, and it's great. I can treat anything pretty much in my own home, which makes me feel so totally empowered because the last thing I want to do in this environment is go to the doctor, um, which I don't very often other than my alternative people. But um, I set up my home with a lot of that great equipment and, um, you know, I don't regret it at all. So, so check out Simply O3. There are other companies out there. I, I really like them. My equipment has been great. It's held up great. Um, yeah. Oh, structuring water. I don't, do you remember the name of my structured water container? Yeah, it's Mayu. Mayu. Yeah, Mayu. I, I don't, I think that you don't need something fancy. No. Uh, you can even structure your own water just by spinning it in a cup. I mean, honestly, uh, but I do have a Mayu. Ethan bought it for me as a gift. I love it. Um, it it's structured the water. It looks real pretty <laughs> on your counter. So. Yeah, it's a very simple principle. It's a Mayu water pitcher or something yeah, like that. Yeah, glass and, and pitcher. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. just got a little magnetic thing that spins around and you put some minerals in it and uh, it just spins the water around for I forget how many minutes. But 
But you can do the same thing yourself. So if you're, if you're, if the point is economical, you can just stir it with a spoon, put some sea salt in your water and spin it around for a while or, uh, but you can certainly buy spinning water pitchers like the Mayu that will spin the water for you. That's another way to do it. Uh, I've done a lot of things over the decades to clean and structure water. So, and some can be very expensive. Um, for a while, I used um, uh, a Victor Schauberger egg that I that I have. That um, it's a ceramic egg, and when you put water into an egg-shaped container, it naturally structures itself over time, and it creates a vortex in the middle. So the egg shape itself, which is why a lot of the ancient Egyptians used egg-shaped containers to store their food and their water, and 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 many of the food or uh, seeds even that are stored in there preserve well to this day thousands of years later. So that egg shape uh, has a natural structuring ability as well. Um, but you can do other things. Uh, I've used magnets uh, over the years to structure water, um, sticking magnets around a blender carafe and spinning it around. It takes a little bit of research to learn how to do that properly, but but that's another approach. There's a, if, if cost is not a factor, there's a very expensive, or well, it may not be depending on each of you and your financial state, but there's a product called a hexahedron 999, which I used for a number of years that um, spins the water in your in your faucet system, or rather in your plumbing, uh, and a vortex around quartz crystals, uh, which not only structures the water but puts little particles of light in the water. Um, but I believe that's a thousand or two thousand dollar piece of equipment. So that may not be something economical. But again, you can do it at any level that you want. Um, you can do just sea salt and just spinning it yourself. Um, there are lots of different products. There's even um, a little bottle cap I've seen where you can join two bottles together and the cap actually spins the water. So if you put water on one end and you invert the cup, like an hourglass and the water spins as it flows through to the bottom one. It's another way to do it. So that's very economical approach as well. So there are a million different ways to structure water. And first you want to try to clean the water. Uh, in the very least, um, if you can get a decent uh, home filtration system, or if you can't do that, most distillers are pretty inexpensive. You can get a countertop distiller and distill your water and then put some minerals back into it and then structure it, in which case you could use the Mayu, which is not an inexpensive product, um, but uh, but you could also just add sea salt and spin it in a cup with, uh, with a spoon as well. So that's another option. If the Earth is encapsulated, how do they get to Mars? It is not possible to break through the firmament. Do they use wormholes? This is a long topic, so I'm going to try to simplify it. And of course, if you go to the book on my website, the guides talk about this in great detail at, at different points throughout the book. So the encapsulation, at least the one that I channeled about, is not physical at all. It's a vibrational field that the Earth has been encapsulated within. The purpose being to keep some of the more dense and malevolent timeline energies from going off planet. So, you know, there are obviously some disadvantages to us in terms of that encapsulation, the main one having to do with the Earth's connection to the galactic grid system. 
which is why over the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, grid workers have had such an important job to do because the encapsulation itself, first of all, is dissipating. I mean, it's, I haven't checked in recently, but I know I did a channeling probably last year where the council said it's, you know, it's pretty much gone. So that encapsulation, whatever it was, frequency, technology, not physical, has actually been completely dissipated. And, and that has to do with us. So we are the ones who have moved the earth into a more beneficial position and who have become the vibrational beings through which that energy can no longer exist. It's, it's kind of like clearing density from our own human aura. So when we have density in our aura, we have a very thick field around us. It lowers our consciousness, but we don't necessarily have the ability to connect to guides or galactic information and, and think of it being the same way for Earth. So there's no physical barrier there between myself and Ethan or the rest of the world, but there's a vibrational field and um, a restriction, we might say, in the amount of energy and information that can be exchanged. So so that's what the encapsulation was all about. But but no worries about getting to Mars if you want to go. <laughs> You'll be able to get there. I'm sure, you know, Elon Musk will hook you up. Um, no problem. And as far as wormholes, um, you know, I can't answer that question. That would be something for the guides. But I really don't think it's necessary. Obviously, we've got these new connections between the Earth grid and the galactic grids. We've got portals and stargates and, you know, all these various areas. So there's already a lot of intergalactic exchange going on. As a matter of fact, we talked a lot about disclosure in our one of our previous podcasts. So so that wouldn't be happening if we didn't already move past some of what the guides are talking about in these various channelings. Yeah, I don't have too much to add to that, except that um, you don't really need wormholes. Uh, the encapsulation, as Michaela was saying, to reiterate, is a vibrational thing. It's not a physical thing. So. So if it's not a physical barrier, then you don't need a wormhole to get to Mars. You can just go to Mars. So so it's not something, what she's describing is not something that affects our physical ability to travel from place to place in the solar system. Uh, it is something that affects our, well, it obviously isn't affecting us anymore. But even if that encapsulation was there today in full full force, then it wouldn't affect our ability to travel physically elsewhere. And we don't need any special wormhole technology or anything like that to do that. If Nibiru is able to move between solar systems, is it what is referred to by science as a rogue planet? Uh, the answer is no, um, because what we were talking about in that channel revelation show is not physical. So when, when scientists are describing a rogue planet, they're referring to something physical. Understand that science only deals in physical. They don't understand multidimensional concepts, or at least they don't talk about them. So when they're talking about a rogue planet, they're talking about something that's physically moving. Whereas when we did the show on Channel Revelations about the um, Nibiru moving from place to place in the solar system or in the galaxy, they're talking about a multidimensional movement. So uh, in that sense, they might appear. Uh, so it's kind of like, let's say Nibiru was right here in front of me right now. In the rogue planet concept, they would, you would physically see this planet moving. Where in the 
multidimensional concept that we talked about in that show uh, previously is it could disappear from this reality. So it would disappear from this dimension and reappear elsewhere in the solar system or in the galaxy in an entirely different dimension. So it could disappear and reappear. It's a little different approach than the rogue planet concept. Is that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so this is an interesting one. Um, and I, I assume they're referring to the reptilians. We talk about reptilian energy a lot. Uh, how do they change someone from benevolent to malevolent? Is that like a soul possession? Can other beings really capture someone's consciousness or soul or imprison it? Well, I think um, this is referring to the show that we did with the um, Assyrians or um, uh, the, because we talked about how um, I think it was Nebuchadnezzar or one of those, uh, one of those um, uh, leaders or gods who lived on earth. I don't remember which one it was now offhand, but, but anyway, the guides talked about how they, when they came to earth, they had to pass through um, a stargate or a portal or something. And that altered their genetics. Oh, I see. And, and, okay. and so they took on characteristics that might not have been as higher dimensional as mm-hmm. what they really were mm-hmm. in the fullness of who they are. And so they might have become a little bit more uh, malevolent. Than yeah, there's a lot in my channeling. There's even some of this in the book about Anunnaki, old Anunnaki portals, and they were using a lot of different technologies to alter consciousness and they were doing research and this and that. And um, they talk about some of the higher dimensional beings moving through those portals and having their genetics altered in a way that wasn't so awesome, <laughs> in other words. Uh, but when I read this question, I was actually thinking more in terms of reptilian consciousness. And for example, uh, those at the highest levels of hierarchy and then others in government positions. And the guides talk about this in the book, actually, that um, there are well-meaning people who get into government positions who want to do really good things. And then we see them get there and then all of a sudden <laughs> they're not following through with what they said they were going to do. And I think in many circumstances, this could be obviously predestined and pre-set up, right, in terms of what you were talking about with the World Economic Forum. But also, I think at some of the lower levels, people are so close in proximity to that density and dark energy that it just overcomes them. So the guides say uh, there's a lot of people who are contributing to working for darkness that really don't even consciously realize that that's what they're doing because they get so ingrained in the system and they become so close knit in, in energetic relationship to certain beings with certain intentions that they kind of become one with the collective, in other words. And, and that's the unfortunate circumstance. And I'm not throwing anyone under the bus here that works for the government who's well aware of the things that are going on. We're just saying, obviously, that the close proximity of genetics is a big deal. And, and it goes both ways. It's not just uh, malevolent uh, here on planet Earth. We are activating our multi-galactic DNA. So the close proximity of a Pleiadian on planet Earth or a hybrid on planet Earth um, could actually bring out something really good and beneficial in us. And as a matter of fact, I think this is happening at the soul contract level 
um, we're meeting partners, soul partners who are coming in from relationships that we've had in other on other planets and other star systems and we're sharing codes and, and activating DNA. So so I think that happens both ways. Is humanity being moved off planet to live in these various harsh environmental small contained cities? Okay, so this is coming from one of the shows we did on Channel Revelations a little while back where the guys were talking about how all of these, um, like the line city that I, that I discussed, um, is preparing humanity to move off planet. Not to mention all the smart devices and technologies, like just as of right now, Apple just released their, their glasses, their, um, augmented reality, uh, glasses, which of course is another step in that direction of us living a, living in a virtual world. Um, and very contained. And of course, the last few years, a lot of the agenda there was to keep people uh, in their confined spaces, right? Six feet apart, uh, don't leave your homes. And, and that idea is still out there today, although it's not being as overtly pushed, but certainly through technology that's happening. So the first answer to the question is, yes, we are being pushed in that direction through our various technologies, through the fact that people don't talk anymore. Um, you know, even a lot of the younger generations, they don't know how not to use technology. You know, we grew up in a world where we didn't even have mobile phones. Um, we had pay phones. So, and we used paper maps uh, back in the day, not GPS. So we've we become, so the technology is becoming more and more integrated into our day-to-day lives. And and with the glasses that Apple just came out with, we're going to see the next step of that to where technology is uh, a wearable that you, of course, people have watches, but but the glasses are going to take that to the next level to where people are going to be living in their own virtual worlds while walking around. Uh, and, and of course, with all of the um, metaverses and so on, you can see the move toward a future where people have more technology integrated uh, on their bodies and eventually in their bodies. Of course, Elon Musk is working on his brain chip implants and so on. Uh, and, and so the first answer to the question is yes. Um, smart cities, all of these things are moving us in a direction to where we will be moved off planet to Mars. Um, oh. now, Will it happen in our lifetimes, though, realistically? Uh, I mean, I don't, obviously, all of you watching this are different age groups, but maybe on the older side. Uh, and it's highly improbable that this is going to happen uh, anytime soon. Um, and so let, let's assume if nothing changes in the world um, and, and the direction that we're going right now, um, yes, it will eventually happen. But I think realistically for us to get to a point where they'll actually be able to move people off Mars could be 30 to 50 years out um, based on technological innovation. Even a lot of the things they're doing in these enclosed smart cities like the line are technologically impractical. They're not feasible. They can't do that in a realistic amount of time. I think What's going to happen with a lot of these projects over this decade and the next is they're going to all fail. They'll fail for several reasons. One, it'll be technologically impractical, just like the move toward everyone owning electric cars and gas cars being banned by 2035 or 2050, depending on the country. Um, 
those are nice ideas to move us into a world where everything can be controlled and restricted. But the reality is it's technologically impractical because there's not enough lithium to make all the batteries for all the cars people need, would need to have to make that future possible. And, and it's not going to happen in the next 20 years even. Uh, and so what we'll see is in this decade, we're going to see the push toward these ESG standards um, where things are going to move toward electric and it's it's going to fail. And then in the 2030s, we're going to see all of the older things coming back, like gas car, cars will again become popular and will proliferate in society. Uh, and a lot of these um, smart and closed cities like the line uh, are going to fail because technologically they're not possible right now. And people aren't going to adopt these things to the degree that they think. Uh, at the end of the day, I think human beings want to be free, even though we've been convinced that we uh, we can't be or that we shouldn't be. Um, human beings have a tendency to, to want to be enslaved. But I think at the same time, underneath it all, it's not going to happen because people are not going to adopt these things. Um, they're going to have to incentivize people to move into these smart cities. And some people will do it, of course, because there will be incentives to do it. But I think it will not be adopted on a large enough degree to where it'll become feasible. So the answer to your question is, if nothing changes in the trajectory we're heading on now, uh, and if human beings remain as they are the last few years, yes, we'll be on Mars in the next 30 to 50 years. But uh, but it's not going to happen in this decade like they're planning and, and not in the 2030s. Maybe by the end of the 2030s, you could see some of that. But I don't think it's going to happen as fast as they're planning. Um, and the other factor is... Um, I don't think human beings are going to accept it because Pluto is entered has entered Aquarius and the farther we go into Aquarius, people are going to want more freedom and independence. So there um, the tendency of the humanity is going to be moving away from those things. They're not going to adopt those things as much as um, they want now. So I think in the, in the future, in the 2030s and beyond, what we're going to see is the integration of, our old manual ways of doing things and the new things that are more technologically innovative. For example, we'll see, we'll still have electric cars, but gas cars are going to come back again and, um, and make a big appearance and become popularized. Uh, and we're going to see the same thing in all aspects of society. We may still see things like, um, uh, virtual reality glasses, but but I don't think people are going to live in that world and, and um, live in a virtual 3D metaverse and never leave the house. Um, that may happen in this decade, but it will not happen in the decades coming. So, so the answer ultimately to your question is it will never happen in our lifetimes and not in the foreseeable future. Uh, although they'll certainly try to to convince us to do that and to make it sound really exciting, um, but I don't think it will happen in any meaningful way for uh, for any reasonable future. So to anyone who's answer, asking this question, regardless of your age, if you're on the planet today, uh, unless you're going to be around for several hundred years, which is possible, um, I don't think that this is something that should concern you at this point. More importantly, we need to be concerned with 
what's happening today and to not allow ourselves to adopt a lot of these ideas and technologies and to let ourselves be pushed into these confined spaces and confined ways of living our lives, because that's a a prelude to that future that um, that we're talking about. Uh, I'm going to combine two questions here. They make sense together. Uh, There's been a lot of discussion in the various shows about multi-dimensions. Is this just levels of awareness? And what is the plasma that the guides speak of? So, so absolutely multi-dimension has to do with awareness. The guides say as we go into higher dimensions, we have more access to information. And the analogy they always use is the lens of a camera. So our consciousness expands greater, greater, greater. We have a bigger, greater bandwidth of perception. We have more access to energy, information, light, the Akashic records, all of that stuff. And we have 12 strands of DNA that go along with these 12 dimensions. So even here on Earth, we can become multidimensional. And that's why we have channels and healers and people accessing the Akashic records like they do today. We're not really living in that state. We're 24-7. We're accessing everything that we can because it would blow out our energy fields. We have a really hard time managing that in our physical bodies. Even I have my limits when it comes to channeling energetically. Uh, so we live our physical lives and then we have these periods where we're able to access all these other worlds and energies. And plasma has a lot to do with that. So when the guys refer to plasma, plasma is a technology. Uh, we do have physical plasma within our cells and that plasma vibrates. The higher the vibration of our plasma the healthier we are, but the also the, the greater connection that we make to the etheric plasma, which if you've ever heard the term ectoplasm, uh, is something that channels, uh, healers are actually working with. It's, it's an etheric type of elixir that also vibrates and plasma is how we time travel. So when we move between dimensions and we have an astral experience, we have visitation on a ship. Um, we remote view something. For example, we're using the plasma to move between dimensions. So our body is here. Uh, our light body is the vehicle. The plasma is the engine and it runs on vibration. So, so we have to pump the gas in order to get the engine moving in our car to a certain speed or speed limit. Same thing with our plasma. We meditate, we vibrate, the engine starts to run, and we can direct that car, our light body, wherever we want to go. Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that. It yeah. sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> okay, final question. Um, I've got money tied up in conventional systems, pensions, IRAs, etc., and I'm feeling the pull to liquidate and spend, invest it now while it's still there. Uh, intuitively, I'm feeling the pull, also trying to measure if I'm just trying to control the uncontrollable. What are your thoughts? Well, I want to take a step back first before answering a practical question because, um, you know, I look at things from all different vantage points. First of all, as we've talked about in previous shows, um, whatever you're meant here to have. So we talked about the cosmic bank account in previous conversations and how our soul comes here to experience human life and we bring with us whatever it is that we need. So if, if we, um, 
came here to live a certain kind of life, um, then whatever is required for that life will be provided by our experience here. And although money may come from investments or from another person physically in this physical uh, experience, it really is coming through source directly to us just through these other avenues. So first, we have to consider that, that there's no need to worry. So I, I want to separate the practical answer from the um, from the concern, because I think to take any um, to take make these decisions from a state of fear or concern um, would be the wrong approach, because that's going to take you further out of alignment with this cosmic bank account or whatever the word was, the guides used that we discussed before. If you can be in a state of non-resistance and alignment and uh, or a state of joy as you're walking your path, then if you're meant to have the resources, financial or otherwise, to get you from here to the end of your life journey, it's going to show up. It doesn't mean that it has to come from your investments or from your job or whatever. It's just going to come our way it comes. Um, and so we don't need to worry about those things. Secondarily, we're still here to have a human experience and to live in this physical world and in the structures that are in this physical world and to have those experiences. And part of that might be, like in your case, having an IRA or a pension or investing in different things. And, you know, I have a financial background, so I'm very interested in, in these areas and, and curious and always learning things in, in these particular areas because it's a personal fascination. So for me, it's not a tedious thing or even something that I do out of fear. It's something that's fun and interesting and fascinating uh, and something that I would do just that and I do do every single day just because I enjoy uh, those topic areas. So so now from that standpoint, there may be certain practical decisions to be made as far as the money that's in your various accounts. Keep in mind that now I'm going to assume you're in the U.S., but maybe you're somewhere else. Some of what I say may or may not apply. And, and of course, you've got to make your own decisions based on your own situation, which may be completely different from somebody else. Because somebody who's in their 20s, for example, isn't in the same situation as somebody in their 80s. Somebody in their 80s may be retired or retiring and uh, and not really earning income anymore, uh, where somebody in their 20s, they have decades to work and do different things to earn income. And so the person in their 20s may be willing to take more risk with their finances and maybe take on higher risk investments versus, versus somebody who's in their retirement years or maybe not in good health may not be willing to do that. So, uh, and and the other thing too is, if you're making financial decisions, it's really important to educate yourself in that particular area. Uh, I don't find or haven't found that the quote unquote experts in the financial space are really that expert. In fact. Oh, okay. We have some, uh, a little short period of time to finish. It's, we'll do it after the show. Uh, I mean, you know, when we come back at whatever time zone you're in after. Richard and oh, what well, we'll do it when we do our conference call, on our you know private conference call. We'll be back. So at our time that'll be around nine o'clock. 
I just want to say, we just talked about this on the conference call last night, that this has been going on, taking people to Mars for 10,000 years already. And it doesn't matter, because I agree with the part that he's saying that it will not be allowed at this time to continue. And my hit is that this energy of intervention is going to be affecting the controllers in a way where they'll be disarmed. So that means that process that's been going on and the people that are enslaved in unconscionable ways on Mars, all of that will not continue. And I know the galactics have a plan of how to free the people in Mars too. And then this other part where they always keep saying you're going to die. That is not necessarily true. And as we pursue higher consciousness, as we learn everything we need to know about our physical bodies, and then you learn more, doesn't ever end, that we learn how to extend the telomeres, uh, transform and regenerate all the cells. It's uh, And the use of colors, sound, and vibration is the key. There's music you can play overnight that will do all of these things and work on the chakras and work on elevating consciousness. All of it's available already. And we are using it now, and we can share those things. So stay with the clear mind and know that ascension means all the way. Don said something, I think it was on Thursday, there's no dying going around here. (laughs) Yes, we can, and we'll see you in about 10 minutes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is very helpful to do group work like this and, and then work together to integrate. So namaste for now, and we'll see you on the other side of this break. Aloha.
out your hand If your cup is empty If your cup is full It be again Let it be known There is a fountain That was not made By the hands of men There is a road No sound for holiday Between the dawn and the dark of night And if you go
which is opposite Venus and Mars. You got Saturn sitting in there in early Pisces, now retrograde at seven degrees. And the moon, uh, moon conjunct Neptune just a few hours ago, it's in four degrees of Aries as of nine o'clock Eastern. And this other stuff is still kind of the way it was last week. Uh, good old Uranus now at 23 of Taurus. Not really square Mars, but because of its dance with Venus, we'll call Uranus square Venus and Mars. All right, that's our, that's our current, uh, Configuration of conflict. So that's troublesome. Of course, the world is still at war. Uh, let's see, the sun's at 17 Pisces today. And uh, let's see here. Sun is at 17, Cancer, square Chiron. I misspoke. Sun is in Cancer, 17, square Chiron at 16. North Node is at 1 degree Taurus. And Jupiter is at 11 degrees Taurus. Uh, and there's, uh, what do we got there? Uh... I guess you could call that a trine, Saturn, Saturn to the sun, uh, Neptune to Mercury, that's a trine. There's a couple of, let's see, Neptune sextile Uranus, Uranus sextile to sun, so that makes a little triangle. But it's, you know, it's generally... Um, a troublesome chart dem demonstrating conflict almost everywhere. I mean, every square, Capricorn, Aries square, Cancer. We just had the full moon, Cancer, Capricorn, right? We got Mercury opposite Pluto. Uh, in a week, we're going to have Sun opposite Pluto. So there's a whole mess of changes going on. There's there's no there's no pattern to this, except that Sun, Mercury, Venus, and Mars are separating from all the rest of them which is, you know, basically Aquarius to Taurus. So we've got 30, 60, 90. You've got 112 degrees between Pluto and Uranus. All right, that's where all the, all the uh, group energies are. And the other four planets are... Moving, moving through and into opposition as we head through the summer. 
I mean, because when you when you get to when the sun gets to Leo, you've got sun opposite Pluto. When the when the sun gets to Virgo, you're going to have sun opposite Saturn. Right before the sun gets out of Virgo, it's going to be opposite Neptune. So, you know, that's our that's our condition. You know, slow, uncomfortable change. Richard, Back to you. what? Can you say that again? As sun gets to Virgo, what's going to happen? Uh, opposite Saturn. Oh, and then what? Opposite Neptune. Oh my gosh! And then what? Opposite Chiron. Oh Jesus! Uh huh. And what else? Well, when it gets into when the sun gets into Scorpio, it's going to be opposite Jupiter and Uranus, oh. and sun opposite Jupiter and Uranus. You know that's strong, strong energies. Yes. Is. is there any let up? Is it not this year? Oh. Oh. Look, it's it's a well known it's a well known truism, if I can use that word, that uh, many people are trying to put a happy face on the conditions, uh-huh. right? But how can that be when there's so much violence between peoples? Yep. I mean, it's not just the the various and sundry shooting conflicts, right? You got culture conflicts, and how many cultures are there? Several hundred. Yeah. Yeah, you got culture conflicts. You got you got race conflicts. You got. Stuff. Yeah. Okay. So. I was just going to say there is, I mean, um, there's, the black, there's, the don't say one, but they're saying that it's not that far down the road and there's going to be a flash of energy that's going to break up a lot of darkness. Well, that may be so. And I read, I read, I read somewhere that before, before humanity will be ready for the, the big positive changes, uh-huh. it's gotta get ready for the destructive energies that need to break up the old crystallized stuff. How do you get rid of the old crystallized stuff with destructive? It's a, it's it's commonly commonly called it was the job of Shiva, wasn't it, Rama? Yep, yep. Uh, and according to um, modern uh, ray theory, it's a it's a first it's a first ray it's a first ray job. 
the will God, the will, the divine will? Meaning Mars. Meaning, well, it would be represented by a combination of planets. Okay. Oh. But these are going to be uh, first ray advanced humans. Okay. That are going to have to, you know, incarnate, mature, and uh, and and help with the job that needs to be done. Right? You got you got all all your Western governments are so screwed up uh, yep, they are. that there isn't enough time on a twenty four hour call to go through each individual problem with all the different governments of the world. Right. So and until you can solve the problem of government, which is a first ray event, responsibility, the second ray of love is going to have a very hard time. And yeah. it can't be done without the intelligent activity of the third ray. And we don't have enough of any of those three kinds of humans incarnated at this time. So we need a we need a lot we need a lot more reinforcements. Uh-huh. Which is gonna be the the newest generation coming in. Yeah. You know. When you know, anyway, we better get we better get going. We're burning yeah. up our minutes here. Let's go see what Kaipacha has in mind. But you know what I got in mind. But that's just the way I that's just the way I see the world. You know, so you know, I, I may be totally wrong. Yeah, it, it may be coming sooner than I think. Uh huh. <laughs> but that's why I don't do prophecy as a general rule. Uh, true. No, yeah. okay. And then okay. it's only it's only a three day weather forecast. <laughs> Thank you. No dates. All right. All Take right. Us. I'm gonna mute out here. <laughs> here we go. Como esta Kaipacha with Astrology for the Soul, looking at the planetary patterns for the week of July 5 to 12. What is going on? We have a waning moon, okay, went into Aquarius yesterday and uh, is uh, going to be heading into Pisces uh, by Thursday, which is tomorrow. Uh, moving through Pisces will conjunct with our good friend Neptune before going into Aries on Saturday. Yeah? Trining Mercury, conjuncting Neptune, really going on. We'll have a third quarter square moon to the sun, okay, happening on Sunday. 
and I can talk a little bit about that and the degree, maybe the Sabian symbol. It'll conjunct Chiron there in Aries before uh, it goes into Taurus on Monday. Lots of changes there. On Monday, Mars goes into Virgo. Mercury opposes Pluto and then goes into Leo. The moon changes into uh, Taurus, hits the north node of the moon, which is about to change signs, okay, from Taurus into Aries. I'm going to talk about that on today's report. Um, other aspects is that, yeah, this Mercury squares Chiron today, sextiles Uranus tomorrow, trines Neptune on Sunday, squares the moon's nodes on Tuesday. I mean, we have a very active Mercury. Even in last week's report, I talked a little bit about, you know, the conversation, having the conversations and asking the questions. So that is still kind of going on here. Uh, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. In the meantime, let's look at Mars. Before Mars goes into Virgo, okay, uh, he is going to uh, come into an inconjunct with Neptune on tomorrow and in conjunct Pluto on Sunday, which is basically a yod. Yeah, 150 degrees to, uh, you know, from late Leo up to late Capricorn, up to late Pisces, and then uh, Pluto and Neptune in a sextile is the fickle finger of fate. <laughs> the yod. I might get to talking about that, but um, there's just so much to talk about. We'll just have to see what spirit moves. All right, everybody, I better get going before it starts raining. <laughs> so much to talk about today because I'm, I would actually like to go through each one of the planets to just really get get a bigger overall picture. I like to talk about, you know, the Sabian symbols and all the, you know, the moon cycle and, you know, all the different aspects that are going on right now. But I, I'd also like to bring a bigger context. Um, I'm thinking of doing a special on just this whole movement of what is going on and, and, and what it looks like ahead with the United States elections, Bobby Kennedy, with everything that's going on with uh, uh, AI and, uh, you know, technology and everything else. Um, and I try to do that online. I'm also doing some live workshops on this. Um, I'm going to be doing uh, Finding Peace, Harmony and Love in an Increasingly Hostile World. Um, you know, centering ourselves, coming home uh, to Mother Nature, uh, swimming with the dolphins, the astrology of water. Uh, I'll be posting about uh, Pluto, Scorpio, and the eighth house I'll be doing in Florida um, uh, next October, uh, and more to come. So uh, do please check the links uh, below in the notes on YouTube. You can find all the links. I know some of you had a hard time finding the link uh, for the uh, the Mandala book by Dane Rudyard. All I can say is go to YouTube, hit uh, see more, 
and in the notes that I have links to everything, including my playlist. Oh my goodness. The Spotify playlist for the Pele Report, a new song every week. That playlist is getting very, very, very long. <laughs> so let's just kind of look at these things. I, I am doing a whole workshop on Pluto and the moon's nodes. Um, that's coming up in November. And uh, let's start with Pluto, work our way in a little bit or see how spirit guides us. But really... We have this overarching, uh, you know, shift of Pluto, uh, going back and forth between Capricorn and Aquarius until November of 2024. It's finishing up its Capricorn business of restructuring, okay, you know, the whole means of global governance. If you haven't noticed, we are moving towards a global governance. And of course, this includes BRICS. Uh, I think there are now uh, almost 40 countries wanting to abandon the U.S. dollar as the world currency. Um, this would make a huge shift and change uh, in the United States. Uh, and, of course, there are many more implications in terms of uh, technology, science, advances in artificial intelligence, and everything else. So we have this backdrop of Pluto, the force of evolution, really, um, like I say, in transition. It's been in Capricorn since 2008. It's going to spend 20 years in Aquarius. So if you think, uh, you know, uh, technology is moving, changing rapidly now, uh, you've got, it's amazing. Uh, on the plane down here, I watched uh, Forging a New Future. And, you know, they're genetically engineering cows to not have horns. Uh, and if you know Anthroposophy and Rudolf Steiner, the cow's horns are its connection to the cosmic energies. And, and I mean, it's just like there's a lot of science going on now with uh, a lack of awareness of the subtle spiritual realms. But I'm going to get to that in a, in a separate report um, but I want to you know I want to move on to uh, really my main thing here is mercury squaring the moon's nodes we know that in evolutionary astrology Jeffrey Green has talked about that being called a skipped step in that it is necessary for us to do mercury at zero degrees of Leo in order to sh make that shift from the south node in Scorpio to the north node in Taurus. And I'm not going to read you the entire Sabian symbols for this, but I will give you a little bit of information on that. And the main thing that we want to talk about and understand is that for Scorpio, the south node is the path of least resistance. And it's been there since January of 2022. And it's going to be there until July 17th. The nodes are going to change signs and come into an exact square with Pluto. Right on my birthday. <laughs> July 22nd, 23rd. So, ah, 
So this this Mercury opposite Pluto, right, is moving also then into, okay, Leo, and squaring the nodes in their final degree. They're at the final degree. Since they go retrograde, their final degree is from zero degrees to one degree, and that's from July 7 to the 18th. We've got 10 or 11 days here, okay, where th- where this, you know, these Sabian symbols are going to be active. Uh, you know, it's for the entire week. And it's very powerful because, uh, and, and yeah, let me just, you know, basically, I want to share with you the north node of the moon, okay? The Sabian symbol is active now and for the next 10 days. And it has to do with a clear mountain stream. The pure, uncontaminated, and spontaneous manifestation of one's own nature. This is the North Node in Scorpio. This is the North Node in Taurus. This is moving out of Scorpio into Taurus. Simple. This is what the mantra is about this week. Okay, this is very simple, very direct, very clear, very self-sustaining, very self-oriented. I take care of myself. I have, you know, gold in me, capacities, talents, value. And this go coincides so beautifully with Jupiter in Taurus and Uranus in Taurus. I mean, this is a very powerful time of coming into simple Simon says and coming out of Scorpio, complex, intense, intermingling, okay? Codependency. Here's the south node of Taurus, the path of devolution. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, ouch. It is a crowded sightseeing bus on a city street. The fundamental human eagerness to expand one's social horizon and to experience the results of collective achievements and new ways of life. You get this? Coming out of a crowded city bus to a clear mountain stream. This is the path of evolution, of development, of growth for all of us during this, it's our last final hurrah with this kind of energy. And what happens? Mercury comes in to square it and says, before you can get out of that city bus and get to that clear mountain stream, you've got to what? (laughs) You've got to... It is blood rushes to a man's head as his vital energies are mobilized 
under the spur of ambition, an eruption of biopsychic energies into the ego-controlled field of consciousness. What is the ego-controlled field of consciousness? Mercury. Vital forces, chi energy, kundalini energy, rising from the root chakra, emotions, passions, desires, wants, flooding our mercury, ego-controlled consciousness. Boom! That's why this mantra today has to do with being overwhelmed. And we're just coming out of this full moon in Capricorn, okay? And, you know, for me, uh, you know, it was very overwhelming. You know, this Cancer-Capricorn axis, we've got this sun down there in Cancer raising up the intuitive, emotional fears, needs, inner child longings, ah! triggered by the full moon in Capricorn, the past, ghosts from the past, guilt, shame, doubt, reflection. So we can all be experiencing at this time period, you know, very much getting kind of like overwhelmed, like, you know, like if this river just came over and flooded me, you know, our emotional body. Our, you know, our kundalini energy coming up, you know, rushing into our heads. And, you know, it is vitally necessary for us now. And this is what that whole Mercury at zero degrees of Aries says to me, is we need to communicate. We need to talk. We need to write. We need to speak. We need to sing. We need to go into our core, true self, like the clear mountain stream, and we have to express it. We have to use this vital energy, yeah, you know, not to over, not to be overwhelmed, but to create something and, and, and to exteriorize. That's the word. We need to externalize, exteriorize. We need to take, instead of letting the volcano just like, you know, build up and overwhelm us, we need to blow. I know that uh, the, the volcano uh, uh, Kilauea there in uh, the big island was, you know, expanding an acre of land every year, you know. The island is growing. The volcano is creating more tropical paradise. You know, so it's like as we, you know, let it out, you know, rather than try to control it, try to hold it in. This is so healing. This brings me to Chiron in Aries. And many of you were probably born with Chiron in Aries. If you are anywhere from age, what, like 47 to 54 or 55, you were born with Chiron in Aries. 
And you're either coming up to your Chiron return or you've had your Chiron return. But right now as I speak, Mercury is square Chiron. It's going so fast, it's moving two degrees a day. I mean, Mercury is like, the messenger has a message. (laughs) And that message is to heal, you know, heal our wounds. The wounded masculine, the wounded warrior, the sense that, you know, we're, we're, we're not enough or we're undeserving. We don't deserve, okay, to like really succeed, win, uh, get our desires met. But here's what the mantra has to do with today. Simplify. The other aspect of Taurus is Earth. It's very slow. It's very practical. It's very grounded, earthy, sensuous, okay, you know, and very deliberate. So we're coming out of this volcano of passion and desire and needs and fears and shame and whatever, you know, know, wanting to control. Scorpio wants power and control. And this north node in Taurus is coming into letting go of that desire to exploit, manipulate, dominate, control, have power and force and influence and ah, and come into, and here this is what is so cool about the freaking uh, third quarter square moon. Sabian symbol for the third quarter square moon. An empty hammock stretched between two trees. I just helped my friend hang, hang a hammock last week. Actually, I didn't help him. He did it himself. <laughs> but anyway, a constructive alternation of activity and rest. Rest. I am so happy to have moved out of the yang, masculine, do, 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 estados unidos, down to the feminine, tropical, simply be and relax, pura vida, Costa Rica, But no matter where you are, the simple rhythms of nature, the biorhythms of your own body are calling to slow down and breathe. Inhale and exhale. Let it go. Let it out. Let the river run. So this is what I mean in the mantra. You know, you can just be overwhelmed that, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, or I don't know where I'm going to go, or I don't know where the money's coming from, or I don't know where this relationship is going, or I don't know this and I don't know that. And it creates all this 
you know, scorpionic pressure, tension, emotion, desire. And this future path of evolution for these next 10 days is really moving into a path of trust, trusting ourselves, that we are in harmony with spirit, that we are supported by spirit, that we are one with spirit. Which brings me back to, I have to talk about this Saturn and Pisces. Saturn and Pisces is where, you know, Saturn's where we grow up. We need to mature. We need to restructure. And through perseverance and endurance, build a deeper relationship with Pisces. Divine cosmic intelligence, love, source, oneness. This is just like a time period where we need to let go and let God. We need to let go of control. Accept ourselves. Taurus is what I've got in me. Okay, what I am. I can control my thoughts. I can control to some degree my body as much as it lets me. (laughs) I got a messed up shoulder, a messed up knee. I I can't say that I can fully control my body right now. (laughs) But, you know, we can control our heart, you know, our heartstrings. We can control our thoughts. So this is where we slow down and rather than be overwhelmed by the future, overwhelmed by our fears, overwhelmed by our past, we and we and we just slow it all down and we look at today what I'm going to do today what I'm going to do now and I'm going to trust that I'm going to take step one step two is tomorrow or step two is tonight what I'm going to do tonight you know I'm, I'm going to just you know rather than try to eat the whole enchilada I'm going to just take little bites, little bit at a time, one step at a time, one breath at a time, one day at a time. This is the bull, north node in Taurus. Slow down one step at a time. And that is, whenever I get overwhelmed, I know just what to do. I let it all go and simplify. Only taking steps one and two. I go food shopping. I come home and I eat. I make meals. I get proper rest. It's just like when you throw a rock into a still pond. You go in concentric circles. So you, you you become the best version of yourself first. Then your beloved or your intimate relationships. Then your family. Then your community. 
than the global situation or however, you know, your telegram groups, your Facebook friends, whoever, your dating apps, you know, but you start at home. You start with Taurus and the sun in Cancer. So you got this real feminine inner energy happening now. And it's just center, slow, and trust. The ripple will expand. Life will change and evolve and grow. It will be shown unto you all in due time. So let the sun shine in. <laughs> Face it with a grin. You know, I don't I, I I don't have a song for this week, so uh if you think of a good one Don't let the rain come down. Oh no, don't let the no <laughs> Slow down, you move too fast. You gotta make the morning last just kicking down the cobblestones, looking for fun and feeling groovy. That will be the song for this week. Simon and Garfunkel. Feeling groovy. Yeah, baby. Slow down. Ow! One more time. Whenever I get overwhelmed, I know just what to do. <laughs> I let go of it all and simplify. And only taking steps one and two. <laughs> Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Richard, you're breaking up. And I got a bad echo. Okay, well, I heard that. I have a bad echo. Keep going. New moon is on the 17th. Okay. So that's going to be when all of that that he talked about with the north south node changing signs square to mercury is also going to be new moon so that may change the conditions a bit for the next month but we got to get to the 17th yeah and next week is only the 15th 
Right. That's it. Oh, I picked, uh, before I say goodnight, namaste, I picked four pounds of green beans on Monday, the first picking. The first picking of the green beans. I got four and a half pounds. Oh, oh that's great. And I cooked them up, every bit of them, the next day and put them in the freezer. Yeah, so tomorrow nice. I gotta go. Tomorrow I, it's been a week, so tomorrow I gotta go pick beans and check the tomatoes and the squash and the cucumber. So tomorrow's a garden day. What happened to the peas? Peas don't get planted until later. I didn't plant peas this spring. Oh. I will plant peas in August. Oh. And then when will they be done? About 60, 70 days. Uh-huh. Till harvest. Mm-hmm. Early October. Yeah. When are apples ready? Apples come in in Georgia. Apples come in in uh, October. Early apples come in September. Most of the apples around here come in in October. Okay. Our apple festival is in October. You have an apple festival? Yeah. Well, that sounds like fun. Oh. Yeah. Okay, Richie, we got to do Tanya. All right, then. Until we we meet again. Yes, ma'am. Have a good week. You too. Namaste. I'm going to listen. Oh, great. Here we go. Let's do Tanya. All right. Namaste. Astrologist, welcome to Star Codes. This is the astrology numerology forecast where we look at an upcoming event in the cosmos so that we're aware of the energetics behind it, the codes, the transits, the aspects. We put it all together and then we're prepared in the best way possible to navigate the energies and make the most of them. And in this case, we are going to look at the beautiful Cancer New Moon, July 17th, and I am so excited about this new moon because it happens at 24 degrees in Cancer, and I'll get into that in a moment. But first, let's look at the time. It is exact on July 17th at 7.32 p.m., that's Universal Time in London, and that is 2.32 p.m. Eastern Time, New York, and... 11.32 a.m. Pacific time in Los Angeles. And this forecast is for all signs. You don't need to be a cancer to benefit from it. You have cancer in your birth chart. 
And that means that this new moon takes place in one of the houses. You have 12 houses in your birth chart. So we have all 12 signs represented in our chart. Now, Cancer is all about nurturing and love, tenderness, kindness. And 24 degrees where the sun and moon will be reduces to six. Two plus four is six. And six is also the number of love, of kindness, of nurturing. And as it happens, the archetype for cancer is the mother. And the archetype for the number six is also the mother. In fact, if you look at the number six, it looks like a pregnant mother carrying a child and giving birth to motherhood, being nurturing, being kind, being responsible, everything that cancer represents. So that's why this particular new moon is doubling up on the nurturing, compassionate energy. And we're going to go much deeper into this into a moment because what it entails, especially with the sun and moon opposite Pluto, is we are going into the void, the void of the womb and the void of the unknown. And Pluto, like I said, 29 degrees in Capricorn opposite the sun and moon at 24 degrees in Cancer. Now, as you may realize, Pluto was in Aquarius for the first time in 248 years for three months from the end of March until June 11th. Now, Pluto's retrograded back into Capricorn and will be there until early 2024. And this opposition to the Cancer New Moon really brings up passion. The passion to go where you haven't been to before, the passion to turn over the rock and see what's underneath and not be the shadow side of cancer, the crab, where cancer sometimes hides under the shell if it doesn't want to deal with the situation. So the shadow side of cancer is to dig your head in the sand. But this opposition of the sun and moon to Pluto is definitely going to not allow you to go that route for long because Pluto wants to dig up the truth and get to the nuts and bolts of the matter, especially the things that we haven't seen that are crucial to our awakening. So one of the themes of this new moon is to not run away from things that you don't want to deal with or that you might be afraid of. Now, the moon, the ruler of cancer, is the planet that shines the light at night in darkness and of course the sun shines the light in the daylight so cancer and the moon represent the womb the void the mother the ruler of cancer carries a child in the womb where it is dark where there is life unfolds in that void and the void represents that where everything and nothing intermingle in the void Everything and nothing exists together in the void. And the void is fertile ground for life. It is the place where we nurture seeds to grow. The void is the unknown, just like this opposition from Pluto. Pluto represents the unknown, and that's why Pluto can bring up situations that we fear because what we are afraid of is what we don't know. So the void is asking us, this Cancer New Moon is asking us to surrender to the unknown. 
It's about coming home to yourself because the only way to surrender to the unknown is to go here. And I say coming home to yourself because Cancer in astrology is the ruler of the fourth house, which represents your family, your home. And so Cancer literally is not only about the mother energy, but literally where you, your womb, where you live, right? It also represents real estate for that reason, uh, your genetic heritage, your background, your past. And so it is about those things that seeded us, that nurtured us, right? And so when we have a Cancer New Moon opposite Pluto at 24 degrees, we are literally looking at those seeds. And New Moon is new beginnings. We're looking at new seeds growing within us. And that each new seed, each new idea, each new project, each new relationship is a mystery. Each new moment is a newborn moment. And so you nurture those seeds regardless of what they may become. You nurture a child regardless of what the child may become. You're being called to surrender to that mystery of the unknown, especially the mystery of the future. Because the greatest breakthroughs happen when you find a way to release control and trust that life is flowing naturally and flowing according to plan, the divine plan for your life. And so the flow of that, the surrender to the flow, it represents water as well. Because just like the womb is water, The void represents water. Water is where life begins. Water is the origin of life. And we are mostly made up of water and our planet is mostly made up of water. And when we are called to let go, when we feel, we often tear up. Whether it is from sadness, from joy, from inspiration, we get tears and Pluto is such a deep feeling planet. Remember, it's opposite this new moon. So Pluto also brings that passion and that ability to allow yourself to let go. By the way, Pluto rules another water sign. Cancer is a water sign and Pluto rules Scorpio, which is the second of three water signs, the final being Pisces, of course. So we have this beautiful moment now where we can feel ourselves in the womb of life where everything and nothing exists as one and sometimes that can be confusing the idea of nothingness and everything being together but the reason it can be confusing is we're so used to doing something that just feeling the void and surrendering to it, like the sign of cancer is asking, is paradoxical regarding what we are told we need to do in order to move ahead, which is to do, 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 and act, act, act. And of course, that is important. However, the taking time away from the actual movement of action is very important right now. So open your heart to feel, to receive, to be nurtured. Share your heart with others. 
things that you felt vulnerable about, things that are tender, those can be shared now in a way that allows you to forgive, especially yourself, to be vulnerable, to be open, and to understand that everything that you may feel you need to hide from eventually will need to be addressed anyway. So you might as well address it when it comes up, especially in your relationships, because that's when things tend to be mirrored is by other people. And remember that you're coming home to yourself and the moon is coming home to its own sign. The lunations of which we have 13 in a year are based on Luna, the moon, and this is the moon's home sign cancer. So there is a real sense of homecoming right now of of being empathetic and intimate. And you also may have moods that are more changeable around this time. You know, cancer can easily be hurt. It is a very sensitive sign. So the crab also has those claws and can lash out. So just be aware that that tendency can be there as well. The main thing about cancer is to focus on the nurturing part, whatever that means to you, physically nurturing through massage, through preparing meals, through nourishment of any kind, caring of others, taking care and receiving nourishment as well. You know, the 24 degrees of the sun and moon, like I said, also governs nurturing, taking responsibility, mentoring, mothering, parenting. And so you are also needing to make sure that you're not over nourishing. So receiving energy as well, so that you're not depleted of energy. Now the shadow side of cancer is to be clingy, insecure, possessive, too cautious or afraid of rejection, so you don't go for it, uh, or lacking clear goals, being sort of dissipated or wishy-washy about where you're heading. Now, on the 17th of July, we have the immortality number activated. 17 is what I call the immortality number, and it means that you're leaving a legacy behind. So this new moon is very important regarding how you address those moments in your life that really are meaningful. So around this new moon, especially on July 17th, you want to really be very conscious of how you're using your energy. And it will inform you for quite a while after this new moon because of the immortality aspect of it. The whole date, 7 17 2023 adds up to 22 and that's the architect of peace number. So there is a real sense of feeling peace through surrender, love, allowing yourself to be nurtured, allowing yourself to feel and taking ownership. 17 is the leadership number as well, not just immortality, but literally strength, confidence, having a vision. So there's a really big code here. It's actually the four and eight code of destiny. 22 reduces to four, 17 to eight. And it's very powerful in numerology. So this is really is a profoundly important new moon. And as it happens, it's in July, which begins the second half 
all the events that are upcoming. We have a Venus retrograde. We have a lot going on with Mars and many other transits that are upcoming. And so this opposition of the sun and moon to Pluto is basically showing you expect change, expect transformation. And because of that, you are being empowered. If you surrender Pluto, the planet of power, life, death, rebirth, and transformation will emotionally empower you. So this is a very important juncture to allow yourself to not just surrender, and surrender doesn't mean being a victim. It truly means that you have the confidence to let go of wanting to control when things actually transpire in your life. You you are allowing the universe to bring you the moment you just prepare the best you can in terms of your adjustment, your alignment, your perception, your alignment to frequency. Are you choosing joy over fear? Are you choosing love over aggression? Right? Those are the things you can control moment to moment. Stay present with any changes in your life. Allow them to move through you and welcome the newfound wisdom and act on the wisdom with enthusiasm. You know, Pluto is a very powerful planet, very passionate. The sun and moon are also trying to Neptune, and Neptune is the ruler of Pisces. So here we bring all the water signs together. We have an opposition to Pluto, ruler of Scorpio, and then we have a trying to Neptune, ruler of Pisces, and the new moon is in Cancer, third water sign. So a lot of watery, emotional, deep-feeling, heart-centered energy here. And Neptune brings a sense of really your psychic abilities, your dreams, the intuitive understanding of spirituality and beauty, especially beautiful music, and manifesting your dreams really becomes much more of a possibility also due to the numerology code. Remember that 17.8 and 22.4, these are manifestation numbers. And so this is really enhanced by the spiritual insights that you receive. Other transits are Mercury square Jupiter, which really wants you to focus on optimistic thoughts and communication. Uh, Mars is opposite Saturn. It's a very busy new moon. As you can see, um, Mars, the ruler of Aries, opposite Saturn, which is in Pisces. Uh, there's a great activation of responsibilities. You can persevere through frustration. Uh, it's very important to stay in control of your emotions, right? To be proactive, to physically work out, uh, you know, vigorous exercise really helps to make this opposition, to bring it into balance so that you feel the dynamic energy in a way that is positive. So you immerse yourself in activity that yields productive results. And finally, Neptune, ruler of Pisces, is sextile to Pluto. They will not be exact, but they're getting close now and then they move apart again due to the retrogrades. But you're unafraid to go against the grain of accepted way of thinking and doing things. So this is really enhancing your pioneering spirit. And you are very inspired by the truth. The truth shall set you free. You're tapping into the collective in a big way. And you sense the current pulse of humanity and how it is changing and evolving. So that's really coming to a head this decade and starting really now where we 
feel that sextile. And then, like I said, it moves apart, comes together over the next few years. These are the slow-moving planets, Neptune and Pluto. So, yeah, this is a really important time of understanding that you're on the forefront of a major shift and you're seeking to pioneer the energy. You are unplugging from things that are not based on love. You're unplugging from the past so that you can focus on the present. You're forging a path that hasn't been generated on this planet as yet. And Pluto opposite this new moon really ensures that you understand this. And the more you become aware of who you truly are as a heart-centered, living, breathing, soul-centered, light body, a representative, a spark of the divine, the more you're able to live in that reality of the divine rather than the mind's made up reality, right? So this is really an important moment and I'd love to help you through it with a free masterclass called How to Master Your Stars. It's a way for you to tune into the secret of spiritual mastery and it's so apropos with this Cancer New Moon to tune into that part of your life Go to spiritualmasteryclass.com and what you'll discover is the true meaning of your rising sign, the important difference between individuality and uniqueness, and this ties into Uranus as well. You also discover that your natal sun and natal moon's profound impact on living an abundant and happy life and how to instantly connect with the divine, with spirit, and many more secret tools. So enjoy that free masterclass at spiritualmasteryclass.com. Lots of love. Have a beautiful Cancer New Moon. And I'll see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Okay, everyone. Rama, what's the conference call numbers? Oh, uh, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. <laughs> yes, thank you. We don't need to... He he was off. He's okay. Yeah. Thank you for asking, Don. We're going to quote. Repeat that number, honey. Seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. Okay, everybody. It's been a whole wild day. In the neighborhood, and it keeps like happening every day. So let's have a little talk about that, and we'll see you on the conference call. Thank you, everyone, and we'll be right back here at the best radio in the universe at the top of the next hour.
Peace out. Namaste. See you on the conference.
I'm good. My watch beat you to it. the country, but I can't stand the scene, and I'm neither left or right, I'm just staying home tonight, getting lost in that hopeless little screen, but I'm stubborn as those garbage bags, that time cannot decay, I'm junk, but I'm still holding up this little wild bouquet, democracy is coming. To the U.S.S.
is coming to America first. The cradle of the best of the worst. It's you that got the reins of machinery for change. And it's here that they got the spiritual thirst. It's here the family's broken, and it's here the lonely say that the heart has got to open in a fundamental way. Democracy is coming to the U.S.A. telling my honey here that it was in Boulder and in Denver it was 100 degrees today and they're 5,500 feet up in the air something's going on and they said that it was going to be 104 in Houston today too um Yeah, Doug was, Don was saying, you know, that they're pretending that there's climate change. 
I, I told him that we got chemtrails in Santa Fe for 45 years. It's 45 years now. And it was every single day for 45 years. And I think now it's kind of letting up, right, Rama? Yeah. They still do it, but not every day. No. So, blaze the violet fire. Mm. So, we will finish Michaela now, won't we, Rama? Okay. I think there's only about eight minutes. Yeah. We'll listen. Here we go. People who the majority of people listen to who are on main mainstream media or even the financial gurus out there often have an agenda or and, and oftentimes a personal agenda and and if you look at their actual forecasts they often are wrong uh, or maybe they're right but they're doing it for themselves and not really the information they're putting out into the public so be very careful when you're listening to other people's advice it's more important that you educate yourself in in what you're doing so that you know what you're doing for yourself. Now, in the U.S., um, we are in an inflationary state, of course, every um, uh, all over the world, that's the case right now. And in the U.S., it may be felt less severely in other countries. Um, and But at some point, as I mentioned in the earlier question, that the U.S. just lifted the debt ceiling. So meaning the government can now spend as much money as they want for the next several years. And of course, after that uh, limit has been passed, they're going to continue removing that limit. But at a certain point, at that volume of spending, we're going to get to a point where there will be uh, hyperinflation on, uh, and very high interest rates in the U.S. So so economically, we're heading into a very severe situation in this decade at where the dollar will lose its value um, dramatically. And if uh, and the only thing in the U.S. that we have going for us economically is that the U.S. dollar is still the world reserve currency. And if that were to change, which it probably will in this decade, then we will enter an extreme inflationary state here. So anything that you have in dollars is not worth as much as things that are in tangible goods or commodities or even in equities in some cases. So, for example, if you own Apple stock in one of your IRAs, even if there's inflation in the United States then or in another country, that Apple stock, even if, Apple were to lose value uh, or their um, uh, their products weren't selling as much, it's still going to inflate with the dollar. So at least you're not going to lose money due to inflation. But there is a volatility of the stock market as we're going into a great depressionary state that it may lose value anyway. So it's it's a really touchy future that we're heading into. I think the most important thing in this future is to consider um, your economic sovereignty more than the economic value because it's going to be hard to pin down the value because we don't control the Federal Reserve and we don't control what the government does in terms of printing current or the issuing currency and, and borrowing more debt and spending into oblivion. 
and causing inflation to occur as a result of all of this, uh, all of these factors that we don't control. So, uh, but what we can control is our sovereignty and sovereignty. I think we have a unique opportunity with, uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, for example, to have potentially a means of exchange that the governments cannot control, provided, of course, you self-custody it. So that's, I think, something to look at um, and and also to try to pay attention to, you know, if we were to end and enter an extremely hyperinflationary or just an extremely inflationary state in the United States, where would your, your funds be safest? Um, in an IRA, maybe, um, because inflation will increase the value of your stocks as well. Um, if you're not a skilled investor, then, then it would be good to study up on those things that they interest you. Um, and I think there's a very good chance that pensions could be a problem as well in the U.S., although it's hard to say if that would occur in this decade. Um, but if, but if we enter into an extreme economic collapse, which I believe will occur in this decade, you have to look at where would be the best place to keep your assets in that environment. Now, Bitcoin is an example, and I'm not recommending Bitcoin necessarily. It may not be right for your your situation. But one thing we can say about Bitcoin is, although it's it's correlated with other assets or with a greater economy, it is somewhat separate as well in the sense that, well, if the U.S. dollar does inflate Bitcoin, theoretically should go the opposite direction, just like gold. Uh, and while gold is good to maintain value, so if you have X amount of dollars, if you move it into physical gold, then in theory, at least the gold will maintain value against the dollar, so you won't lose wealth. Um, but the problem with gold is it's very hard to move. So if you have physical gold and you need to move somewhere else, transporting that gold can be a problem where Bitcoin is very easy to transport. Um, and so and so I think in that sense, we're living in a time where a lot of things are unknown and where we don't control the system. So in my opinion, it's best to have things that are outside or at least a lot of your wealth it's, uh, is outside of the system. Physical gold, physical silver are things that are outside of the system because you have physical possession of those things and whatever the government does doesn't affect those things. Uh, and to some degree, if they're continuing to spend money, which we know they're going to do, at least we know that gold and silver will hold their value and probably will go up in value um, in comp- you know, compensating for the, the inflation of the dollar. Same will be true for Bitcoin. Not all cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin for sure. And, and Bitcoin is easy to transport. So, and so I would try to look at things that will help you maintain your sovereignty and that are going to weather a storm in a governmental, um, and economic environment where they're going to print a lot of currency or rather issue a lot of currency into the economy, inflate the dollar, raise interest rates. Um, in this decade. So um, in every inflationary or hyperinflationary environment that's occurred throughout our recorded history, we've seen the currency um, become debased and lose value where 
uh, everything uh, costs an insane amount of money to purchase. So even in that sense, buying physical goods um, that may hold value, such as valuable art, for example, or even luxury items um, will hold their value better. Or a luxury watch, for example, if you buy a Rolex watch, um, that is actually a, a better way to preserve wealth or increase wealth than to keep it in the dollar because a Rolex watch is a premium luxury product that has limited supply. And if you were to buy it as an investment, you could still wear it. Um, it'll be worth more 10 years from now than it is today because the dollar lose, lost value. And meanwhile, the Rolex watch may have increased in value uh, and also increased because of the um uh, inflation. So it's a complex question that I can't answer without knowing your specific details, your age, and a lot of other factors. But my main advice is don't worry about it. Um, try to get into a joyful alignment state and whatever the universe will take care of you anyway. Um, but then it's good to make practical decisions in the world that we're heading into as well. And uh, and so consider some of the ideas that I mentioned as a starting point anyway. All right. I think that's a good place for us to stop today. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Awaken Empowered podcast, audience spotlight edition. If you have additional questions for us in a future podcast, feel free to post them on our various platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new channel of revelation show. Take care. Okay, we're going to do this wonderful interview. Can you read that? Yeah, I got to find it first. Oh, yeah. Rama's going to be hunting for that. Hunting, pecking. (laughs) (laughs) Birdie singing. Yes. I was just thinking again about this intervention and I think it's just such a blessing and of course we'll see what we see as we see it yet between the king of swords Lady Nada and Tom the ringtail cat and sweet Angelique the cat all these are interventive beings galactic beings what, honey? What game is it? Wednesday. Um, might have been Tuesday. Oh. Here it is. You found it. Mm-hmm. All right. Read the title, Roma. <clears throat> uh... July energy, nice loud, July energy update, quest, live questions and answers with renowned energy healer and master tracker, Bonnie Satori. Okay, this is about, about 37 minutes. 36. 36 minutes. Okay, let's get started. I thought this was a delight, delightful interview, everybody. I hope you enjoy. Okay.
Well, hi, everybody. It's great that you're here. Whether this is recording for you or live, welcome. I'm Carolina Shanna Ryan. I'm a channeler and author, and I'm here with this amazing master tracker and energy healer, Bonnie Saratori. And we're going to talk about the energies for the month of July 2023. And it's not getting any more boring out there. <laughs> so I'm just going to ride over to Bonnie. If you've got a question about the energies, how they're affecting you or the earth, go ahead, write that into the chat. And I'll read those questions out. Bonnie can answer. But let's hand that talking stick to Bonnie for now. Yeah. Okay. So this is very different than June. June was like that expansion opening. July, it, when I was looking at it, it almost had, you know how we, we have Mercury retrograde and it gets really intense and all the energy is pulling in, you know. So July is actually kind of like that. It's more of a contracting. It's more of a pulling in. It doesn't mean that we need to contract our bodies or our hearts, but the pulling in is really about facing some of these deeper places in our subconscious, okay? So with everything that's happening in the world, and I mean everything, you know what I mean? Like the the weather patterns, the the food issues, the the um the the fighting the war things in different areas, the dissension that's happening, everything is having a lot of intensity globally. So now what's being asked for those of us who are on that journey of utilizing the energies to help us, right now what's happening is now it's time to come in and face more deeply the areas and the issues that keep us from opening our heart. Okay, whatever that is for ear, everyone, everyone's going to be a little different. Um, and, but it does have to do with any kind of wounding where you feel yourself contract, meaning like if I'm thinking about like with, with Carol, with Carolina Oceana, I call her Oceana. So when That's I think about Oceana, I, you know, I feel, I feel my, I, I just love her, you know, I love her. So, but I could, if I had blockages, I would feel them, you know, sometimes we can feel them physically in our body. So the thing that you want to do is just to where in your world, where in your in your life, where where you're feeling yourself maybe um, blocking or you don't you're not able to feel like an opening to love loving someone or feeling that kind of connection, but being aware of your life and what challenges are you still having? Are, you know what I mean? Like are are there financial? Are there relationship? Is there work related? Is it home related is it family related maybe it's all of that because <laughs> you know it probably is on some level every area of our lives are being activated but that's what's happening right now so literally with like in on an energy level there's something like i can see this frequency and remember too we're coming to that new the prep the new paradigm so veils are thinning more light is shining so the darker energies are being activated and pulled to the surface. But what's also happening is there's some kind of energy because it has that pulling in. It's like pulling us deeper into our subconscious. Okay. And in the subconscious, this is things are getting stirred up. There's something about last month, the June where it's like, it's opening your heart, letting yourself love. Remember when we open the heart and love, what's not of love come starts to present. Yeah. So that's what's being that's what's happening. They're kinda of, it's kinda of working together. So here comes June, expansion. Oh, now it's not love. Now you gotta look at that. So it's time to 
allow yourself to face these places, to face what you're feeling. Like, let's just say for finances, okay? Let's just say that you're concerned about finances, you got worry about finances, you're working or maybe you're not working, you're looking for a job or you've got a job, it's just, you know what I mean? It's all the stress levels and you, you know, you, you've got this concern. So, so what's happening now is the, to find the actual issue that's causing the lack in their finances is being activated. So what I mean by that is, so we, what we would do is we would, okay, so I'm thinking about my finances. I'm worried about them. I don't have enough money or maybe I need more money or whatever the finances are. I'm going to pay my rent. I'm going to feed the kids, whatever. And what you're, what you're after is, what is that fear in there? What does that feel like? So it's not the fear that you're looking for. It's what's underneath the fear. See, people get kind of caught when they're, when they're getting worried. They get caught in the fear part of it. Okay. And people are thinking, Oh, you got to go through the fear. No, it's not that. It's what's under the fear. Okay. So if I'm worried about my finances and I've got fear, worry, worry, I'm going, Oh my, I, but then if I stop and I go, okay, I know it's not the fear that I have to clear and understand and embrace what's underneath that. So if I let myself just be with the fear and the recognition, okay, yeah, it's fear, but take my awareness. What's right underneath that fear? So when I say take our awareness, it's like we can, when we do this, we, we be with the energy of fear. Okay. So we're feeling the fear. We're the recognition. Okay. There's fear. But I'm also aware that, that this is not the core. There's something underneath the fear. So then what I do, Oshana, is I, I kind of just go, go, I can feel my awareness going under the fear. And what I'm doing is I'm looking for the emotion, like under the fear. What's, what's my emotion under the fear? Mm-hmm. And I might have a feeling like, um, you know, like almost like forsaken or, uh, forsaken has a deep grief, a deep sadness. Okay. So are, are feeling like maybe I feel like I'm, well, I feel like this, um, like a feeling of sadness or, you know, something's in there. I feel really sad, but what is that sad really connected to? What is that? Okay. And it could be connected to feeling like, you know, like I don't belong here. I'm not wanted here. I'm not loved. Okay. So what's happening is the deepest core, core, core issues of our soul's journey are being activated in this month, okay? So what we want to do is go beyond your fear levels, whether you're worried about, like I said, relationship, love, all of that. Go into, see if you can't get in touch with what's underneath any kind of fear. If you're worried about finances, what's underneath the fear? And then by going in, and dropping into those emotions, then you can start to unravel and clear these. And what happens is magically something starts to all of a sudden, maybe a, a new job or maybe an opportunity or money came. Something happens, people, because yeah. you have to remember this. This is vital. We are creating our reality 100% constantly based on our subconscious. So if your subconscious is saying, I'm not enough. I'm not wanted here. I don't belong. I'm not loved. You can't receive. So if you think you're going to receive money with that kind of energy, you're not. Okay. So when you clear that up, things automatically start changing because you're changing what your 
what your subconscious is sending out into the atmosphere, into the world. And then also your own higher levels will start working together based on your subconscious. Okay. So it's really important that people take advantage of this month because I'm telling you, I'm looking right at it, Oceana. I'm looking at this, this energy that's like right in that second chakra area. And it's just, I, it's just like, it's like, it just wants to just burst open all this unconscious wounding so that people can be free and be liberated from it. So, you know, this is, this is the opportunity. Absolutely. Now that second chakra you just mentioned, is that where we tend to store these feelings of life doesn't support me, the universe doesn't support me, there's no higher self, I'm alone in this. The only thing that I exist <laughs> yeah. around me is that with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That second chakra is all your emotional all the emotional stuff, okay? All the things that have happened, all your beliefs, you know, like I'm forsaken, poor me, I'm a victim. I'm not disempowered. I'm not all that stuff. All the emotion is in that second chakra. Okay. So it's being activated. So that, you know, it's like, it's really, it's, it's the opportunity because it's like, <clears throat> whatever is not love is, it's like, it's getting activated and it's going to come up. So what will happen for people is, you know, the situations will activate the, that wound. Okay. But what happens is we have a tendency to go, Oh, that's happened. Why is that happening to me? Or why are you doing that to me? People are understanding that. Wait a second. Oh, I'm being activated. I can feel my reaction. Oh, that's my emotion. You're just helping me to find it. Thank you very much. You know, so be grateful for these activators and triggers, the people that seemingly are doing it to you or God or whatever you want to, you know, however you've got your belief systems happening that you're being punished. None of that's true or real. You are doing it yourself 100%. But my point is, is that this month is oh, the opportunity. It's like, all right, my deepest core wounding is being activated, is coming up into my face. Am I going to take the opportunity? Am I going to push it down again? And then maybe have to wait who knows how long. Maybe not even till next lifetime. You know what I mean? So it's like take advantage of the energies that are working for us. They're not against us. They're working for us to purge us, to help us be liberated and freed from our own misperceptions, our own belief systems, our own wounding, you know, all that gunk that simply isn't true. You know, so it's like we want to come back to who we really are, that pure energy of love and light, and we can't do that with all the wounding. So this is the month to do it. Yeah, fantastic. I love it. And (laughs) like when you mentioned the money, I I thought to myself, okay, so if I had a fear moment with money, what would that be about? What would be beneath that? And lo and behold, I came up with. It'll come through. It's also right. part of it is that, my, for instance, my parents related to money with this. There's never enough. That's just how right. life is. Right. There's never enough money. So that's how we relate to money that we say to it in emotion. Right. You're never enough. Well, guess what's going to happen? Right. Looking at at what um, Amy was asking, she says, I've been working on the unconscious I am worthy for years. So how might we deal with that? Because pretty much everybody has that on one level or another. They do. Almost everyone, actually, Oceana. Almost, okay? Okay, so basically... If we're going to do it on our own, meaning like not having somebody else assist, but we're going to try and do some of our own. Okay. So what I do, because I've done most of my work on my own and major shifts, and I do seek help 
Okay. You might be really clear. So if I'm working on that and I know I have this belief or feeling, it's about, I feel unworthy. So what happens is, is when you feel in, when Amy feels into that feeling, okay, like, like, okay, let's just back up. So if I think about money, I want money. It's not coming to me. I'm thinking it's about unworthiness, but there's an emotion. The emotion is key, people. The emotion is the doorway in. So if I'm feeling into that and how it makes me feel is I just feel that like it's this emotional feeling of sadness and it has that quality of feeling like I'm just not worthy. There's an emotion in that. There's a there's a feeling sensation in that feeling of not being worthy. Okay. So what, what I do is I, I feel into that. And I let myself drop into the feeling of not being worthy. And, and there's a sadness. It's a, it has a quality of there's something wrong with me. I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. I'm broken. I'm, I'm, um, damaged. Um, whatever, whatever, whatever's in there, we'll start to feel it if we surrender to those emotions that we're feeling initially. Okay. So with Amy, partly what happens is, you might be feeling stuff, but again, and I'm, and I'm going to say it again, the way we unravel our subconscious is it's a total surrender into an emotion to the point to where there are no thoughts. You're no longer telling your story. You're not thinking about your story. There are no thoughts. You are that emotion completely. Okay. The moment you have a thought, you are pull, you are no longer unraveling. You are no longer dropping into the subconscious. People don't know this, Oceana. So the key is when you are in an emotion and you're feeling into that place of, you know, not worthy. I'm just not enough. I don't belong. I'm not wanted. I don't matter. And there's this sh- this energy. And what happens is, is I I let myself go into it. I let my body. I let everything just shatter. I let, but I let it, my heart feels like it's literally shattering. I'm not joking. Okay. Mm. And I, and I, and I, no matter what, even though I have a thought, I'm going to die. Even though I have the thought, I'm going to go in there. I'm never going to come out. Even though I have the thought, I'm going to go in there and go, go crazy. I keep going. Okay. Mm. But it's in that let go. It's in the surrender completely to her. I'm literally on the floor. Mm. I'm not joking. On the floor, a puddle, just sobbing. And all I am is the emotion. And as I stay with it and let it move through me, what's happening is at a soul level, the soul is knowing itself in this emotion, which is what it's all about. Okay. So as I'm in there and I'm just letting that energy move, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm, my soul's in my body and I'm letting this, I let myself just completely surrender to what that is what it feels like, all of it. And then there'll be another wave and I'll go into some another component of it. I might have memory. I might start seeing images, flashes of this lifetime, other lifetimes. Um, all kinds of different things can be happening. But what happens is, is finally, finally, we are literally staying with an emotion and knowing it all the way, knowing it fully, so that we don't have to keep recreating it. This is why we keep recreating over and over and over, Oceana, is because we've never fully surrendered to a particular emotion, whatever that is. Meaning, okay, I need finance, I need money, but what's it really hitting? It's hitting that unworthiness where I don't deserve, I'm not enough. Okay, what's that feel like? Oh my goodness, I feel like, I feel horrible, I feel like I'm minuscule, I feel like I'm nothing. Then I go into, I feel forsaken. 
That's the big one right there. I am forsaken. Not that, oh my goodness, forsaken by the all that is creation, God. All of just letting myself go all the way through, 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 let the heart break. And then what happens is, is that energy, all that emotional energy, because you're knowing it, it's literally dissolving, unwinding, unraveling, clearing out, out, out of the body, and it's gone. Okay? I promise you, if you do it, and you really, really do it in the way I'm talking, you'll never have the depth of, depth of pain again. Okay? It just, it just, you're, you're going into such deep pain that you've been carrying for lifetimes. Now you're knowing it. Now it's like you're, now it's like clear, clear, clear. And alrighty then, what's next, you know? And then magically, the financial issue yeah. is no longer an issue. Yeah. And it's, it's the strong. same with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Because those blockages <laughs> now have been dissolved. Yes. Yeah. Really, we yes. do, we, we create everything through our subconscious a thousand times yes. more than the, the thoughts up here. I mean, the thoughts up here have some say, but um, only to the degree that they shift your vibration. But our vibration, I mean, emotionally, that's like 90, 80 to 90% of that is all yeah. about what's in the subconscious and the stuff, particularly from childhood wounding yeah. that we haven't dealt with. And I, I feel like the wounding we received in childhood only happened to open that Pandora's box to show us what's happened in many lives. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it's true. Right. Yeah. 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 Deal with it. <laughs> you have to go with it. Stop fighting it. No more resisting. Face it. People, no. I, tell, I promise you, if you face it, your everything changes. No. Everything. Your whole no. world, your whole life, everything changes. Absolutely. I feel like it's it's kind of a tough ride because our whole culture in the in the Western world, especially in the U.S., is all about um, well, if you're feeling bad, eat this or watch this <laughs> thing, or watch this movie or distract yeah. yourself with buying something or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. it's all about distraction from the core wounding, and that's just got to stop all that nonsense. Yeah. But yeah. I want to say, Cynthia is pointing out there's a group energy clearing called Clearing the Well of Grief on July 28th. Yes, you guys. This is going to be major. major. Yeah, we were talking about money. There's another group energy clearing for money. Uh, July 14th, it's called Transform Your Misperceptions About Money. So yes. You go to the com site and see what's coming up, upcoming events or what have you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the clearings are phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's like you want support, you want help. Get into the group clearing because magic does happen for people. It really does. Shifts happen. Okay. Yeah. So the well of grief, Oceana, that one's, this is different. Okay. I was, I was actually taught, we are, we made a little recording today of that on a podcast. It'll be posted next week, but there's a difference between all the energy in the second chakra. Okay. That's all that carryover. It's, it's all the emotion. The well of grief is purely the deep, deep grief, like deep, deep grief okay mm-hmm. so mega mega unraveling with that i mean it's like you'll feel lighter you'll feel lifted it's like whoa because i was talking about you know Oceana, you know almost every human being i ever meet or look at has sadness i look in their eyes and i see the sadness rarely 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 have i come across someone who is not holding some kind of sadness in their eyes and 
this is all part of that well of grief. It's all, there's a lot of the second chakra too, because, you know, of course, all the different violations and the hurts and the abandonments and betrayals, all that stuff is in that second chakra. But the well of grief is just like pure black energy of layer upon layer and layer, 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 layer of profound sad, sadness and grief. Okay. So by lifting that out, the body's going to feel lighter. Your energy's going to feel lighter. You'll have more physical energy. Your head'll be clearer. I mean, it's a major, major thing for for humanity. So if it's possible, I'm just encourage people to get in on that one. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I just went to members.spiritualacceleration.com, and it says upcoming live group energy clearings. It's right there. It comes right up even before you log in. And oh. it costs less to do these group clearings. If you do live. Them, and it's quite exciting, I find, to do them live as well. Yeah. There's yeah. one in August, do you feel worthless? I mean, this is powerful. This stuff goes all the way down to the core. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about grief, I wanted to ask, it, Bonnie, if you feel like, in a sense, that starts as soon as we start to come into the womb around whenever we come in around the sixth or seventh month, whenever that is. Um, I know we don't come in immediately, but. Um, right. Is that based on that feeling of grief to begin with? Maybe it's based on the fact that our loved ones, our soul family, probably our twin flame, they're far away from us now is what it's going to feel like. We're going to yeah. feel abandoned, you know, all right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, partly what happens, just remember, you all know this already. And when, like, when we're still in this, we're in the in-between, we're still on our soul levels, we're connected with our soul family, there's that connection. And then when we come in and we come into the body, all of a sudden it's gone. That connection doesn't exist anymore. Now we're in a body, foreign land, in a womb that's got all kinds of emotions that we don't know is not us. So not only are we bringing our own past, past life wounding, now we're drinking in all our mother's stuff. Oshana, this is another component that's vital that People yes. get strains on, get your mother's energy out of your, out of you, okay? But the energy that you're in, like you're in that womb, so even though, you know, at a soul level, you're coming in and the baby's being developed and all that, and then you come in at a certain point in time, but you're still coming in with the forgetting, but you're also coming in while that fetus was still absorbing all that mother's energy, all her wounding, all her beliefs, all her pain, whatever she's holding, you're taking it on. And that's another thing that, you know, like that's vitally important and, you know, getting that energy out. So, yeah, it's like we do forget. That's part of the, that's part of the divine plan is the forgetting, you know, the opportunity to come back new, new opportunity and unraveling. But no, we don't have higher level teachings. So people don't understand what the, how to work with this, what it really means, how the soul evolves, how we co- re- co-create repeatedly. Because we're believing when we're in that connecting state, not in a physical form, that, okay, we're going to do it this time. We haven't done it yet after hundreds and hundreds of lifetimes. So, you know, so now we got higher level teachings finally. And now we have ways to do the inner work and understand it. So it's really working. It's not the recycling. It's the actual true unraveling. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then what happens is we just become more and more of our authentic true self. The false ego start to dissolve. The fault, you know, the false self, false ego start to dissolve. Oshana, when I had that happen, that scam that happened to me last year, and I shared that with you, I literally saw my shattering. Some, I saw more ego 
shatter in my body for real. I saw it. I saw this whole shatter inside my own self, you know, but that's what has to happen. We can't keep being our, our false self. We can't be, the ego isn't who we are. It's based, that ego is based on survival and it'll take us away from facing our stuff, you know? So yeah, we want to be our true authentic self. We want to be our divine light. I mean, that's my mission. I'm, I'm wondering, absolutely, and that's that's a phenomenal goal. That's a mind-blowing goal. Um, I'm wondering if, on a collective level, en masse, if we are waking up in the sense of just surviving isn't good enough anymore, and if July energies are helping with that. Now, Alice is talking about, the reason I ask is, is Alice is saying that the media has been flooded with info on the movie Sound of Freedom, which is about this, I guess he's ex-CIA fellow who quit his job because he wasn't allowed to go after these pedophile rings. He said, no, that's not us. CIA is involved in pedophile networks. But he went after them. It's a true story. And it's about, you know, this man's journey to break up one of these rings and return these children, their families, etc. And Alice is saying it definitely helps wake people up. How much is uh, it, it doesn't affect stopping the issues and the crimes. Um, are the crimes uh, going to continue for a hundred years more? I feel like, and now I'm seeing all this stuff on YouTube about child trafficking. People want to talk now. They want to be the whistleblower. And I'm right. thinking, well, you know, is that, that must be the current energies. How do, how do you see Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I'm saying. All the darkness is coming up. All yeah. the ugliness, all the, like you're saying, human trafficking, pedophilia, I mean, all the, you know, the Satanism, all the, all yeah. the black greed, all the greed, everything is just coming up because the new paradigm, and that's not going to fly in the new paradigm. You, you can't have blackness and go through the veils to the other side. It's not going to happen. And here's the thing. If I shift and change me, everybody around me is going to get activated. There's nothing else for anybody to do. You don't have to be some healer. You don't have to do anything. But if you do your inner work, your energy will will hit that inside of others. When you're more light, your frequency of love and light is activated. Then you're going to activate that inside of them because that's who everybody is. Their shit's going to come up. They can either deal with it or not. Okay, you don't. It's not up to you. All right, we don't have to save anybody. People, this is really important. We're not going to change anybody. Everybody, all these people, even the even the victims of pedophilia, even the victims of human trafficking, the victims are all it's all co-creation. We've all agreed for these experiences. A lot of it's the karmic energy that we're shattering and unraveling. But basically, it's all about waking up. So it, it, awareness is the first key, and that's what's happening. Awareness is happening. You're seeing it more and more and more and more. It was always happening, but now it's become visible. But that's yes. what the, that's the darkness coming to the surface. Everything is coming to the surface. All the stuff we're seeing in the world, like like trying to stop people from reading books or, you know what I mean? Like the denial of racism. I mean, all this stuff that we're seeing, it's like, it's like the battle of light and dark is happening. And all we have to do is face ourselves, do our inner work. So we shine our light. We help activate others. That's all you really have to do. Face yourself, unravel your stuff. And in that, you will automatically affect change in a thousand people. Okay, because yeah. yeah. affect, you know, I, I affect change, and then that they affect change, and it just goes on and on. So change oh, yourself. I agree. It is an act of revolution. <laughs> 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 
put all the positive affirmation stuff aside for a moment, go down in deep where the real issues are and allow yeah. them to come up and listen to that little one, that little kid inside who's been crying, trying desperately to get our attention. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm over that. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so Shanna, so I remember I said I did a little workshop in uh, Alaska when I was there last Wednesday. And what I did is I also brought people into the belly. Okay. Because this is, it wasn't just going into the second chakra. I'm talking going into that part in the belly area and dropping right in. So we take our awareness and sit in that energy. Okay. People were like, it was so intense because you, most people cannot hang out there because it's so friggin' intense. Okay. So that's what I'm encouraging people to do because this is the next frontier for real. Okay. Is to, is to bring awareness right down into the belly area. Be right there and watch what happens and not start to notice because all the anxiety, all the energy, there's that loneliness. There's the aloneness. There's the separation. There's all the misperceptions. It's all right there. So if you're thinking that you're so evolved, I'm going to tell you, come on to the belly and let's see how evolved you are when we come in there. You know, I have a lot of, I know a lot of people who think they're like enlightened. I say, Oh yeah, well, drop, let me say, drop into the belly and let's see how enlightened you are. Okay. So I'm just going to encourage people. Play with that one. Well, if we're going to call ourselves enlightened, we better have the courage to go, you know, face <laughs> what people call the demons. But I think it's just the inner wound, you know, such as what you're talking about. Um, yeah. And Cindy had said earlier that she overcame her depression by going deep into the feelings that were under it, that were caused, yeah. you know, and yeah. Uh, yeah. took bravery. But yeah, yeah. Um, it does take bravery to to go in there and just, you know, face these places. But, you know, you got something better to do. I mean, really? Something more important? Yeah. I mean, than your own evolution, than your own liberation, your own freedom? To me, there's nothing more important than our liberation and being free, okay. fully expressing who we are in every moment, being our Absolutely. true authentic self. Absolutely. I want to ask Cynthia, because um, she's here in the in the chat, people are talking about a link. I don't know which link you mean. Honey means members.spiritualacceleration.com because I can't put a link into the chat for some reason it's not letting me add anything um, oh, so for the uh, for the for the grief one the well of grief yeah um, okay. for those she can do that things. Cynthia can you post the link for the for those two clearings the um, yeah. the unworthiness one the money other oh, three unmoney and money unworthy money and well of grief that way people can find them yeah, yeah. yeah you just go to the website spiritualacceleration.com under clearings and you'll find them but if, if we can get the link that would be really cool yeah, yeah fantastic yeah. well really beautiful revelations today i don't know um if you want to wrap up now bonnie or do you want to take uh, another comment you want to take a, yeah we can take a see if there's a, a um, good question you know, or comment is a really precious, important part of my um, abundant living community. And she's just saying she's looking forward to the upcoming clearings as I push your clearings at everybody. <laughs> I know. Uh, but she says, joy for me is hard to find. I'm not unhappy and have a good life, but silly, laughter, fun, playfulness seems to be hard to find. And I hear that from a lot of people. And I'm wondering, is this another part? Of- we, we, yeah, we, yeah, there actually there is a clearing on joy. There really is. Okay. Um, and yes, see, it's, it's, so even though the person's not unhappy, they're not experiencing a lightheartedness. I mean, you know, like when you're feeling joy, where you're just feeling light hearted. And 
I mean, you know, it's like laughter is awesome, and I, you know, I have I have great laughter a lot, but um, but there's a lightness, and that's just an indicator that there's still there's still places to unravel. Remember, I was saying about looking at people's eyes and seeing the sadness. Yeah. So even with, even with this um, with this person right here that you're talking about, yeah, I can. Mm-hmm. Oh, what was that? Hang on. Okay, there's a little bit of um. How can I say? What is it? It's not denial, but it's kind of like sometimes when we um we've done a lot of inner work or whatever, we kind of feel like we've you know we've arrived, okay. And yet we're still not feeling like joy or whatever. That's what that little foggy, there's like a little bit of an energy that's kind of covering over some other deeper layers of what needs to be, you know, healed and unraveled and faced and so that the heart can really be open. And then that there is that joy, no matter what, there's not going to be that joy. So again, it's just, it's just going in deeper, deeper into the, you know, into the subconscious and, uh, and unraveling whatever. You know, whatever's still there. And, you know, this is another place where you just take your awareness, go down to the belly, sit there. Yeah. And just start to pay attention to the agitation. Because that agitation is showing you something. There's still something there that's not unraveled yet. Yeah. Yeah, that that, that takes guts for, for a lot of women who are busy taking care of other people and the to-do list. And there's always this busyness to take time for yourself and to go deep, really deep into your own feelings. You know, that, that is a huge gift to yourself and it's, um, it can take, uh, some bravery. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, yes. oh yeah. Away and say, oh, but we're going to do a lot of laundry or whatever, you know. <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart. It really isn't, you know, but you know, here's the thing though. Here's the thing. You're going to have to face it some lifetime, no matter what. You're going to have to face it. So if you face it now, you don't carry it over to the next one, you know. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> if you oh check my. out, you're still going to carry it. Okay? There's no, you know, it's like you don't just, it, it doesn't get left behind. Well, and we're not really going to go and be able to go into 5D until we face what we've experienced in, in the third dimension. Right, right, um, exactly. So more of us need to do it. We're not there yet. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the population and people are still holding on to the dark. There's more coming lighter, lighter, but it's not enough yet. So, you know, we, it's like, do your inner work, shine your light. You'll affect change for everybody that you know, that you touch, and they'll, they'll affect change and we'll get it yeah. together. We'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Bonnie. What an amazing time we're in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wanna, very exciting. Want to thank everyone. Unless you've got, we'll sign off unless you've got anything else you want to add. Um, yeah, I, I just want to say clearly, this is the month to look within. This is it. Yeah. Look inside. Look what's inside. Come on in. Come on home. In. And, you know, she is asking what's the percentage of the population that will make it to the new paradigm Earth, and I think that's changing all the time. I don't yeah, know. right now it's very low. Okay? <laughs> Earth will be barely populated at this rate, and we are right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We'll have little pockets of little clans. That's it. <laughs> but more, more is coming. More is coming. All right. Yeah, yeah. So everybody here, do your inner work. Help change the world. That's how we do it. Amen to that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bonnie, and thank you to everyone who wrote in comments. 
huge blessings. Thank you, Cynthia, for holding it all together again. Michelle, Gail, Amy, uh, Kelly, Valerie, Joanne, everybody. Um, huge blessing that you're here. So many, any um, joyous wishes for this astounding yeah. month of July, and we'll see you in August. Yes, and thank you, Oceana. I really love our time together. And I'll oh. see you next month. You and me together next month. Okay. okay. Fantastic. All right. See you then. All right. Uh, bye now. That was great, everybody. <laughs> Laughter is the best. It's the best. Okay, now the next thing we're going to do is called Psychic Imprints. I'll bring this forward. Psychic Imprints and Trans Channeling. We've been doing a lot of those things these days. So this is George Nury with Rees Mirza. Discover a world of psychic intuition as Rees Mirza, a trans channeler, shaman, psychic medium, and author, takes us on a profound journey of self-discovery and spiritual exploration. As he channels two entities, indigenous spirit Red Eagle and medical intuitive Phineas Quimby, Mirza unveils his ability to perceive imprints of those who have passed on. Mirza shares how his experiences as as the child of Indian immigrants in New York, opened doors that have led him to become a revered mystic. Mm-hmm. Unravel the in- intricacies of connecting with the etheric realm and the links between past lives as a roadmap for all to tap into the boundless power of the unseen. And this is 45 minutes. So let's get started, Rama. Welcome to Beyond Belief. We've got a fascinating program for you tonight. Riz Mirza is with us, a trance channeler, shaman, author, psychic medium who has channeled more than a hundred spirit guides. Riz, welcome to Beyond Belief. Thank you very much, George. It's Looking a pleasure to be here. To this. Oh, so am I. We have heard since you came on Coast to Coast, mm. so many people fascinated with what you do. Mm. How'd you get involved in this? I think I'm one of those stories that isn't that I came from my grandmother was a psychic medium or my mom was psychic. You know, my background, I was born in Harlem, raised in the Bronx in New York City. Tough kid. Yeah. At least I thought so. And uh, I was spending most of my time um, feeling scared of being alone in the dark or feeling people's emotions around me. Yeah. And my parents thought I was just maybe a little bit off. And maybe I was, but I was always tuned into 
something else. I always felt there was something more. So Rose, tell me about your first psychic experience. What happened to you? The background is, is that me being from New York City, I was born in Harlem, raised in the Bronx. My parents were immigrants from India, just hardworking people that did not have a psychic background at all. Middle class upbringing. Middle class upbringing. And I was a very shy kid. I wasn't a kid that was going around too much on the playground or hanging out on the street corners like all my friends. My world was very internal. So I spent a lot of time with my mom. My mom takes me to one of her girlfriend's houses somewhere in Queens, New York. How old are you? I'm seven years old. All right. And I'm just that kid that's really bored. There's no other kids to play with. (laughs) They're sitting and having chai together, and I'm sitting somewhere like this, just bored. And I remember looking at this couch. Now, this couch was just your ordinary, typical couch in the 1970s. And out of nowhere, I blurted out, an old man died on that couch. Wow. I don't know why I said it. Were you scared when you said it? No, I had no emotion. And this is what's interesting. You just said it. I just said it because there was nothing else. Now, there's a reason because my mind was blank. So nowadays, when I teach people how to tap into their own psychic senses, they often think you got to sit there and go, oh, spirit guides, come in, come in, bring me the energy from the other dimension so that I can hear your messages. Oh, holy one. Oh, holy one. I don't come from there. I come from letting go completely. And what I find all my travels over the world when I've received, you know, feedback from people after they do my meditations that I teach them in my meditations, I teach them do it while you're driving, do it while you're doing something else. So you're not so focused. You're not pushing energy to receive messages. You're in a state of open mindedness. George, I'm sure you've been through this. You ever remember when you were in school studying for whatever test you had the next day and you're writing on this loosely paper and it's, it sucks, whatever is you're writing, you crumple it and you throw it like this, you throw it this way. And it lands in the wastebasket. Or somewhere close. Right. But <laughs> it has happened where it landed. Yeah. Without you looking. And then you try to do it again. This time you're looking. And rarely do you and get you it. And you can't in. hit it. And you can't hit it. So it is that Zen state of mind of where you don't have too much emotional investment in, in it. You're open. So that's what happened when I was seven. So the woman comes over and she kneels down to me and says, what did you say? My mom is shooting me a look like, what is wrong with you? Are you, have you lost your mind? Yeah, well, I, my kid, what's happened to him? Right. And uh, it embarrassed her. But the woman said, it's true. Her father did pass away on that couch. And she said, is there anything else? And I said, um, he likes drinking tea over there. So she said that when he had passed away, he had come out of the bedroom, sat in that exact same spot that I had said really? and was drinking tea. Unfortunately, had a heart attack and passed away. Died. Wow. Yeah. Now, when when you saw him mentally, Mm. was he dead already? So what I saw is what I call um, an imprint. It's the only way I can describe it. I didn't see him the way some mediums see actually see a spirit in front of them, almost 3D. Mine was more uh, a complete intuitive feeling that washed over me. Suddenly, it was a voice that said this to me. I don't know whose voice it was. I was completely new to this. All I can tell you was that I felt it, I knew it, and it was almost as if, you know, if I were to get up from this couch, there might be an impression of where I sat. Yeah, for a while. For a while. It was kind of like that. Your wife, Araya, we met her back in the dressing room. Yeah. But tell us, there's a special thing about that for you. Well, you know, I always feel that we talk about what twin flames are. 
soulmates and twin flames and these terminologies that are used. But Araya is also an empath and an intuitive empath. So she feels uh, the energy and emotions of people. We're kind of like a, a psychic paranormal husband and wife team in huh. LA. That makes it work, huh? It does. It makes it work out there. But then, you know, when you're spending time together, you know what the other person's going to do. Is there a story about the a son in Japan? Yeah, because when we met, we met at a mutual friend's birthday party. And I kind of didn't want to be there. And she was sitting next to me. And so I just give a reading. If I'm bored, I'm just going to give a reading to the person next to me. Sure. And she said, well, I, she told me the number of children she had. She had five kids. And I said, is there a boy? She said, yes. And I said, I have to ask you a weird question. Is he Japanese? And you know, out of the blue, you out of the blue. And now she's not East Asian at all, my wife. And she says, no, but it's very strange. You say that he is obsessed with Japan. Wow. He was at the time, I think 15 or 16 learning Japanese on his own. Actually now is a master origami artist. And you know, he's a regular, you know, white kid, you might say. So what I pick up on is the past life. When I met him, I knew, uh-huh. yeah, so there's, it comes through things that you're interested in, countries or places you're drawn to without having an explanation for yourself as to why. Not because you're looking to, to see that particular tourist site there, but you know that your feet have to be on that land. That's amazing. Mm. How do you connect with your own intuition? Do you do anything special? You know, I've, I've said this, that I think a lot of you mean if I'm reading for myself? Yeah. Oh, I can't do it. You can't. Because a massage therapist can't massage their own back. All right. How about for other people? For other people, how I tap in is I have to get quiet. There is a very, uh, there is no magic word, George, to get your psychic intuition going. It's really no words. It's a place of being quiet. I think it's a place where even musicians go to. They have to drop in. And then they're able to play. An artist has to drop in and then she's able to paint. For me as a medium, I have to drop in. And that simply means is that I have to become so loose. And when I trance channel, a lot of people think when I trance channel, because the guides come in with this big energy. Right. Like Red Eagle, who's a Native American slash tree. I like to say he's this mix huh. of a tree and maybe some indigenous tribal person. He always makes this joke that I said, why did you pick to channel through me? And he goes, so people get two engines for the price of one. I love it. <laughs> so he has this big energy that comes through when people think, oh, you have to really brace yourself for this big spirit guide to come through. But really, I have to be very much in my feminine. I have to be really gentle. I have to be really quiet. And to get people to do that means for me to teach them how to connect to their own intuition means they have to be able to feel safe. And that's really hard for a lot of people to do. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's where I come from when I, when I'm doing my, my, my psychic readings. It just comes to me, man. I don't even know sometimes why they make me say something. I'll never forget one of my first readings. I was sitting giving a reading to someone and out of nowhere, I was started thinking about frozen Twinkies. Do you remember we said like freeze Twinkies yeah, as kids? Yeah. And I'm thinking, Riz, get, get yourself focused. Stop thinking focused. about, stop thinking about frozen, frozen Twinkies. Twinkies. So for no, I just took a chance. I was a baby psychic then. And I just said, the woman's sister had passed away. And I said, um, I feel like I'm supposed to talk about frozen Twinkies. Well, that was it. She burst into tears. Oh my God. Cause this was the favorite moment for the two sisters was when they would freeze the Twinkies. I love that. Right. And they would well, write no their way names. There's no way you would know that. There's no way I would no know way. that. There's no way I could know that. So, you know, it's not mind reading. It is simply. A mystery. I always say, 
after all my classes, my workshops, 15 years of this. Listen, guys, it's a mystery. Keep the magic. Keep some mystery. Even though what we're doing when we have this intuitive ability, this sense, it actually is a type of, I call it an inner technology. Riz, you performed live psychic readings on Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles, and we have it on tape. What's mom's first name? Rita. So Rita? Yeah. So on Rita's side, there's a Charles energy coming through. Also, I have to talk about um, diabetes in this side of the family. Who's that? My dad. Your dad. Okay. Thank you. And where is he? Dad. Okay. So he's going to be coming through. So dad is passed on. As soon as we talked about mom, I felt diabetes, but that's dad. That usually means that mom is our kind of connector energetically, if that makes sense, to dad. There's also a Ronald or, or connected to him. So Ron, Ronnie, who's that? Father-in-law. Father-in-law. Yes. Thank you. Okay. And is he passed also? No, okay. but he's like up there in age. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Uh, your dad is actually mentioning this person right now and that usually means that eventually it's also going to be his time to cross over as you said he's up there in age and your dad i know this may may not make sense to you because we think of terms of in terms of on earth like who are we friends with right oh i know that person but sometimes in a reading what we're tuning into is the other side and on the other side they see everything and they're connected so there'll be someone on the father's side connected to someone on the mother's side even though they're not blood related and maybe never even met. And that's what's so interesting. Who in the family was gearing towards law enforcement? He was a cop. He was a cop, thank you. He said law enforcement, thank you. So now you know it's him, okay? He was a warrior of one kind, and that warrior blood runs through you, brother. It runs through you. Law enforcement is here to help peace, keep the peace. And you're the same. You're here to help keep the peace on this earth just by being you. Don't be afraid to let this power out. Remember, like, in Marvel Comics, Iron Man had that light coming from the center of his chest? That's how I see you. That light comes from the center of your chest. And you are here to do it, and you're going to do it because you have no other choice. You don't have a choice. The other choice is that you cave in and sink into yourself, and you never quite get there. You never bust out with all of your abilities and your talents. And so dad is coming through to let you know about that. So he dedicated himself to helping the people. And you just need to dedicate yourself to helping the people. Once we do that, you're great no matter what happens. Because your greatness comes from this. That's the only place greatness comes from. So thank you for for that. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Your accuracy is uncanny. Uncanny. I'm grateful. And it shows how emotional some of these people get when you tell them these, these things. When you're recovering from grief, when someone, when you lose someone, you can go to therapy for five years, 10 years, just keep going to therapy and not here to knock therapy. But when you get a mediumship reading, it's in five minutes. You say a name and you say the person's profession and they're here to give this message. That's undeniable that it, that's the magical experience and that heals you so quickly because you get this confirmation that they're with you. Who's there on the other side telling you this information? This was a, for example, his dead father. 
so this is the way I hear it. Sometimes I'll feel, um, I, I, I used to say a middleman between me and the person. I think that's an angel or a spirit guide. And that can happen, you know, 50% of the time. Other times I feel them. It's almost like they're typing a message in front of my face. You know, a mediumship reading is, here's what happens. When someone dies, let's say that we're alive and here's them and here's us. We love them. We're connected. When they die, their vibration invariably goes up spiritually. It doesn't matter what belief system, if you're religious or you're new age, everyone believes that there's an ascension that happens. It of, goes up. Okay, they go up. What happens to us? We go down because we're sad. We're grieving. We're grieving. Yeah. Right. So look at all this space now. They're on FM 107 and we are on, you know, 89. So a medium is in the middle. The medium has no grief because we don't see death the way other people do. We didn't know this person, so we're not grieving. This person is. So we see them as more alive. We can feel them still. We're, our vibrations still appear. They act alive to you. They act alive to me. They don't, they don't ever say things like, I miss you. I've never encountered that once. They see us. They only want us to know that we're going to see them again. Right. They only want us to know they're not mad. They're, I've never encountered one loved one who was angry that you weren't there like when he died. They're, it doesn't happen that way. It only feels bad for us. So as a medium, what I want to do with people when I give them readings is give them these accurate information, but also give them something to work with after I leave that inspires them, that sparks them to be who they are. Why are you such a receptor for this kind of information? Oh, like an antenna. I'm a crazy um, mix of being really shy and also an extrovert. You're shy? <laughs> I am. I, I haven't I, seen I, that side of you yet. <laughs> There's a reason why. <laughs> because it's, I'm out here. My shyness um, is where I'm connected to my vulnerability, especially when I was a kid. I do think there's a gift. I think that there's some kids who are born with a perfect ear for the piano. Why them? It's because it's an ability. It's a sense we're born with. Now, in that video, you weren't channeling at that no, point, were you? No. That's different. That's me. How, I'm does, the that, psychic how receiving. does that work? So channeling, um, remember this one thing, this word channel, what does it mean? We watch TV channels <laughs> tuning into frequencies flying through the air. They're flying through the air. There's TV and radio stations that are sending frequencies through the air. We are such an amazing race of beings that we figured out how to make a picture invisible, how to make sound silent, because that's what's happening when you're watching TV. And we figured out how to throw it through the air and show up someplace and show up somewhere else and turn that invisible picture into a visible picture, take that silent sound and reproduce it exactly the way that it was sent out. So that's, is that technology? Is that magic? It's a magical technology. It's a technical magic. How did we make sound silent? See, that's where I start with. Because if we're going to actually consider the notion about that somebody is channeling spirit guides, what if when I channel and you see me channel and there's different voice comes out and different um, accent comes out and a different manner of being comes out. What if a hundred years from now, there's a camera that's pointed at me like this one, but this camera is so advanced. How much more advanced is the iPhone than a hundred years ago from whatever phone was there? Absolutely. Okay. So there's no comparison. And so what, what will it be a hundred years from now? 
it might be a camera that can see a spirit energy coming into the channeler. Mm-hmm. Why not? Can you try? Can you tr- imagine trying to explain to Abraham Lincoln the iPhone? Now he was probably the most intelligent man of his time. So if George, you, would, you wouldn't get it. Yeah. What if you and I, George, went back in time? Just dress the way we are. We're in clothes that, in some way, were the clothes of back then—a suit and, and shirt. And you go back into Lincoln's office. We appear, time travelers, and we say, Mr. Lincoln, pleased to meet you. We want to show you something. And we show him the iPhone. Now, he might recognize it as glass made of some iron, he might think. And then we say, would you like to see the Great Wall of China right now? Would you like to see the inside of a kangaroo growing in its mother's pouch? And he said, what are you talking about? Would you like to see a sperm fertilizing the egg? What are you talking about? In that little box? Yes, here. And we show it to him. Yep. We pop on YouTube. And then we say, he says, how is, I don't, I know there's no little kangaroo in there. I know the Great Wall of China is not in this little box of metal and glass. And then you and I have to tell him, well, Mr. Lincoln, this little box is talking to another box that's flying around the earth. He wouldn't understand. You have channeled over a hundred spirit entities mm-hmm. in your career. Mm-hmm. Who are some of them? What are they? some of them in very famous names? I've channeled Nikola Tesla. Wow. Yes, I've I've channeled um, some composers. I have channeled uh, Charles Dickens. I've channeled Shakespeare. I've channeled uh, Charlie Chaplin. Some of these are in my book. I have a book called The Nine Keys, and each chapter, I'd like to say I wrote it, but I didn't write it. I channeled each chapter while in trance. We set a recorder. I go into trance. The guide comes through. We record it. Then we just transcribe it and publish it. There's no editing, and that's the way it goes. So Charlie Chaplin came through, gave a whole chapter on what humor is. That's just fantastic. Some spirit guys have names we've never heard of. Phineas Crumby, right? Quimby, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. As a matter of fact, we've got you on tape with Phineas and Red Eagle that you just mentioned. Really? Look. Now we'll begin in Ohm. You will join me. Just match the note as best mm-hmm. as you can. And after that, I'll say goodbye, and they will say hello. My name is Phineas. There are some who feel that to gain perspective, you must be in another position, that you must stand somewhere else to understand where you are, that by some stretch of your mental or spiritual capacity, you are able to see yourself or others from a perspective to give yourself a deeper or wider understanding of what is occurring. I like to talk, I come here today. We come, we talk about vision. You need an ego vision. You can see from far away a little mouse. The eagle does not strain her eyes. She has surrendered to vision itself. Meaning everything is accepted and nothing rejected. Nothing is rejected at all. Everything that's in the vision is accepted. That clarity that precision. You say, I want that. 
I want to see better. I want to communicate with my guides this year. I want to know it. How do you know your guides are not communicating to you all the time? You say, well, I can't feel it. All right, simple. To hear, you have to quiet down. If you want to hear, if you want to listen, you have to be silent. Same letters in those two words. Silent, listen. I actually have never seen that. That's fascinating. I used to not be able to watch myself channel. That's amazing. It is. It's very a strange phenomenon that you one lives with. Do you get tired after you channel? I used to, but actually now it energizes me. You have to be, it's a stamina you have to have. I've channeled five and a half hours. I've been in trance. And remember, this is like going to sleep for me. It's a very active dream state. And I'll still sleep that same night. I can channel for five hours and then go home and then sleep another eight hours. It regenerates you. It regenerates you. Do you have psychic abilities too? I do. Like on that um, video that I have on my YouTube channel, which is called The Magical Life with Riz Mirza. I did that because I wanted people to see really authentic people I'm reading, people that would normally not even get psychic readings. I would just pick a night and go out into the streets of L.A. and just talk to them. And I like to show my whole process because there are some psychics on television that will they'll only show you the most perfect answer that they gave and leave out 20 things that they missed. I don't right. do that. If if something doesn't connect with someone. You lay it right out. I lay it out I, because, number one, it may make sense to them later. I've had people send me emails after I give them readings where they say, loved everything you said. Every, there was so much that was spot on. These two things didn't ring a bell. But a year later, two years later. Something happens. Something happens that I said out of left field that they were completely bewildered by. Two years later, I'll get the email and say, Riz, you don't remember me, but hey, I am this. Yeah, I am, you know, like in clown school now. Tell us about Red Eagle and what you've learned from him. Red Eagle. What do I say about him? He has spoken to thousands and thousands of people. And I remember something. I didn't come from a background of being raised by psychics or channelers. I was just doing my thing, playing music, screaming on stage in bands watching WWF, my people say, what are your psychic influences? I named, I named the heavy metal bands I was into, and I named WWF wrestlers. So you were a heavy metal musician. Or yeah, you? I still am, actually. Yeah. You can't. One, music can never leave you. It's in there. That's my first channel, though. That's where I opened up to music is where frequency, that's what psychics and mediums do. They're, they're students and masters of frequency, just like these cameras are picking up our frequency because the light is reflecting off of us. Turn the lights off. There's no more frequency to be picked up by these cameras. So spirit guides are around us. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. It does not matter what religious background or tribal culture. There is always a reference to that each human being is not alone. So they're what you can call them spirit guides or ancestors or the universe or um, awareness. The watchers, people call them. Maybe it's the ETs if... What makes these entities, Riz, come to you, or do you summon them, like Red Eagle? Great question. For some reason, when I sit down to channel at the Circle of Light, Red Eagle has never disappointed. He's always shown up to give messages. He's ready to go. He's always ready to go. Phineas shows up. What I've learned through just meditation and receiving the information is that I had some past life connection to them. Now, Red Eagle... 
he comes across, you see, well, it's, oh, he has a bit of a Native American in him. But there's no such thing as an ethnicity with a spirit guide. There's no such thing as an ethnicity with a spirit guide. A spirit guide is like us. Our soul is made of light. We have all been other ethnicities. Yes. I looked like you maybe last time. Maybe last lifetime you looked like me or we were women that looked Asian. So they tend to choose the soul, the spirit guide, chooses the avatar through which maybe people will listen more. Phineas seems to have a British accent. I don't know. Maybe it's because we have... um we tend to think of British people and, and the perfection of their pronunciation and enunciation of English as very learned. Red Eagle is very earthy, so he comes through in his tribal form. But maybe his name is Elizabeth and he was a queen in some past huh. life. You never know. You don't know. We don't know, you see. But I say even if you don't believe in spirit guides or channeling, if you're hearing a message, whether it's through me or is through your horoscope or written on a fortune cookie, if you let it land on you, maybe it can help you. Whereas during a channeling session, generally, how long does it go? Generally about two and a half to three hours. So people come to see me twice a week. Yeah, two and a half to three hours. Everyone gets a message at my circles. Um, most channelings are just, their wisdom circles and channelers give the messages, but I give personal messages to each person who comes. Can you channel at will? Yes. Can we do something now? We sure can. Now, who will we channel, or does do you know that? I don't, but I have a feeling it's Phineas. All right, get into your mode, and then we'll just chat. It might be ready, but we don't know. I'll see you later. I'm Phineas. Phineas, it's good to talk to you again. It is a pleasure for us to be here. Do you remember talking to me on the radio Indeed. show? Tell us a little bit more about you. When did you live? Incarnations are infinite. When one is in the in-between space, as you may refer to where spirit guides reside. And residing, of course, is used by the terminology in your own English. For all of us are connected as one. As far as incarnations are concerned... There were certain lifetimes where perhaps you were familiar with the name of Phineas. Though, as to my own recollection, you must understand that there are bits and pieces of that particular expression, that identity, that remain known to me and some that is not known to me. As Phineas, I was a descendant of a teacher named Eleazar, who in certain times was a teacher returning in various incarnations as an ordinary person that you might describe living in ordinary life. But the lifetimes that were important for us were the ones where we were sharing this information of the creation and the nature of reality. And so, as you refer to myself as Mr. Quimby, I am simply known as Phineas, and I have experienced various wardrobes or costumes in my collection that I don to connect with you. I would think that you are in the 1800s garb right about now. Is that a pretty accurate guess? The garb that we are wearing is one of energy. Though, through that intention, we may create any visual that is appropriate for the transmission. If we were to connect with a person who is of a certain culture, their own cultural references would be projected and understood by us 
And therefore, in a meditation or a dream state, a spirit guide may appear. And that guide will be adorned or wearing clothes, you might say, your terminology, that would be appropriate so that the message is understood. For example, you would not wish to see an archangel dressed as a clown. Mm -hmm. Though a child may need the spirit guide to show up as a clown, for they regard the clown as a loving and safe being. They may not understand a person in a robe. Do you follow? I do. Are you familiar with our technology of this era that I'm in? Indeed. Does it fascinate you? What is fascinating? Well, we have television sets, we have phones. I can send a friend of mine who may be living 2,000 miles away a picture that they will receive on their telephone instantly. You see, your technology represents a larger expression of your abilities within you. Your computers represent the calculations and processes that are currently within your own mind. For example, you are able to recite poetry and verses while perhaps even doing a, an equation of mathematics. You are also at the same time, currently, you are able to take in the sound of the voice that is coming through the channel as well as the lighting from your left and right as well as the feeling of your feet in your shoes. You see, you are multitasking, you are a processor. Your technology represents your inner technology. And so to be able to send a picture or words, look at the very fascinating phenomenon of twins. They are able to, being separated miles apart, send each other, or whether it is consciously or unconsciously, one twin may feel the emotions that the other is feeling. There have been many cases where one twin on the opposite side of the world may feel a sudden pain in their body. Mm -hmm. And their twin has just injured the same spot at the very same time in another part of the world. One may say that this is a transmission and one may say this is automatic connection. Phineas, why do you channel through Riz Mirza? What is so special about him that allows you to do this? Most transmissions that occur to the potency of certain full trans channels, as you have begun to call this technology, you see, if you regard this channeling as a magical gift that is wonderful, but also to see it as a technology, because you do have an antenna inside of you. For example, you are able to focus. At this moment, while the channel is speaking with the voice of Phineas, you are also able to hear the tone in the room. And if you decided that you were going to listen to his voice, but at the same time raise the volume of the background of the studio, You'd be able to do so, wouldn't you, through the power of your intention. You would also be able to think of your bedroom right now as you are looking upon Riz. Think of your own bedroom at the moment. So you are able to do very different things simultaneously. Now, the technology that you have within you, the capacity, let us say, to sing a song. Some are more musically inclined. The natural gifts that Riz possesses or channels like him is his ability to surrender. You see, surrender is your key for a very powerful expression of who you are. You do not need to change who you are. And the thrust of our transmission and messages to all of you who listen is so that you surrender to the truth and to the magic that is within you. As you do that, as you're removing these layers from yourself by surrendering to them, by removing any notions of blame or victimhood or frustration with the world, you begin to let go. Then that which is within you begins to surface and be seen by others, but especially by you. 
That is what makes a fulfilling life, an expression while you are here. Phineas, can you kind of describe for us the area that you're in now? Let us then speak of dimensions. For it is very common now for people to speak that they went to another dimension. And that multi-dimensions, that dimensions are over there or across a vast distance of time and space. But you see, dimensions are here and now. We are not in a separate space than you. You see, there are particles in this air that you are unable to see. There are sounds that are above the frequency of your ear. Your dog will be able to hear frequencies that you cannot, correct? Correct. Now, what if we were to tell you that using your own logic and your own observation of scientific fact that your dog can hear frequencies that you cannot, let us use that logic. Now, then it's possible that there are frequencies of light you also cannot see. Phineas, is there anything that you wish you would have done when you were a physical being? It is a fair question. Looking back upon my studies in the particular lifetime that you are referring to, where a certain type of thought was encouraged by my earthly self to be kinder to myself, to know that the knowledge that was to come through was for the people and to not try to control it too much, to doubt myself. And as I emerged, that meant as I died and went into my higher self, my more expansive reality, this realization occurred. We suggest that you do not wait that long to do it yourselves. Phineas, can I chat for a moment with Red Eagle? A moment, please. Hello. Red Eagle? Hello there. Hello. Tell me about you. Who is Red Eagle? We are you. That means that we are not surrendered to some idea that we're separate. We're one with you. You will only know this when you awaken to this. But we are the guide to Riz. We know him. We're with him. Did you select him because of his abilities? His ability is to love himself. His ability is to love others. The ability is that where do we say one is open? And he needs it. So if he needs it, we go there too. For the teachings are for him, the teachings are for others. <laughs> but I like his body, but it is the right size for Red Eagle to come through. He's, he seems like a nice guy. You? And so do you. <laughs> good. To be called a guy. It is good to hear that, because that means you understand that it comes from love. And it is that we are the friends of you. We walk with you, all of you. Will there be peace on this planet, Red Eagle? There is more peace on the planet than war. Everywhere there is more peace than war. But it is what you will learn all the teachers, all the healers have told you. That you must be at peace with yourself. You cannot see others that se- separate from you. Look at what is happening in the prisons. We talk for a moment about prisons. Imagine if you were to call them something else. Let us say that you begin to understand that the way you talk about the world will reflect the way you see the world. You see, prisons are full of very hurt people. Do you agree or not? True. It is unprocessed. And people who have hurt. 
They have hurt because they are hurt. You do not have happy people hurting other people. So what you see is a holding center for people with unprocessed trauma. Imagine you had to use a lot of words eh, to say that. It is not a prison. It is a holding center for people with unprocessed trauma. But you may then have more compassion to understand how you people are creating your reality. The peace that you seek. Many teachers have told you when you realize that love is the only real power. That is the solution all the time. You want your plant to grow more love. You want your children to grow more love. You want anything to grow more love. You, once you have more love, you will feed everybody. <laughs> Do you interact with other entities in the afterlife? Yes. We have many. We may call them friends. As a spirit guide, <laughs> it is a <laughs> tough job and easy job. Because easy job, because it is love. Tough job, because it is love. Love is everything, is it not? So we are assigned to certain people. You have guides too. You I have do. guides that work with you, that guide you, that you sometimes think they're there to fix everything. They're not there to fix everything. They're there to whisper into your ear, go a little to the left, George, go a little to the right this way. Think of that person, call them. We help you to understand. We do not give you a fish. We give you a fishing pole, teach you how to fish. <laughs> Is my reality real? The only reality that you're going to know George, no matter what you see around you, we take you from this chair, put you on another planet, and you look at everybody else, maybe you will look different. But the only reality will be how you feel inside of yourself. Because tonight, George, you will go to sleep, you will dream. In the middle of your dream, you're not going to remember this studio, you're not going to think it is not real. Wherever it is you are in your dream, that will be real. How many times you have woken up and said, I cannot believe that was a dream. I could feel pain. I could feel pleasure. I knew this person. I knew that person. Every time you wake up, you say, I cannot believe it was a dream. You know how many times you have done that? Many, many, many times. times. Many times. And all the people watching this, they have done it. And they're going to fall for this again tonight. They're going to do it again when they go to sleep. So where is the reality? Now the logic you have is that this is real because Oh, it is the same studio. Oh, I am George again. Oh, he is that guy. He is that guy. <laughs> that is your only evidence that this, for you, it is evidence that this is real. And that was just a dream. But when you die, this whole life will be a dream because now you will be somewhere else. That is why we teach you the nature of reality. We teach you that reality is that you are constantly creating it with how you feel. What difference does it make if, you, if you're sitting in prison? And there are many who sit in prison, feel very free, George. Well, there are people walking around here and free. They don't feel free. That's a good point. Are we unique in this universe? You are very unique in this universe. And we will tell you why. You strive. The people on the planet strive. You create ideas to live up to them because inside of you, just like the laws, inside of you, you feel what is good and just and right. So you create things and then you reach up into them like your laws, like your beliefs. You want to rise to something. And that is why other forces, other energies, other entities, you may call them, see this planet. And they see you evolving very fast. You evolve even socially very fast. Look at the differences from 100, 200 years ago to today. Now war is going to be there because you have a kind of contrast power struggle on earth. Earth is a school. The school is so that you understand what is real power. Where is 
Can we have Ruse back? We will. How do you feel? Well, you know, doing, <laughs> give me a moment. I feel good. It happens very fast. I, I dealt with Phineas and Reddy. Yeah, I knew. Okay. I knew. You know, when you, when you watch people channel like that and you go, what is going on? Once you get past how they talk and you listen to the message. See, I always tell people, listen to the message. Don't get distracted by things. Even in life, you twist your ankle. Maybe there's a message in it for you. Stop walking so fast. Start paying attention. But you get distracted by the pain. We get distracted even when channelers channel and we don't know where this is coming from. And I say, don't worry about that. Why don't you just listen to what the message is? That's what it's for anyway. Fascinating work. Red Eagle, you feel him though. Where do you go when they are channeling into you? Jersey. <laughs> now, where do I go? Um, I'll tell you, sometimes I'm in a space that looks like um, I feel like I'm sitting up in a tree looking down like just now when we did it. Mm-hmm. I was kind of up high back there. We're just um, watching and it. looking down. I could see kind of the shapes of the tops of our heads and uh, I'm not allowed to talk. And other times, I don't remember at all. Wow. It's literally like a nap. I think Edgar Casey was like that, right? He was. Yeah. That exhausted him. Uh, what message do you have, Riz, for people watching this show? The message that I have, and has always been this, that self-mastery is not when you learn how to master a skill, that you're a great tennis player or you're a great accountant and you're a master. No, you've mastered that skill, but that's not self-mastery. What I want people to know is that if you're interested in self-mastery, in my teachings, I say self-mastery is when you are able to, without moving from where you are sitting right now as you're watching or listening to us, that you're able to shift from feeling bad to feeling good pretty quickly, that you're able to shift your energy your mood, your emotional state inside of you, because that is what's going to to tarnish or embellish everything around you is what is this lens? Because your entire life is your reaction and your perspective on everything. How do people get a hold of you? Rizmirza.com. Spell that out for us. R-I-Z-M-I-R-Z-A.com. My Instagram is PsychicRizTheWiz with underscores underneath it. And I'm always posting really fun stuff and how to get a hold of me. Stay healthy, my friend. You too. And thanks for being on Beyond Belief. It's a pleasure. Thank you. It's amazing to talk to someone who actually channels someone who has departed in such a coherent way. Maybe one day Rizzle channel me. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Wow, that was really good. Yes, we can do this. Okay. This one is called Pyramids, Interdimensional Gateways. And this is Amory Smith with Tim, Tactical Advisor. 
how are pyramids around Earth and on Mars connected? <coughs> Excuse me. Tim, tactical advisor. Whoops. Thanks. Don't do around on me. Okay. Uh, Tim, tactical advisor, shares now, despite different, despite different builders, these megalithic structures. Hmm. Shares how? I'm sorry. Despite different builders. These megalithic structures share energy and function throughout space-time as multidimensional tetrahedrons. Explore the mind-bending paradoxes of multiple realities and the underlying geometrical structure of our universe as Tim offers his experiences with being six as insight. That's what it says, with being six, as insight from a higher dimensional being. Okay, we're ready. This is 25 minutes from. Here we go. Today on Cosmic Disclosure, we're with Tim, a tactical advisor to covert analysts trying to understand the missions and strategies of non-human intelligences on our planet. Welcome, Tim. Thanks for having me. What is the perspective of being six about the pyramids? That's a fascinating topic, Amory. Um, so basically, we know that being six is a interfrequential being outside of time. So it's it's operating on level six consciousness. So from their perspective, um, the whole universe in itself is covered with these strange fields of clouds where paradoxes are going on. So basically, if we uh, look at this cloud, this version of, version of the universe that we're experiencing, we um, have this dualism going on, which means you, I, everything else. And that basically brings certain paradoxes to this reality, which means they need to be decided. And what being six then did was putting pyramids in place, not only on this planet, but also on different other planets, so that creation um, or the creator can observe itself. So basically the pyramids, at least the, the, the big one in uh, Giza, is basically meant to be a technology in order to observe this reality, this cloud of potential that being six has seen and wanted to investigate. That is also the reason why this pyramid is so strongly correlated with uh, the speed of light. You know, the top of itself 
You find a lot of algorithms that deal with the speed of light and its function around the, the pyramid. And being fixed uh, stated that the pyramid itself not only has, has a materialistic component, but it also has a inverted pyramid outside of time that fulfills or completes this tetrahedron structure. We basically cannot see it because it's not, you know, inside of, of time. But that is basically what being six has told us. So it's when you say the equivalent of outside of time, you mean the pyramid we can see in a 3D, but it's also in existence in another dimension, you would say? Yes, that is what being six told us, Mm -hmm. um, what they did with this pyramid. And what was the functions of the pyramid according to being six? It has quite a multitude of functions um, going on. The first function, of course, is to make um, light observable Mm -hmm. to this higher frequential being that wants to observe its own paradoxes, its own reality. So that is basically the first function. The second function is in order to balance and stabilize um, the, the vibrational field of Earth. That's the reason why we have all these different pyramids all aligned to certain energy lines on the, on the planet. The third function was to harvest certain energies, subtle energies, because the whole planet itself, um, has an electromagnetic field and there are planes that have a lot of energy going on. And um, those pyramids basically attract those ions and bring them into the pyramids. And from that, they give energy to, um, to, to different places on the earth. What's the correlation with the alignment of some of the pyramids in Egypt with like, for instance, the Orion star system? That's interesting because originally there was only this one pyramid which was built there as the, you know, the, the, the prior and first pyramid um, on this planet. We see then that some species, some Egyptian species has built um, two more uh, pyramids and we can see um, different other pyramids along, you know, right. all around the planet. So the grace told us that um, the reason for this uh, constellation with Orion was for them to collect some of the humans from the previous version of this cycle. So basically, mm-hmm. Earth goes through certain cycles and um, those people are all gone. They're all right. somewhere, not on this planet anymore. And at the end of the cycle, all these species, you know, they they try to get their hands on as many of the people. They, they describe them as fruits to us. So basically all those beings that are ready, you know, for other incarnations and stuff that they are basically like fruits and get collected from them. Sure. And they use these, um, these pyramids, the three pyramids aligned to Orion in order to get some of the bodies out, out of the planet. Did being six indicate, um, to you, like who built the pyramids? Yes. Uh, being six basically told us that he, it's, we, they, are responsible for building the first pyramid and that they have certain members of their collective that help building the pyramids in Mexico as well. Um, we don't actually know who 
basically build them. So which uh, species, who, which individual, but basically being six was part of the original building team. We know then that the other pyramids um, were built basically by humans and in a collective effort with other species that 15,000 years ago, um, they were, you know, there wasn't this travel embargo and it was kind of more of an open contact uh, world. So it wasn't uh, unusual that humans were building stuff together along with other species. If being six is a non-3D being, how do they build the pyramids? Yeah, we asked them that. And the answer is quite obscure. (laughs) They said they thought of it. So... Basically, it seems to be a mental process to them to have built the pyramids. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Thought form. Yes. So manifestation. And now it got perpetuated. And now you got this, um, this kind of, you know, specific look. Mm -hmm. The top of the pyramid has been removed and so is the casing on the outside. Is that going to affect the energetic properties of the pyramid? Yes. A hundred percent. And by, Having removed these two specific elements of the pyramid, they basically made sure that they're not going to work anymore. So what we have is the pyramidion on top, which is basically guiding those subtle energies um, towards the different phases of the pyramid. And the cover of the pyramid was actually... Uh, very important because it keeps the ions and the different electrical charges inside of the pyramid so that it can, you know, be guided towards the pyramid. Once that has been removed, the pyramid couldn't hold it, its energy, and it gets all over the place. It's dispersed out it to, dispersed. The, to the planet. Right. So if you did put the capstone back on and the casing, um, you know, what effect would that have? It would have a tremendous effect um, in certain ways. So basically, you would have you put the the pyramid back into functionality. Uh, it would work again. It would affect uh, very strongly the the energetical field of Earth in itself in a positive way. A lot of healing properties would be in place again. Basically, meditative states could be reached very easily and also what we call manifestation process. So basically, um, you know, our own thoughts and mental mental process that's going to manifest our um, reality, that would work much stronger and, and much faster. If the pyramid was completely intact again, who would benefit from that? The extraterrestrials, the human beings on the planet? Good question. It would benefit life. So basically it would create a a very positive and very healing uh, energetical field that you could utilize in whatever way you want it. So it could heal people, potentially humans as well as Mm non-terrestrials. And it would integrate certain other, uh, for example, star gates, jump gates. um, So that they could be used as well. We have pyramids all around the world in the Arctic, South America. Are these pyramids, number one, connected? Not only that, did the same people build all these pyramids? 
Yes, they are all connected, not even on, not only on this planet, but even on other planets as well. You can see that Mars, for example, has pyramidal structures and potentially every other planet as well. Uh, yes, we see they are connected and um, they have done that for a purpose of distributing energy through the whole body of, the, of Earth. Which is basically the thought that Nikola Tesla in the 1920s had right. as when he, you know, wanted to charge the whole earth. So you can basically have energy in, in the wild desert of I don't know where. And, uh, you know, you could, could connect to that energy, uh, every, on every place on the world. So this is basically what happened with the pyramids. Are they all built by the same people? No, they are not. So we know that uh, the first pyramid, which is in Giza, was the initial pyramid that, you know, was placed there in order to observe life itself, probably before there were even, you know, people on this planet. So the, the pyramid came first. Are the pyramids functional on other timelines and how would that work? So what we know is, and this is very complicated, but being six described to us that the pyramids have different equivalents on different other timelines and they're all connected through uh, this you know outside of time grid um, that's going on there so they the pyramids they do not only connect on you know in physical space mm -hmm. but uh, outside of it as well what would that indicate what would it be for uh, it, it could be utilized in order to bring something Uh, from one dimension into another dimension that could very well be made use of. But uh, other than that, I couldn't think of, you know, any any possible function. Do they mention pyramids being not just in our galaxy, but other galaxies, other planets? Oh, and, yes. And are they connected? Oh, yes. So, so basically what uh, Being Six told us is that Everywhere in this version of the universe that is heavily based upon, you know, mm -hmm. visual light, we see pyramids everywhere on, on almost every planet um, because it has to do with the, the functionality of observing nature in itself. If they are used in other versions of the universe that is not connected to sunlight, we don't know. We don't know. It might be some different other geometrical structure there. We know there are universes that are, you know, heavily on um, focused on acoustic signals. So um, they might have an equivalent, a geometrical equivalent to that, but in a in a interwoven in a sound wave. That could be true. You mentioned earlier uh, the pyramid being a tetrahedron shape. And what's the significance of that here on Earth? Yes, so, so what they told us is that um, there are certain polygons that are used, you know, to make up reality the way we can perceive it. Um, and that geometrical form is basically a tetrahedron, which is two pyramids stacked over each other. So this is basically uh, some of the underlying geometrical form of how reality builds it, it itself. Yeah, and we see that, you know, resembling in the pyramids. Is there any significance, Tim, to modern day pyramids like the Louvre in Paris? Well, I don't know if there is a um, secretive plan or something to build pyramids. Um, it would 
probably be much easier to rebuild those that are already in place. But yes, so the the pyramids, for example, in Paris is basically built upon the parameters that they have found in Giza. So it, it can function the same way the pyramids in Giza have functioned. So anyone who, who builds these pyramids, and we know, for example, that in the United Kingdom, the the royal house, the royal family, they have built a pyramid as well. So, yeah, they, they function. Does it matter what the pyramid is made out of? Yes, it does. It does matter. So basically, and this is pretty fascinating. I found that pretty fascinating being six told us about how to build your own pyramid at home. And yes, the material matters. Um, it must be built in certain phases so you can have this guidance of, of energetical right. flow that's going through the pyramid itself. But yes, it, 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 it must create a differential, um, a potential so that um, the energy can flow. Yes. Why did Being Six tell you how to build a pyramid at home? The why question is always the hardest. I'm I'm wondering if Being Six knew that at one time or another I would be able to share it with people, you know, so they can build something. But it has gigantic benefits to it to build it. And we see a situation right now where people, where this, you know, travel embargo is, in, is still in place, where people cannot easily leave Earth. All those stargates that we have originally on this planet, they are all sealed. Um, so maybe being six wants to make sure that there are devices that you could build yourself in, in your own home with just a few materials. And you build your own pyramid and um, utilize uh, the, the, the powers that come along with that. This is not only... Um, so they describe to us that... Having these pyramids and being in these pyramids, when they are covered um, and they are built very well, um, that the manifestation process, you know, is very accelerated. And you can even use the natural occurring, you know, flows of energies in order to build your own stargate. So that would be pretty awesome if um, people do that. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but... uh the pyramid is a stargate, and I yes. think maybe being six wanted people to be able to meditate in there and travel, astral, okay. astrally travel to other places. That is actually what I think, what yeah. um, what their, their motivation is um, mm-hmm. in order to prevent, you know, the way this world is structured, it keeps this t- technology away from people. So basically the, uh, the normal person at home would probably not get their hands on certain technology. So being six told us um, there's a way you can do it yourself at home. Excellent. There's been pyramid-shaped craft all over the world. The Kremlin, Washington, D.C. Is there any significance to this shape of these craft? Well, yes. So, so basically it resembles some of the geometric forms that you find in the universe. Is it a must have? No, it is not. So we see that a lot of other crafts of, um, you know, roundish in design or could even have a abstract form and will still work the same way. They must make sure that the electromagnetic field that is, um, you know, um, around the, the craft, that this is intact and, and it's working. But yes, some some species, um, they seem to 
be pretty obsessed with pyramid shapes. Right. They they use them like for everything. Yeah, for the houses, for the craft. Do you know what species is behind these pyramidal UFOs? Yes, so we know um, that some of these cases of pyramidal structures that just appear, you know, over certain cities in the world, um, that this is not actually coming from a certain species, but it's more from a interfrequential collective that oversees um, developments on this planet. And they have told us that they want to give chance to people for the mysterium, you know, the mystery uh, of life to be observed. So basically what they do is it's it's not a um, physical mission that they are on, but okay. it's more of a um, cognitive spiritual mission and they create certain in um, you know situations where people just observe something and it expands their own minds expands their own thinking so um you so coming from a human perspective one might think that a physical mission has to have a certain goal uh, you know, they want to achieve something, but this is not the case when you um, see certain, you know, situations from interfrequential beings. They do things so they get observed and recognition, and this is basically it. We see pyramids being built throughout history. Why is not today that being six is not building pyramids today? Yeah, so being six made it very clearly to us that the time of pyramids is over. Mm. That basically they fulfilled a certain functionality in the past. Um, and that the beings that inhabit this planet right now, humans, right. Um, are capable of doing spiritual work with themselves, with their own bodies. Their own bodies are capable of doing um, manifestation and meditation and all those mm -hmm. things. So why they say that the pyramids still would be functional and very positive if we rebuild those structures, they also say that they are not necessary in the, anymore because um, the body, the human body itself is capable of doing all the, the functionality of the pyramid itself. Did being six ever mention the human body being a pyramid? No, they didn't mention the human body being a huge pyramid. They mentioned it to be a um, a very um, productive, um, you know, tool that needs to grow with yourself, with your with your awareness and your soul, um, and that you can perform quasi wondrous things with your body and itself and they gave some 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 uh, examples of that and this is mind-blowing so basically they um said that when you going in a deep meditation and you you can create a your, uh, your own electromagnetic field around yourself so that you basically can levitate and and even use your body for 
for interstellar travel yourself. So no pyramid needed um, for that. But I think this is um, some meditation work that, you know, needs a lot of practice and we need to, um, you know, to upgrade um, the, the whole collective first before people, you know, can easily alter reality this this much. Do you think the government is using pyramid technology in their secret programs? I basically don't know. Um, but I know that, um, you know, certain groups are very interested in understanding the way the pyramids work. And um, we've done a lot of research on that uh, because basically the, the functions of the pyramids um, are pretty much unlimited. You can use it to heal. You can use it to manifest you can use it to send uh, information throughout uh, different dimensions so um yes i th- i think that it would be natural you know to use the, the the everything you've learned from the pyramids and and apply it on your own technology but i don't have information uh, specifically people are talking about um the possibility of additional chambers yet to be discovered in the giza pyramid has being six ever mentioned anything about this to you? Yes, a hundred percent. They have told us that there are more than those chambers that are already known and they fulfill different purposes. So basically they have um, healing chambers that are still not excavated, excavated, right? So basically what they have uh, done is uh, they built certain chambers where people just can lay down into um, basically looking like a sarcophagus, but it's not. So it's basically more like a a mat bed or something where a human could lay down and has those those things were in in place and in functionality way back and um, they were used for healing purposes. So they also told us that the pyramid in Giza is different than the pyramid in Mexico um, and that the um, pyramid in Mexico was more used for community um, events. So people, more than one person can enter the pyramid and get healed, uh, gets healed. And um, that the pyramid in Giza was much more an isolated experience for um, certain individuals. As more extraterrestrial contact happens, do you think there's going to be a revival of more pyramid technology? If I had a wish, I would say that people should rebuild the pyramids and um, not only take them as destroyed as they are right now, but, you know, make them work again. Um, I wouldn't say that we will see much more pyramid technology over time. I'm hoping that people start building pyramids for themselves. Um, and that could very well be done through this blueprint that uh, Being Six gave us, which m- makes it quite easy to build something where you can sit in yourself as long as it has the covers and the, gr- uh, the right ground so that the potential can is there. I would love to see that, yes. But I don't think that the government or some other sources will, you know, bring in more pyramid technology. Well, thank you, Tim. That was fascinating. Thank you, Emery, for having me. I'm Emery Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. Until next time. We have had quite a amazing day today. And I would say 
has flown naturally from the work that's been accomplished and is giving us inspiration for what we do next. <laughs> so Rama, here, this is the name of the one now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm. <laughs> and I'll read this to everybody. Just one, one moment. Okay. This is called Egypt, Orion, and the Mission of Yeshu. And this is uh, Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho as the host. Delve into the mysterious relationship that exists between the first Egyptian dynasties, extraterrestrials, and prophets like Jesus. According to the messages, Ricardo received from the extraterrestrials as he had an experience of projection from the pyramids where aliens mentioned the name of Yeshu as an ambassador of peace. And this is 31 minutes, so Rama, let's just do it. Here we go. If in fact human beings descend from star gods, do the genetics of these civilizations influence us? And in what way? And Jesus of Nazareth, what does he have to do with this cosmic network? I'm Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho. Welcome aboard the Ark of Time. I have left one of the most important controversial topics for the end of this series, but also one of the most profound, if not disturbing ones. The battle of forces in the universe. Numerous legends and myths of the ancient world speak of a war of the gods. Is it just a symbolic story that has been repeated throughout time? Or could it have been a confrontation between real extraterrestrial civilizations Beings that could have been interpreted as gods or angels? And if so, what was the cause of this battle? And what consequences could it have brought for humanity? Join me. I'm going to share with you another impossible story. Like we discussed in the episode on the cosmic plan, life on Earth could have been sown by extraterrestrial civilizations. But... According to the message that has been received in different contact groups, that seed was brought from Orion, a seed containing information from extraterrestrial civilizations who had preceded the current populations of this galaxy. 
What motivated these civilizations to use a seed from Orion? According to these messages from extraterrestrial sources, different civilizations have developed in this material universe, filled with worlds and stars. And some civilizations who reached a technological level and great wisdom were left practically stagnant in their progress due to their disconnection with their emotions, their interconnection with themselves, because they became very technological and even militaristic. These accounts of the extraterrestrials say that a gene was discovered in the genetics of these advanced cultures, a gene that pushed them and motivated them, which was developed to make them colonizers and extremely technological. It is difficult to understand how this gene was developed or this biological characteristics, so to speak. So part of the plan was to sow a seed, a mixed seed, a compound seed on our planet so that the legacy of Orion would be contained within it so that the gene could generate that same influence on the planet in the populations that were going to develop. That is, that a mixed seed that was sown on the planet contained a legacy of those extraterrestrial civilizations of Orion. The aforementioned colonization gene. The gene of technology. The gene that could make us be hostile, disorderly, with an impulse that could lead us to take over everything. Why? If human beings who were developing on this planet reached a spiritual path a balance, an equilibrium, despite the influence of what we could call genetics, it would generate great redemption, a great transformation that would not only affect the human species, but it would affect the parent creators themselves, the extraterrestrials. And I don't just mean those who are involved in the star sector that we call Orion. As a part of this complex plan, they monitored all the processes of the Earth until something unexpected happened, the appearance of dinosaurs. According to the messages from the extraterrestrials, the reptilian species that developed on our planet originally came from Orion. That is, in some of the worlds of that constellation, reptiles had developed and over time became intelligent creatures upright on their spines bipedal beings that developed technology. But their remote ancestors, their primitive species, was being developed on Earth due to the Orion gene, due to the seed that had been sown on planet Earth. This is how the dinosaurs emerged, a species that was not originally from our world, according to these messages. And obviously, their development put into question the future appearance of human beings since theirs was a dominant species. Moreover, a number of paleontologists and scientists consider that if dinosaurs had not become extinct, there's a good chance we humans would not be here now. Continuing this account from the extraterrestrials, a decision had to be made so that the project on planet Earth would not fail. And they decided to intervene on the planet with the extinction of the dinosaurs. This was camouflaged as the impact of an asteroid that would have had impact on the northern Yucatan Peninsula, 
eliminating 65% of life forms. Today, it is known through scientific studies that the angle of the object that crashed was perfect in order to cause the greatest damage possible. In addition to the nuclear winter that occurred afterwards, due to the impact, which put an end to the majority of giant reptiles that dominated the Earth. This attack, or a camouflaged extraterrestrial military operation, was done in such a way that other civilizations who also observed the Earth would not become aware of this operation. Whatever happened, the dinosaurs are no longer among us. They became extinct 65 million years ago, and later, human beings would appear. We are not reptiles, like the ancient species from Orion that disappeared on Earth, the dinosaurs. However, within our genetics is the Orion gene, the gene that, as I say, could propel us towards warlike behavior, colonizing behavior, and could disconnect us from our real path unless we find the balance point that transforms us, that overcomes that genetic inheritance, as well as delivers a message to the parent creators themselves, the extraterrestrial mentors. According to these messages, part of the history of Orion, with the key points that imply coming from extraterrestrials and their connection to human life, is hidden in Egypt in an actual time portal, in a time ship. I'm referring to the Great Pyramid. Before diving into the mysteries of Egyptian civilization, we assume that this had its beginnings in the year 3100 BC, when Upper and Lower Egypt were united by an individual called Menes, also known as the Scorpion King, the first monarch of this lavish civilization. Without dispute, Menes is, for historians, the starting point. The fact that Egyptologists have this information is just a list of kings that is seen on the Temple of Abydos. It starts, as I said, with Menes and ends with Seti around the year 1300 BC, encompassing a period of 1700 years. But today, we know that this information is incomplete. That's when I found the chronology of Manitho, a name which curiously means the truth of everything. It's a list of impossible kings in pre-dynastic times compiled by this Egyptian man native of Samanut. Manitho is supposed to have been the high priest of the sun god Ra. In legendary Heliopolis back in the 3rd century BC, and this wise man had collected ancient information about the origins of Egypt that gave goosebumps to most orthodox archaeologists. We do not have Manitho's complete text, but at least we have important fragments of his work in the writings of the Jewish chronicler Flavius Josephus, or of Christian chroniclers like Eusebius of Africa. It's extremely puzzling that Egyptologists use the work of Manitho only to refer to the historical period and not to the prehistory that the Egyptian priest quoted, not only as legends or mythology, but as real facts that happened in the country of the Nile thousands of years ago. For example, and getting to the point, Eusebius quotes Manitho's work, mentioning a list of nine gods who ruled Egypt. Those beings are essentially the pantheon of deities of Heliopolis, Ra, 
Osiris, Seth, Isis, Horus, among others. The text reads, These were the first to rule Egypt. From there, the scepter of power passed from one to another in uninterrupted succession over 13,900 years. After the gods, the demigods reigned for 1,255 years, and again, another lineage of kings was established, who ruled for over 1,790 years, and another 10 kings, who ruled for 350 years. Next, the spirits of the dead reigned for 5,813 years. Let's see. All this would have happened before the aforementioned Medes united the two lands of Egypt. What are we to think if Manito is telling the truth? How are we to interpret the reign of the gods, of demigod kings, and finally, the reign of the spirits of the dead? We are talking about unknown beings ruling Egypt for tens of thousands of years prior to the emergence of the first dynasty. That mysterious time became known as Zetepi, the first time when some beings from heaven, the Neteru, lived on earth. It should be noted that for most Egyptologists, those Neteru are not considered specific entities, but cosmic powers or forces that the Greeks would later personify. However, the ancient Egyptian stories hint otherwise. In addition, the Palermo Stone and the Turin Papyrus call into question the official story of the kings of Egypt. Were the extraterrestrial beings linked to the stars of Orion in Giza thousands of years ago? In 1994, I read the research of Robert Balval and Adrian Gilbert called The Mystery of Orion, a very interesting text that calls into doubt the official versions of the construction of the pyramids of Giza. According to the research, they would have found a curious correlation between the three pyramids of the Giza Plateau and the belt of the constellation Orion, proving through software that precise alignment of the so-called Three Sisters and the Three Pyramids of Egypt would have occurred on March 21st in the year 10,500 BC. That predates the original dating of the pyramids. We're talking around the year 2,500 BC. Obviously, this does not mean that the pyramids would have been built 10,000 years ago or 12,000 years ago. But if the pyramids of Giza are truly representing Orion's belt since such an ancient date, are they marking something in particular? Maybe the date of the last great planetary change, of that last destruction. And why do they point to Orion, to the constellation of the hunter, where we find the Duat, the star realm of the god Osiris? Is it that the ancient Egyptians knew that life on Earth came from Orion? A significant detail is that scientific research has revealed that in the Great Orion Nebula, more than 1,600 light-years distance, the so-called M42 has organic molecules very similar to those that most likely gave life to Earth, the well-known panspermia theory of life. Celestial bodies, as if they were cosmic sperm, impact worlds with life. 
There has been much speculation whether this really happened to our planet, and perhaps these celestial bodies were extraterrestrial missions purposely conducted to sow life on Earth. And we should ask ourselves if these seeds from Orion came by chance to our world, or if they would have been brought through this advanced plan of extraterrestrial civilizations. However, today I know that the pyramids of Giza conceal a hidden purpose that few archaeologists dare to recognize. In fact, it is intriguing that no human remains have ever been found in the sarcophagi of these pyramids. With this, archaeologists launch the argument that the bodies were stolen by treasure hunters, an absurd presumption. Back in the 9th century BC, by the time Caliph al-Mamun made the tunnel which serves today as an entrance for tourists to visit the Great Pyramid, he discovered, frustratingly, that nothing was to be found in either the sarcophagi or in the galleries. Al-Mamun, another detail to take into account, was the son of the legendary Harun al-Rashid, the poet who inspired the famous work A Thousand and One Nights, and he believed that the legendary Chamber of Secrets of the Great Pyramid was real, and that in it were hidden maps of heaven and earth. Al-Mamun, from what I was able to find out, belonged to a school of mysteries. And by that, I don't mean to the House of Wisdom that was established in Baghdad, where all the volumes of scientific and philosophical texts of the time were translated. The Caliph was part of a group of initiates who knew that the secrets of the Great Pyramid were possibly associated with Orion. Right now, I recall the case of the U.S. psychic Edgar Casey. For many, one of the greatest mediums of all time. He predicted before his death that a hidden chamber known as the Hall of Records would be open to humanity and that it would demonstrate to the world the cosmic past of the country of the Nile. I've visited Egypt on several different occasions, the pyramids, and of course, inside the Great Pyramid. And I've reflected alone inside it, setting aside the power of suggestion and dazed feeling that its fame or extraordinary architecture impose on visitors, or the impression left by the upward climb that is not meant for people who suffer from claustrophobia. There is no doubt that there is an energy that permeates the place, which can be felt inside it. Although this feeling cannot be outwardly demonstrated and falls on the slippery slope of perception, from the empirical side, I have been able to trace extraordinary energy generated by that incredible monument. According to the messages of extraterrestrial origin, the Great Pyramid sits on invisible master lines, which it incorporates thanks to its perfect geometry, which organizes the unknown currents of energy with a specific purpose to amplify. That is, the Great Pyramid is an architectural wonder, a timeship, but more importantly, the place where it was built is a node of energy. The so-called king of the Great Pyramid seems to have the key. For example, according to the work of British aerospace engineer Christopher Dunn, the structure of the king's chamber is not an accident. Formed by granite made up of 55% silicone crystal quartz, this chamber could have been designed for the granite to vibrate in sync with sound. Maybe rituals with mantras? The music itself emitted by the Earth's pulse? Thus, 
quartz becomes saturated, generating a flow of electrons through a phenomenon known as a piezoelectric effect. According to Dunn, this energy filled the king's chamber and the sarcophagus found there, producing a combination of acoustic energy and electromagnetic energy. All this would make it possible to create a sort of light conduit or waveguide that traveled from the Great Pyramid to somewhere else. Was that the secret objective of the pyramids? A star cannon? An invisible time ship towards Orion? A kind of vehicle for whomever dared to lay in the sarcophagus during a particular ritual on a specific date or with coordinates to be launched in a non-ordinary state of consciousness towards Orion? Does this have anything to do with the date March 21st? allegedly marked by the pyramids and their alignment with Orion, which coincides with the vernal equinox in that latitude of the world. There are several cases of historical figures who were attracted by the power of the Great Pyramid. Among them, I could mention the fabulous episode of Napoleon, who is said to have spent a night inside the Great Pyramid. It was 1799. For many, Bonaparte tried to imitate the experience of Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar, who supposedly also had their initiation inside the pyramid for Napoleon. It was a preliminary step for a political conquest of Paris. The curious matter is that when his men asked him about his night alone inside of the Great Pyramid, the French military leader and Freemason responded, If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Another great figure who visited the Great Pyramid, of course, was Jesus of Nazareth. I must say that I had an extraordinary experience in the Great Pyramid. It was 2003, on March 21st. With my team, we achieved a private moment within the King's Chamber, and I laid down inside it, following the indications of extraterrestrials, their messages, instructions, and our own research. We employed the use of mantras, of sounds, to harmonize our work at that time. And I remember that something extraordinary happened to me because I started losing awareness of my physical body. I felt like something was happening there in the king's chamber as if everything were mutating. My companions affirmed to have seen my body trembling and some even say that they saw a kind of white spot that would swell out of my chest and leave me. In the end, I lost all consciousness of this process, and I only remember entering into a tunnel of light, as if I had died, similar to the images described by those people who have had life-after-death experiences. I was crossing through different landscapes that looked cosmic or spatial in nature. I distinguished what I believe were worlds, planets, until a voice told me, that I had been projected from the Great Pyramid to the stars of Orion, to the worlds of Orion. This experience was not occurring physically. It was as if something had projected my being or my consciousness, I don't know how to explain it, towards that place. And part of the information that I'm sharing in this episode and also throughout the arc of time comes from everything that was left with me after this stellar journey to that place the Egyptians called the Duat, the celestial home of Osiris. It was explained to me what had occurred with reptile species on Earth. 
the disappearance of the dinosaurs, the gene that was to have brought into our world as part of a genetic mission and experimentation for human beings to rise up above all as a civilization of peace. But I was also told that there were great human beings in our world, and despite our warlike and colonizing tendencies, they had arisen as true ambassadors of peace. Beings who had moved the consciousnesses of the extraterrestrial civilizations who were watching us. And then they spoke to me about the figure Jesus, beyond what religions have made of his personage and the intellectual arguments regarding his historical or non-historical reality. I have no doubt that he existed, that he exists, and that there is a great hierarchy of human origin that connected with the divine. And like other great masters who walked our planet, opened the way for us to change things. That's why I left for the end of this episode a reflection about the life of Jesus. Jesus and his connection to this mission related to the legacy of Orion. I know there are some versions that claim that Jesus was an extraterrestrial who may have come from Orion or Pleiades. Others mention Sirius. Obviously, I respect all the information and messages that some channels and contact witnesses maintain. But in my personal opinion, as my friend Jose Luis Perez Albela in Peru would say, Jesus wasn't an extraterrestrial, but an exceptional terrestrial. A human being with extraordinary capabilities, who was born of a woman from the earth, Mary. A birth that was announced by a non-human entity, an entity of light named Gabriel, who told her, you will have a child whom you will call Jesus, the savior. A human being who was born in a very different situation 2,000 years ago, who was persecuted, whose birth was also blessed by a light that guided three figures that tradition calls Magi, the so-called Bethlehem UFO. And I said it well, not the star of Bethlehem, because stars do not stop and then continue, leading the expedition of these wise men over a period of months. It was an unidentified flying object. These wise men also did not approach the place where Jesus was born to present gifts and offerings of incense. But like when you seek out the Dalai Lama, they would have shown him belongings from Jesus's previous life, also on earth, so that upon recognizing them, the wise men could certify that the envoy had arrived on earth. Jesus's entire life was replete with the appearance of angels in chariots of fire, of supernatural beings and of miracles, as if a greater plan were guiding his life, just as what happened with Moses has also happened with Abraham and with other biblical figures. Jesus, throughout his mission, tried to teach humans that we needed to stop fighting, that this influence that could lead us to be violent had to be transformed into a message of love and service. If someone slaps your cheek, you need to turn the other one. And if old human laws made you violent, you had to find the common sense to reflect in your consciousness, like that case of a woman who had committed adultery and was to be stoned. And suddenly the people came, the crowd, 
and said to Jesus, who was sitting drawing in the sand, according to ancient law, since this woman is an adulteress, we have to stone her. What should we do? And Jesus answered, whomever is free of blame should cast the first stone. And finally, they had to put down the stones. Jesus' entire message was based on this. Stop fighting. Find a balance. Seek that equilibrium. Because he knew that only through love, through service and consciousness, would we be able to change our humanity. Jesus believed in it so much that he decided to die as a human on the cross. His pain was so human that, at one time, he asked the universe, or God, however we want to interpret it, to take away his suffering, that the chalice of suffering and pain be removed from him. But let the will of the cosmos be done, and not his own. Such was the emotional impact that Jesus felt that he even sweated blood. However, he kept going. And if Jesus had apprehension about his own mission, what can we expect from ourselves? He continued on. He died on Golgotha, and on the third day, he was resurrected in his own physical body. He spent 40 days with his disciples. He taught them great things, and then he left, according to the scriptures, in body and soul, somewhere in the universe, promising to return, which is another topic of discussion. Who is coming back? Jesus? Will the spirit of the cosmic Christ return? Yes. Or is it just a symbolic message, as the skeptics say, that Jesus did not exist, that it is all just an allegorical message? I've already said it. Jesus existed, he exists, and I believe that he will return. I had a wonderful experience with which I would like to conclude this program. It happened to me on Mount Horeb in Sinai. It was a dream, simply a powerful dream. In this dream, I saw the figure of Jesus somewhat different from how he is represented in Christian iconography, specifically with beautiful light brown eyes that could look deep inside and long shiny brown hair and asked me, why is there so much conflict over me? Why are they divided into beliefs and religions when I was always with you? I was the first human being on the planet and I will also be the last. I have lived in different ages. That's why I've introduced myself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And suddenly, I had the feeling that Jesus had been Krishna, that Jesus had been Buddha, yes. among other great figures who are spiritual icons of humanity. And I said, wow, if this is so, we've been arguing over different images of the reality of the universe and of Earth's own messengers. And we are in the presence of the same spirit who has been living as a human throughout the history of mankind. With that, the message that John saw on Patmos, the apocalypse. If all this is true, there is a promise for change, a promise of a return. Regardless of whether we have a gene from extraterrestrial civilizations who have preceded us, who have even made mistakes, the myth of fallen angels, which is a very complex story. Perhaps we humans are here to understand that history and follow the path of the great masters who walk to this planet. A path that says, we must stop fighting. 
and seek more to be a warrior of light. We are now in times where we need to be ambassadors of peace. At least, that is what Jesus taught. Putting aside religious topics, I must say in this last broadcast, without any apprehension, that Jesus is my boss. I know he exists, and we serve a higher purpose. Without a doubt, we could dedicate a lot of time to each of these subjects. We could discuss whether we are facing real events of cosmic origin that human beings have ignored, or if they're merely symbolic stories that hide an even more profound truth. As renowned mythologist Joseph Campbell would say, in any event, there is a powerful message and we have to trace it in order to know who we really are and the mission that we should fulfill. Again, I quote the great master, Jesus of Nazareth, ask and it will be given unto you. Search and you will find it. Knock on the door and it will be opened for you. Whoever has ears to understand will understand. Thank you for being part of the crew of the Ark of Time. I'm Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho. Okay, my, my, my. So I'm going to continue because we have this schedule here and there's just amazing things going on. This is called, It's the End of the World as We Know It, an invitation to help weave a new world and a new future for humanity. It's by Katasi. We mention quite often, maybe too often, that this world is ending. Let me turn the page. <laughs> Moment. That the ancient teachings say it has already ended. That's what all the beings are telling us. You may not be interested in hearing this. Oops. After all. Make sure that we get this muted over there. Heard something on. Um, you may have. Okay, thank you. Now um, you got to read this. Yeah. I, I, I you got to get up and read what's being said. You may not be interested in hearing this. After all, you may have built a good life. A nice family, a great partner, good friends, great kids, maybe grandkids even. A good home, nice job, plenty of money, plenty of great food, clean water, relatively clean air, a great car, all the good stuff, all the good life stuff. You do recognize that, I thought he was writing something. No. Okay. Well, he was, I saw it. Uh, you do recognize that things are a bit out of whack in this world. Yeah, it's okay. I'm okay. You can go ahead. Um, yet, they have always been like that. There is always some crazy stuff going down somewhere. So, what's all of the fuss about this end of the world stuff? You may be wondering what we are even talking about. Humanity is making progress. We are creating tech that makes all our lives easier, and overall, people are far better off than they were 200 years ago. 
we are evolving as a species, so why are you keeping on about the end of the world? That's a really good question. Well, it's about history. I am sure you have had those, you have heard that those who do not learn from it are destined to repeat it. Yep. And quite frankly, some of us are just not so okay with the prospect of repeating another thousand years of crazy, which is a possibility as we do not get our act together. Well, Mother said we all we have already won and galactic intervention is making sure that doesn't happen. Yet, again, there are consequences as you go another direction. Ancient teachings, ancient traditional people's stories talk about the cycles humanity keeps going through. They talk about worlds ending and new worlds being created. Yes, yes, yes. Which, according to them, has happened three or four times before, depending on whose story you hear. And... Now we are at another end of a cycle, another end of the of a world, and it is time to start building a new one. It is time to build the bridge to the new world and lay the foundation for that world. That's what their stories tell. Now you may not give a you know a hoot about what the ancient teachings say and what those stories tell, and I understand that. I mean, who are these ancients or these storytelling people and why should you listen to what they say well again it's about history and about repeating it as we do not learn from it there is our history of the past decade and there is our history of the last century or centuries and there is the history of humanity that goes back thousands and thousands of years through the ages that's the history of the ancient teachings tell the history that these people's stories tell. We can spend our lives focusing on the recent history of decades or centuries, yet to really learn about humanity's history, the world's ancient history, and what we can learn from it, going back thousands of years and seeing and understanding what we went through is where we need to go. There are not any other places than the ancient teachings, the anthropology offerings, offerers a bit of insight. Not so mainstream groups of anthropologists find uh, find some remarkable things and bring back real pieces of the puzzle. Turn the page. The missing pieces and I would posit the considerably larger pieces some from the ancient teachings have been carefully guarded and kept intact and thus survived thousands of years of scrutiny and threats of being destroyed. Zealots who do not allow different thoughts or teachings have been around for thousands of years. Ever since the Egyptian temples and their teachings got corrupted at the start of dynastic Egypt, the real teachings passed down through the history have been in danger of being destroyed. Fortunately, people knowing what was coming hid them. So, 
They survived and are now coming out and being offered to learn from in these cultures. Precisely because we are at the end of this world and we so desperately need the guidance of those teachings more than most can possibly even remotely imagine. It is those teachings that have carried forward our history through thousands and thousands of years, through the ending of worlds and the building of new ones, again and again, and they are being offered to us again today so that we may build a new different, new, a new and different world and different and awakened humanity. You may not believe this end of the world stuff, that the teachings are clear. Maybe, ooh, we got some more people playing for the delight crackers out there. Yet the teachings are clear. They leave no doubt that that is what we are indeed experiencing. That is what we are in the middle of at this time in the history of our species. The teachings are clear that this is happening. We cannot stop it and we cannot avoid it. However, what we can have, however, what we can have is a tremendous influence on how we transition into this new world and what kind of foundation we lay for it. Yes, you can try to hold on to your life and try to keep it together as best you can. Just be aware that according to the teachings, big, huge changes are coming. Not the normal changes that life inevitably brings, like normal life changes. That's child's play compared to what the teachings say is ahead of for us. As you want those changes, that transition time into the new world to be as easeful as possible, with as little violence and destruction as possible. We need it is imperative that we learn from these ancient teachings on how to support that, how to facilitate that kind of transition in a way so that our lives do not need to be destroyed so that our world does not need to be scorched, so that our spirit, our love, our hearts, our humanity survive intact. The Katasi readings come from these ancient teachings and making our transition that kind of relatively peaceful transition is what they teach. And the purpose of the weaving ceremonies is to manifest that kind of transition and future reality. To accomplish all that, we need to get off our behinds, stop playing in spiritual sandboxes, and get ready about, get real about waking up and raising our consciousness. We need to stop letting ourselves be poisoned by fake foods, what don't nourish us, by education and constant, incessant barrages of of information that dumbs us down and does not help us understand ourselves and the world in any meaningful way. By a spirituality that does not really aim to help us raise our consciousness, that doesn't teach us who we really are and what we are truly capable of creating and instead keeps us distracted and asleep. We need to change all that and get on a real awakening journey. 
that aims toward real freedom and toward a new humanity and a new world. I understand that's a lot and a tall order considering where we are starting from. Yet it's what we got and times are wasted. No matter where you are on, the, on your life's journey, you are invited to join us to help weave a new world and a new future for humanity. To learn about the Katati weavings and this year's weaving ceremonies, go to www.katacse.world/weavings. Happy trails, song to song, Helmut. Oh, I thought that was a good one, everyone. And so, have a few more minutes here. Uh, let's do a rural ray. The Atlanteans had developed advanced flying machines that could soar through the skies, as well as powerful energy sources that provided clean, sustainable power. Okay, another one of those. For their entire civilization. In battle, they had highly advanced weapons and tools, making them nearly invincible. Turn the page. The amazing life of Atlanteans and their incredible technologies. The Atlanteans were highly technologically advanced beings and civilizations who inhabited an uh, an area stretching from Gibraltar to Iceland and were on par with early 20th century America. The Atlanteans, being a civilization that existed thousands of years ago, have left behind some wonderful records. According to Plato's account, Atlantis civilization existed approximately 9,000 years ago before his time, which would place it around 11,000 years ago, according to our current calendar. The first thing we need to do is define what an Atlantean is. The word Atlantean comes from the Greek, Greek word meaning to live on top of. So what did they live on top of? They lived on the ocean floor. The ocean floor was once covered by a large landmass called Pangea. That's right. Which was composed of all six continents at one time. Nordic Europa, Laurasia, Gondwana, Gondwana, Paleotethes, Afrotethes, and Laurasia. So she said that twice. The Atlanteans lived within these lands until they began to rise up out of the watery abyss. Atlantis vanished in the cataclysmic event around 11,500 BC. Their legacy lives on in the midst of many ancient cultures today. However, there are other accounts of Atlantis that suggest it may have been situated in, uh, in other oceans, such as the Pacific Ocean or even North America. Atlanteans were some of the best inventors in history. They invented everything from catapults to submarines and even advanced technology like jet planes and cars. In fact, many of these inventions have become commonplace today. In truth, Atlanteans were far more advanced than we are presently. The Atlanteans have made many amazing discoveries in their continuous journey toward the higher realms. 
These ancient people were able to harness the power of the universe, manage high-voltage electricity, and create powerful laser weapons. They are also created. They also created sustainable systems without harming anyone around them. The Atlanteans were known for their incredible technology that were far ahead of their time. According to legend, they had developed advanced flying machines that could soar through the skies, as well as powerful energy sources that provided clean, sustainable power for their entire civilization. They also had highly advanced weapons and tools that made them nearly invincible in battle. The Atlanteans were also known for their beautiful architecture, with towering cities and stunning palaces that were said to be made of material that was clear as glass. The Atlanteans built a sophisticated society that lasted for thousands of years. They began as a small tribe and grew into one of the world's greatest civilizations. They were capable of constructing pyramids, temples, roads, ships, and other structures. Yet it wasn't just their technology that made the Atlanteans amazing. They were also known... Turn the page. Moment, teacher. They were also known for highly advanced, for being a highly advanced society with a strong emphasis on education and cultural advancement. They had libraries and universities that were unrivaled in the ancient world, and they valued the arts, science, arts and sciences as highly as they did military might. The Atlanteans were also very skilled at creating artwork. Their art was highly detailed and realistic, with representations of animals and humans alike. Also, the Atlanteans have the technology to land a massive beam of light on every major dark orifice, which would in, would solve all of our problems and freely free humanity from the machinations of dark forces. Wouldn't it be great as it could be done as soon as possible so that we could finally be free to live quietly and enjoy the rest of our lives. I am hoping that the recent confirmation of Atlantis' return by the Galactic Federation will provide us with a fantastic opportunity to learn from their cutting-edge technologies and lead spectacular lives. In this way, we could combine our discoveries and existing technologies with their advanced knowledge of science and engineering to solve the problems commonly encountered on Earth. It would enable us to turn our attention to loftier goals, creating a more peaceful society with less violence and war, better health care, effective means of taking care of the environment, efficient means of providing energy for all to use, and making space travel affordably for every person on Earth. We cannot wait for this to happen. Okay, last page. I had a lot of excitement considering these technologies, and I believe this post has sparked some ideas in you. As even one of the technologies I've mentioned is implemented, we will be able to realize an exciting future. I hope you have enjoyed this journey through Atlantis and its wonderful accomplishments. As you are interested in learning more about their technologies, the new discoveries they've made on the planet or what it will be like as they return be sure to subscribe and check out future posts we love you dearly we are here with you and 
We are your family of life. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho, Aurora Ray. And I pass this talking to, to you, Rainbird. I know you have some wise words for this evening, and here it comes. All the angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, and anything else you can think of. Here it comes, Rainbird. <laughs> okay, I got that. Yes, it was a full evening, a full day, and... Yeah, there's a lot going on. Appreciate all that. And I wanted to just say in comment to this afternoon when we were listening about the vaccine that I'm still a little bit disappointed. We're not talking about the actual envenomation from, from animal toxins that took place in an open way or even in a knowing way. So we've right. thrown that out there. Rainbird, you you said you were disappointed in what? The lack of disclosure on the fact that the vaccinations and the virus is just uh, in venomation. It was um, snake toxins, insect toxins, and snail toxins. I think that, uh, you know, Bobby, you know, Kennedy Jr. is going to do a piece on that. I don't know, but... We just got to be patient, Rainbow. I know. I I was feeling impatient listening to it, and go, we we really don't have that conversation where it needs to be yet. So, I'm just noticing. Well, we have miles to go before we sleep. Do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything. And I pass the talking back, Dick, back over to you, Rama. What you got for us? Okay. We're just going to do a piece of music, right, honey? Yeah. Because it's time to go off, Peter, and good night. Here we go. What you got? What's that called? Uh, may it be. Oh, great. Lord of the Rings. Oh, of course. All right. Let's do it. Got to get past the commercial. Oh,
Aloha Nui Loa, and may peace prevail on earth. And 13 thank yous, honey. 13 thank yous, honey in the heart. No evil, and live long and prosper. Namaste. Aloha again. <laughs> See you in your dreams and on the bridge tonight. Thank you, everyone, for sharing this. I know it goes out to the world and it makes a big difference. Until we meet again, everybody, namaste.